Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. Oh, sorry. I'm Andrew. Do you have to do it that close to the mic? Sorry, I'm I'm tired. I just wanted some coffee. Yeah, I can, I can understand why you're tired, because this is our 100th episode, people. This is our 100th episode. Uh, and it's fantastic. We've got so, we pulled out all the stops here. We've got some sponsors. We got some sponsorship, though. I don't know if you've noticed. We got the bunting up. We got the awning, the balloons. It's amazing. The production value is through the roof. I mean, one. it's an audio medium, but um, you you can imagine it, listeners. It's fantastic. So yeah, we we got a new sponsor on board for this our 100th episode. I've got a feeling it's going to be the start of something new, something exciting. And it's great because this week we're talking about Inception. Now, most podcasts would do something gimmicky, something sort of like ridiculous, some sort of ambitious thing for their 100th episode. We're just happy to be talking about this. speak for itself. Yeah, that's exactly. It's a Russian nesting doll. Why why, um, why, why add anything uh, to it? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the ultimate celebration of 100 episodes of us talking about movies is an episode of us talking about movies. Same old. So yeah, so Inception, Christopher Nolan's... Not broke. Don't Don't fix fix it. So Christopher Nolan's 2008 classic, uh, I think it's safe to say, the 14th best movie of all time as voted for by IMDb users. One of the great blockbusters of the modern cinematic landscape. One of the most influential films, I would argue, of the past decade. It is... A huge film that was massively influential to me that I I saw it had a huge impact on me. It emerged in 2010, so roughly a year after I started doing film criticism. And it was one of the films that sort of just I I absorbed, I devoured. I remember taking the morning off work to go and see the press screening of this when it was announced. It was a big deal to me. Um, And it was it was sort of one of those moments where I felt like I was a real film critic. It's one of those movies where you have like, you know, certain movies you have experiences with them that you feel very strongly about. So, for example, you know, you, you, you remember seeing a film with a particular audience or seeing it at a particular right. time, seeing it with particular people. I remember going to the press screening of this and feeling like I was a real life film critic or cricket, even one might say. <laughs> real um, life film cricket. Yeah. Like Jiminy. But it, it was it was a huge sort of moment for me and I have very, I'm very a real fond memories. Yeah, I'm a real live critic. Um, but I have, uh, so I have very strong memories of it for that reason. And I think it, it's a movie that sort of stuck with me quite a bit. And obviously, as long-term listeners of the podcast will know, or even listeners to the last episode where we pulled this out of the random number generator will know, I'm a bit of a Christopher Nolan fan. Yes. yeah, Just yeah. a little bit. Just a, just a tiny bit. A little bit. Itsy bit. Nobody bit. nobody really yeah. noticed it. No. Um, but what about you, Andrew? Had you seen this before? I had. I had. This is... Um... This is perhaps I mean I'm 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 a bit basic when it comes to Nolan. My favorite movies are the really obvious ones. Like the uh, Dark Dark Knight and Inception. I um I, I think you mean the the second and third part of his conceptual trilogy with the prestige. <laughs> of I'm, course. I'm not going to let go of that. That's going to become a thing. That will be a thing. It's one point people. Darren, it's already a thing. <laughs> be but anyway, yeah, no, it is because um, this was this was huge when it came out. This was one of the we talk a little bit about modern blockbuster landscapes and how it's all dominated by remakes, sequels. Right. I mean, when we do this just in on the podcast, a lot of them are a combination of sequels or comic book movies or family films. Think about like The Incredibles two, they for suck. example. I mean, I some mean, of them are good, <laughs> yeah. but it sucks that they're like I I, I want to see more movies like this. So yeah. I'm glad when we actually land on something that's not so kind of you know. 
transparently intellectual property eyes. Yes. Sort of stuff. I mean, like, I, again, I, I... It's handy that I can say, you know, <laughs> and, and, and that you'll say something articulate. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, I like, I'm... Uh, it's funny, because I was actually just talking about this recently with various film people, because... There's a lot of there's a lot of pessimism when you talk about modern cinema, particularly among like film critics. Who would have thought the film critics are by their nature a pessimistic bunch? <laughs> um, but I mean, there's a lot of like cynicism about the modern landscape and the way that modern films are made that's and the way that. Stuff. But this is the thing. Yeah, like, we. Like, um, you were talking recently about Kerry Fukunaga. Fukunaga. Yeah. Do I get that right? You got it better than I did when I bing, tried bing. it. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, there's a whole host of like great filmmakers out there. There's more diversity in terms of marketplace and distribution than there ever was before. So for example, in the past year, we've had the releases like you can have Dunkirk going up against Get Out, going up against Lady Bird. Um, and even then, like the year before you have Moonlight, films that never would have got distribution, let right. alone production before. So I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant to do the whole death knell of cinema right. thing That's that people Steve talk about. Banning calls the, the, uh, the, like, like some, some, some of those movies is what steve bannon calls the blue wave so <laughs> it's, it's um anyway sorry <laughs> noted noted <laughs> film producer steve bannon by the way um hollywood legend that he is no yeah yeah no no because exactly. he is he, he, he actually did that's he what has he has actually made a, I, I don't know how we got this I, yeah I, do I beg your pardon i'm wary of turning the 100th episode <laughs> into a political screen but it is interesting how so much of the modern political landscape and all political landscape and cultural landscape in general is derived from cinema to the point where like steve bannon is a man who went to Hollywood and tried to get his vision on screen, couldn't get it realized on screen, and realized it was easier to realize his vision on America as a nation. Right. Uh, which is kind of, in some ways, I think, perhaps what Inception is about. That's a nice dovetail. I'm quite proud of that one. In that Inception is very much about that idea of having an ideological space into which you have these, you construct these narratives and this self-image, you project yourself onto it, and how that impacts, like, the real world in a very tangible way, in the way that we see each other, the way that we think about things, the way that we perceive things as being. And I mean, like, it's remarkable that, like, Inception was a movie that could only have been made by Nolan at that point in his filmography. Because up until that point, oh, yeah. he'd, he'd done, like, obviously the small indie movies. So he started out doing Following Memento. He did Insomnia, which was this sort of, like, adult thriller that they don't make anymore with Robin Williams and with Al Pacino. But, like, he'd, all, he'd sort of branched out. He'd done the Batman movies, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. I can't imagine you could maybe cast it with Liam Neeson. <laughs> These days, it would probably be a Liam Neeson film, and it would probably have a much lower distribution. I think, like, right. as in, like, like I imagine that the ground has sort of fallen out under Insomnia to an extent that it would be a, it would almost be a direct-to-video film now, or it would be like a January release that nobody really goes and see. It'd be a Neeson season movie where it'd be like Liam Neeson is looking for his missing daughter, and nobody really pays that much attention to it. Whereas back then, you know, in two thousand three, two thousand four, it was like a big event. It was Al Pacino versus Robin Williams. Right. It's not quite Heat. <laughs> But, but it's it's almost whoever wins yeah, we, we all lose, lose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean it, it's like <laughs> that was what it was originally pitched <laughs> as working title yeah but unfortunately there was another movie coming around about that Dinner time that sort of got in there first yeah, yeah. whoever no that that's the other that's yeah that's closer to the truth of Wag the Dog oh, sorry. take that Barry Levinson um, but no I like the thing though is that the success of The Dark Knight was completely off the scale. I mean, the everybody was very excited about it when it came out. Everybody was sort of like looking forward to it. There was this huge, like really, really, really excellent publicity campaign going into it. But nobody expected The Dark Knight to become the monster that it was financially, culturally, you know, sort of critically. It became this hugely successful film to the point where like the fact it didn't get a Best Picture nomination is arguably the reason why you have the Academy trying to do stuff now like the best popular film because it's still coping 
coping from the fact that it couldn't give the Dark Knight a Best Picture nomination. But it was off that that Nolan was able to make a movie like Inception. Off that massive... Is that the Academy wanted to do that? I didn't realize that. It, like I, re- I realized that there was this push to get a Best Popular um, uh, uh, film. Like... I don't know if you've you've picked up on this, Darren. I don't really follow industry news. <laughs> um, the push came from apparently came from ABC, but it's it's a large part of what the governing. But there's a there seems to be a sort of a conflict between the governing body of the Academy. Which, right. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I love this. Which, <laughs> Andrew's like, I hope this doesn't Let me just break this down yeah. for you. There's eleven members. Yeah, I hope <laughs> you, you have all you, times. Think of it as like Game of Thrones. Um, no, don't think of it as Game of Thrones. But I, I do like the idea that we don't want the hundredth episode getting bogged down in real life politics. So we're going to talk so about industry Academy, politics. Yeah, there's ABC. Yeah. Um, but no. So the the Academy's uh, governing body, which is oh, generally no, you, you, you are going. To, yes. But okay. But very briefly, the Academy's <laughs> governing body is a lot more populist um, right. than the membership is. In that it's a lot more savvy. It's a lot more. It understands that it wants the Oscars to be this thing that is financially successful because it pays like something like ninety percent of the budget for the rest of the year um, for everything else. And Sorry. You, you um, probably shouldn't need all that turkey there. I mean, it wouldn't be so bad if you hadn't cooked it. It's, I think it's a little overcooked, if we're being entirely honest here. It, it's, it's like a real crunch to it. Yeah, it's got bite. But, but you tend to fall asleep when you've... when you. You've... I'm grand. I'm not... Trust me, Andrew. I'm, I could talk about this for like 10 hours, months, years, and not fall asleep. I could talk about it. I have the obvious problem. I'm going to drink my coffee. I don't, I don't, I don't know about you. Actually, I was I was thinking um, with some of this sweet sponsorship, though. I was thinking maybe we could get pizza later. Ooh, I think, yeah, I I I I think I think that might actually kind of uh, wake wake me up a bit. All right, well, don't worry. Look, as soon as we're finished, up just one phone call from me, and the pizza will be right here. Wow, thank you. All right, but anyway. So the, the, the governorship of the Academy is much more populist and much more like they want people to watch the ceremony because the ceremony provides like money for the rest of the year. Whereas the voting body are more like, let's just nominate movies that we like. Um, and the, the, the governing body's like, yeah, but sometimes you have to nominate movies that other people like. And the membership are like, what? Um, and, and this is Darren explaining Academy politics in a very cliche and patronizing manner. But like one of the reasons for that was because The Dark Knight didn't get a nomination back in 2008. So this is the yeah. reason why the academy is screwed up as the is. The members didn't didn't vote for it. Yeah, I like the idea of the of the academy committee kind of like going out to its members and being like, "Hey, gonna need you to vote for the Dark this uh, movie. That would be great. Yeah. yeah, you could do that and not nominate the reader. I know it's about the Holocaust. I know it's got Kate Winslet in it. I know it's a Stephen Daldry film. But if you could just like not put that as your fifth choice, we would really, really." Really appreciate it. Yeah. But was The Dark Knight also about the Holocaust? I mean, on a deep, profound level, if you want to think about it. But that's a different podcast, Andrew. I feel like we'll get to it in time. But yeah, Inception was a movie that was only made by Nolan because he had enough clout to get it made at that point. Because this was an idea he'd been bouncing around uh, from early in his career. And you can sort of see it in that it's got Inception... It's an interesting film for Nolan because it's got a lot of his earlier signifiers in there. So it's got, like, the character of Cobb. Right. Uh, originated in following 
which was his very first film. There's a character named Cobb there as well, who is a thief who breaks into people's lives and who examines them and who sort of plants little ideas that develop into notions. Um, so the oh. character of Cobb originates in following. But there's also um, this aspect, this question that runs the film about like the nature of reality, which is very much what Nolan was invested in his earlier films like Memento, um, which was around the time that came out in 99, 2000, which would be around the time that you would have had The Matrix doing it, Dark City doing it, The mm. Truman Show doing it, Existence doing it, The 13th Floor doing it, uh, Harsh Realm. Do- there was a lot of stuff happening in, in the late 90s around this particular theme. I think he felt that there wasn't enough sleeping and insomnia. <laughs> it was like, let's get her, let's fix this somehow. Yeah, yeah I mean, because that is the other trilogy. This is my George. sleeping movie. Yeah, this is the, the trilogy that it belongs to, the in trilogy, Nolan's in trilogy. Uh, the famous third part being Interstellar. Um, <laughs> They don't really talk about that trilogy that much at all. Uh, but yeah, Inception is a fantastic beast. It's he also a re- did the Kevin Klein movie, In and Out. <laughs> they don't, yeah, but he did that under a different name. He was sort yeah, of worked for yeah. hire at that stage. Just kind of came in like uh, mid uh, midway through, yeah. kind of pun- punched up the direction. Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. He's like the, he pulled a reverse Ron Howard, I think is how they describe it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, the Inception is a, is a film that's remarkable for how rare it is, how rare it was at the time. And how rare it feels even now, because there really aren't that many big budget original studio blockbusters these days. No, yeah. I guess. Uh, the, 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 sorry, the original. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the, yeah. No, no. I, I, I'm aware that there are big budget studio blockbusters these days. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, um, I was shocked that the I, I, um, that uh, recent Transformers movie was based on a whole series of movies oh. that have been made previously. Which were themselves based on a whole series of animated cartoons, which were themselves based on a whole series of toys. Ah. I mean, and again, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too damn beaten and denigrate this, because I think Nolan's like Dark Knight trilogy. It sucks. Okay, it stinks. I, yeah, th- this is why Darren only felt like a real critic when he was attending the press screening of Inception, because he's a guy who's like, hey, this is pretty great. But I mean, <laughs> stuff like, I love Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. I think the Rise of Planet of the Apes is fantastic. Like, I mean, I, I think there are good movies being made even within the confines of like the modern studio blockbuster system. But it's remarkable that Inception is so rare, that it feels so much like a unicorn. The only other real examples that I can think of are films like Dunkirk or films like Interstellar, where you have that like connection thread in common, which is that they're made by the guy who had enough power after he did The Dark Knight to make these films and to have them be massively successful. Yeah, and 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 I suppose I I imagine Interstellar wasn't quite the success um that um inception was it was close enough like it was it was one of the highest grossing movies of the year in in question it did open later he pushed it until november rather than opening in the middle of summer which is interesting um he also that was one of the movies that we'll talk about this when we get to in interstellar but like warner brothers love nolan they love him enough to give him like 150 million dollars to make this movie with no real basis for it right and they love him enough that they bought the international distribution rights to Interstellar from Paramount so they could sell that movie overseas because they were so invested in its success, which is remarkable as well. I suppose these kind of of events don't happen very often anyway. Like like the the Matrix, I think, was a little little bit unusual also for being this um, original kind of um, idea that um, I, I feel... I feel like you're also a a a fan of the Wachowskis. I am indeed. The Wachowski yeah. sisters are amazing. Um, huge, 
You know, I mean, my, my, my Cloud Atlas fandom may have come up once or twice. Sadly, we won't be covering it on this podcast because people have no taste. They're charlatans, Andrew, charlatans. It, would it be easier for them to vote it down or vote it up? That's a question, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know the answer for that one. Um, but yeah, so what about you? What do you make of Inception, just very roughly? Like, I, mean, I love it. I love it. It's, 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 um, it's, really, it's really clever. It's just... A really intelligent movie. I've heard people look at it and say it's not that clever, but I think when 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 you're looking at the kind of you 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 don't have the this structural complexity in 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 other in other movies that and to do it to do it. I think the really clever thing about this movie isn't isn't how isn't how smart it is, but how accessible uh, it is in spite yeah. of that. So it, it it's a blockbuster movie and can be a, can be appreciated just as a series of cool things that happen. Yeah, people get uh, overly uh, bogged down in this. Yeah. I mean, Nolan himself has talked about this when he talks about his movies. He said that like. People to this day try and figure out. I know you haven't seen Memento, so I'm not going to spoil it because we're not right. even we're not even in this movie spoilers zone, let alone the spoilers zone for all movies. But Nolan has talked about how, when it comes to movies like Memento, he still has people asking him to explain the ending, and he still has people asking him to explain the ending to this one without getting too specific. I mean, every couple of months it seems like there's a new headline about some other member of the cast or some video of Nolan explaining something about it that it finally answers all the questions people have. And the RT but, News, yeah, it? for example, the RT, RT News have covered it as well. Like, um, and it's crazy. Um, but it there is this sort of like no one's talked about how he finds the people who enjoy his movies most or the people who seem to get the most out of them are the people who don't ask those questions the people who just sort of go along with them and just process the stuff as it's happening yeah. and necessarily don't need everything explained after the fact although he works very hard to make sure it does line up I mean there's a- in- interpretation can be generative yeah. like you you can you can watch a movie and rather than having to kind of go to the director and ask them what the answer is, yeah. you can actually apply the mind that... That, <laughs> that, that you have yourself. That, yeah, yeah. That, that, um, that thing in between your ears. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it's fine to do that. Yeah. I think people, pe- people, people think... Um, it's the same with, like, poetry. People are like, oh... Um, There's a right answer. Yeah, I don't think I get it. Or art, like, where, where, where they're looking at it. And it's like, I wonder what the artist means. And it's like, well, what does it mean to you? Yeah, that's just as important. And, I mean, that's one of the things that I, like... Again, this is I, I'm a huge Nolan fan. I'm probably going to talk about this a lot on the podcast. One of the things I really love about Nolan, and we'll come back to the way that he conveys information, because I think that's one of the best things he does, but is the way that he constructs his movies in order to leave little lacunas and ambiguities. And he doesn't do it because he's a lazy a, storyteller. A, a, a swiftly becoming a great 250 word. Lacuna. I love it. It's a fantastic word. Yeah. Um, but it, it's uh, he creates these little spaces, uh, these little gaps, these little lacunas, if you will. Um, in <laughs> it's which... not just sponsored. It's also like there, there, there is a Department of Education um, <laughs> tie-in as well where yeah. it's like, this episode of the 250 podcast is brought to you by, by the word lacuna. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there, Nolan deliberately leaves these little spaces in his scripts, these little lacunas, if you will, uh, in order to... <laughs> the alcoves. <laughs> the alcoves. Did he talk to you about the alcoves? Uh, but he leaves these little spaces for the audience to fill in and to make their own sort of sense of. And he doesn't provide all the answers in very neat and delineated sort of ways. He provides the story all makes sense. You can follow the plot from beginning to end. But like there are repeated points where he'll leave characters 
character motivations ambiguous. He'll leave little clues to make you wonder, like to pick the prestige, for example, you wonder which character is doing what at which point and which perspective you're seeing it from. And the film never really provides a clear answer on a case by case basis, but it gives you enough information that you can play with it and try and figure out who knew what when and how it relates to what. And it's the same thing with like Memento, where the character is sort of navigating his own world and the, the film gives you enough information to understand why he's doing it and what he's trying to do, but leaves you just enough gap there that you can figure out how complicit he is in what's happening or how on complicity is or how ignorant he is or how much of him is doing this through malice versus how much of him is, you know, there's this wonderful sense that Nolan trusts the audience to reach their own conclusions and to understand that those interpretations are inherently subjective. I think it's no coincidence that this is a movie that's about movie making, but also about dreams because and, no. And I, I, I think it, it maybe says something taste obviously is there, there, there's no right or wrong. I personally quite like this movie. I think sometimes, well, there's all sorts of reasons people have for not liking this movie, but I think sometimes it kind of might come down to um, a little bit of impatience. I I, I think this is a movie that really rewards um, multiple watches, but like, ain't nobody got time for that. Nobody has time for that. Um, but I mean, this is the thing about like, cause I, we talked when we, when this came out of the random number generator machine, I sort of, I confess that this is a movie that I like a bit less than a lot of Nolan fans like you it. You do, which is, which is, which is a bit of a, like the, consider how excited you got for prestige. Yeah. Like we, we still have that audio gasp. In fact, I'm very tempted to break like 250 etiquette and just replay the recording <laughs> of the prestige coming out so we can appreciate the sound of me squealing like a little girl. Bless your buttons, Darren. It was cute. And number 49 is... <gasps> I can't see because oh, I haven't sorry. got my glasses uh, on. The Prestige. The Prestige. Uh, Christopher Nolan's Prestige, which is the first Christopher Nolan film that we've landed on using the random you number just, generator. You just heard Darren fanboy. I got the face. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hot under the color, ladies and gentlemen. No, well, who we, will we get on to talk about Christopher Nolan? I Darren? wonder who we might. I see if we can find somebody who's writing a book, possibly. <laughs> see if we can find somebody with a level of expertise in that sort of bar. But yeah, so I, I really love uh, Inception. I think it's fantastic. I think it's very well made. But I like it less than most Nolan fans because it's the film for me where. Some of the criticisms of Nolan sort of feel true. The sort of the argument that he's an overly intellectual cine- filmmaker. He's a sort of an academic filmmaker. He's sort of, he's a cynical filmmaker in some respects. Because Inception is is the movie where it feels most like, and again, like, you might mock me for my crazy theory that the real trilogy at the center of Nolan's work isn't the Dark Knight trilogy. It's the one that goes from the prestige through Dark Knight to this one. But like, I think there is some merit in that argument. I think that there are films where Nolan's working through the logic of making a blockbuster film. I'm really glad that you think there's merit to that. <laughs> yeah, because um, I feel really disingenuous if I were to make that argument without thinking there was merit to it. Yeah. But I, I do think there's... Like, I think, think it's easier to hold these views yeah. when you if actually I, think if, they're if good actually views. actually believe that there's some merit in them. Um, but yeah, I think that there, there's... I, I obviously believe that because I think it's the case. But the argument <laughs> is that what happens with Inception is Inception is the point at which Nolan basically takes apart the watch for me. It's the point at which he sort of, he opens up the whole, the watch that, the ticking watch that is like a blockbuster film and he bears, he opens it up and he explains to the audience how all the tricks work. He does that thing in the prestige 
that they say you should never do, which is you should never reveal how the trick works, because once it does, it's worthless. And there's a lot of Inception that, to me, feels like Nolan revealing the mechanics of how it works, how the mechanics of storytelling works, how the mechanics of building a blockbuster work, how the mechanics of constructing a narrative that emotionally engages with an audience works. There's a sense of, like, showing that work in Inception that isn't necessarily there in his other work and sort of, like, leaves me, makes me feel a little cold compared to some of the, the other films that he makes. I find that strange because it seems like it's almost by well it's for me it's 100 percent by design no yeah and i feel like um it's a personal response to be clear i think yeah. he knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing yeah. it yeah um, like it, it's it's very um it's very much well i suppose we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about the the uh specifics of it but i think it's something you've said to me um uh, uh, uh previously um in a in a half forgotten dream that it's kind of a a, a a little bit about filming yeah no i mean i mean it, it definitely is and i think it's like you talk a little bit about nolan's like use of information and stuff like that and the way that he's a he's a director who's very good at like he's a clever director because he introduces these high concepts and he has the audience follow them and the audience can follow them no matter what situation they're in i mean this is a and, like that, that's sometimes a criticism that people have of it it's just like i didn't get it like that, and and I guess Nolan will say like seems to say that people ask him a lot of questions. Those are people who didn't follow the movie. Well, are they? Or are they people who demand a concrete answer where he doesn't want to give one? I would say I both. Mean, okay, because I, I I like I imagine a lot of people like the the logic of Inception is very clear, where the characters are moving through this world. The world is very fully formed. How they get from A to B, where they do what they do, is is all very clearly explained and repeatedly explained. The mechanics of how it works and the rules of how it worked are clearly articulated. And this is like, one of the things like Nolan's very good at like setting up rules and systems. All his characters tend to have like rules and systems that govern their behavior. Right. Right. Inception is perhaps that literalized because it's almost two and a half hours of characters explaining to you the rules by which they should live while not actually living by those rules. Um, right. Which is great because Nolan's, Nolan in some ways feels like one of those classic film noir directors where he has characters who set up codes and systems and rules to live by and then has them completely dismantle those rules and has them fall apart as a direct result. The Joker is a great example of this in The Dark Knight in that he exists to dismantle the rules that Batman has built around himself. But even Memento is like is an idea of that where the character has rules that he follows in order to live and there's questions about whether or not he's broken those rules. But even things like, yeah, there's there's all sorts of examples like that in Nolan's work. Well, who's inspired a lot by Gremlins. <laughs> the three rules that you have to make, that you have to observe. Um, there's, I love that there, there are multiple points in this film where Cobb says the we, one we, thing didn't you... we recently watch Gremlins 2 <laughs> we may recently it have was, watched it was maybe like earlier this year or last <laughs> yeah, year yeah. it was incredible it was it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant movie and it, and it has a Leonard Maltin cameo it's a Leonard Maltin and a Hulk Hogan cameo how, <laughs> how many movies in the history of cinema do you think could combine those two titans in them well, there, there's there, there's that wrestling movie um, what is it called Over the Top where Leonard Maltin plays one of the wrestlers. I didn't know that. It's Thank not you true. for that. Oh, okay. Sorry, but, uh, but, but, but there, there is... I was really excited. <laughs> Imagine. That would be terrible casting. It's like, we know you're not an actor, and we know you don't look like a wrestler at all. But, um, bear us out on this one. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, I think one of the things... If you give us a favorable review, basically. We'll just shoehorn you in there. I wonder what his review of Gremlins 2 was like. Uh, I wonder. Because he, in in Gremlins 2, he's reading the review that he had of Gremlins 1. Yeah. Or Gremlins, as it's <laughs> as also it was known at the time. Known. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just in terms of like Nolan's conveying of information this it's one of the things that's I'm t- tying back into the idea of inception and we're going to talk about this later in more depth but like in terms of it being a movie about filmmaking one of the things that's interesting about nolan as a director is that like he's not he's frequently compared to like people like kubrick or people like for example uh hitchcock yes um and there's this we this sort of argument that he's one of those great formalists he's not really a great formalist in terms of like framing and composition and uh, mezzanine what his really great strength is as a filmmaker is in terms of editing right and in terms of slicing sequences together and in terms of processing information we talked about this in the, a bit on the prestige podcast and um, like one of the things that inception i think why inception works so well as a nolan film is because it plays to that strength ridiculously well. Because obviously he's editing across like multiple spaces uh, in in very quick succession, telling stories that unfold across multiple levels of multiple characters doing multiple things at the same time. But he's it's also a film about like conveying information. And in terms of narrative, what an edit signifies in like film school, in terms of film criticism, and in terms of filmmaking. An edit serves to the brain to tell you that this is a piece of information that's worth processing on its own. When a scene cuts from one bit to another, so when a scene has a cut within it, it's telling your brain, okay, file away what you just saw and start processing what's being put in front of you as a new bit of information. That's, for example, shot and counter shot in conversation. Uh, it's also why long takes are... like a robot watching movies. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like or, or, or it's like now now there is a new piece of information <laughs> i will place to... that in my file where i store all the information about this thing that i am watching thank you for your information <laughs> yeah, i appreciate it uh but no I, like i, th- I think there, that's why for example we'll talk about this when we get to birdman why long takes are so unsettling to the viewers because they ask the brain to process a steady stream of information instead of like cutting it up into chunks which is very disconcerting, creates an uncanny effect. It should, in theory, be more realistic, but it becomes more unsettling because it's uncanny. But Whereas- it, like, like, long takes are one of those... Artsy of- showing off director things. Yeah, where, where, where it's a kind of, like, um, a chance for a director to to kind of show a little bit of virtuosity and it, all, it never fails <laughs> yeah. to get people to talk about it. Yeah. Because people always talk about like um, in uh, in Goodfellas, yeah, like that to, scene through the restaurant, exactly to the extent that in Swingers <laughs> they talk about it while doing a while nurse. doing a long take. <laughs> yeah. And uh, speaking of um, someone we spoke earlier about, Carrie Carrie Fukunaga, yes. in uh, in the first season of True Detective, exactly. gave one of the mediums and one of the best long takes in in film or television history. I'd argue it's the eight minute long take during the botched heist in the middle of the first season of True Detective. He also does something similar, and like part of me, he does something similar in the first season of Maniac. And I like to think that he's having a bit of sense of humor about himself because it's a much pared down long take, and it's very much playing up the audacity and the absurdity of the long take that he did with uh, True Detective. So I like <laughs> to think there's a bit of like winking knowledge, like yes, I am that 
pretentious and virtuoso. Just go with it. Um, but yeah, the long takes are a way of sort of like challenging the viewer. Whereas edits are very much about conveying information and like allowing the viewer to sort of like to cut away. And one of the things that I like about Inception is that it's a movie that's structured around these cuts. It's constantly cutting to the point where like the whole movie is about like conveying information and relaying information, receiving information, processing information, and then restructuring that information into a larger holistic sort of vision of what the film's about. And it's it's like Nolan making a film that is possibly the most Nolan of films. Right. I, I mean, ignoring the fact that it's a bunch of men wearing really nice suits with slick back hairstyles, which is also another Nolan signifier. Uh, but I guess then, before we sort of jump into like the spoiler zone, before we talk to the movie in a bit more depth, there are only really three questions that we need to ask. Right. So, Andrew... Do you think that this movie belongs on the list of the top 250 movies ever made? Yes. Yes. I think while I'm not maybe a Nolanista, I I I do I do enjoy his movies and as I say along with along with The Dark Knight, uh, this is probably um my favorite, which which I guess is not a controversial opinion to have. The um I quite I, like as as it ranks among uh, Nolan movies. I'd I'd um I'd I'd probably yeah like like well I suppose that's not really what we're discussing. I'd put it on my two fifty anyway. Okay, cool. To jump to the second question exactly. Here. And I and if 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 people are wondering if if you've never seen the movie, I'd say go out and see it. You'll have a chance to 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 I suppose disagree with us in the other uh, side of the spoiler zone, and um, let let us know what you think because I think these movies tend to generate a little bit of debate and a little bit of controversy. Like I mean, like people feel very strongly about Nolan films, no matter which way they feel about them, which is kind of great in this movie landscape. Because again, like uh, I'd I'd also say by the way, if if you have seen this movie. It it does, as I say, reward a rewatch. It absolutely so, does. Um, um, absolutely, from my point of view, um, stop the podcast. Well, wait, wait to hear what Darren says first. <laughs> um, but but but, but once once we've gone, do stop it. Find it if 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 you if if you can't find it. I guess I don't know. Do stop the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. I, yeah, I, I love. I love that you left that hanging and looked at me as if like Darren complete my sentence here. Are we going to recommend that people steal movies? <laughs> no, we're I'm not. A, I'm against uh, stealing. Extract. Movies, don't extract Inception. Um, yeah. If you see Christopher Nolan sleeping on a plane, don't <laughs> sneak into his brain and this steal this. So often, where people are talking about something, and I'm like. Oh, uh, where did you where did you watch that? And it's like, oh, it's this great thing online where you can you can watch any movie you want to watch, and it's free. It's great. It's like that doesn't sound legal. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying? It's not strictly speaking legal. Is what you're saying? It's not. Strictly speaking, legal. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with most of that. I think in terms of like, I think it belongs on the 250 because I think it's a hugely culturally important film. It would probably rank a bit lower on my own personal 250 if it ranked at all there. It's probably on my re- on my regular Nolan rankings, it falls somewhere between four and seven. I think it gets on four just by virtue of being one of the big four Christopher Nolan films right up there with The Dark Knight, Memento, The Prestige and this one. Between in- four and seven? Yeah. So... Somewhere in in the middle ground with Presumably Batman Begins. you've had to do this. Yeah, I don't know if the li- li- listeners are aware. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> Darren I, I... may 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 have um, 
uh, in fact does <laughs> have, have a, a lot of expertise um, on this particular uh, but I mean just just in talking subjectively in terms of my own personal opinion of Christopher Nolan films it would probably rank somewhere between four and seven so it it it'd rank outside of Memento The Dark Knight um, and The Prestige and would probably fall in somewhere with uh, The Dark Knight Rises and Batman Begins uh, in terms of, of filmography I think it's probably ahead of those two if we're being entirely honest right um, and in terms of if you haven't seen this movie um that seems statistically quite unlikely uh but you should run out and go and see it it is one of the best blockbusters of the past 10 years i would argue it's a fantastic experience i think the statistics are skewed by people like us who've been watching it more than once times the uh, warner brothers knows how many times you've played the dvd (laughs) they probably do by the way oh no they do it's it's all blu-ray live but it's all wired in by the way um so, Andrew, yeah, just before we go into the spoilers on this, because this is the, the 100th episode, and I know we said we weren't doing anything for it. I know we promised. We're breaking off another hundo yeah, uh, next it. week. Yeah. But, um, so we, we, we got a sponsor on board, and they gave us some swag. And, like, this is a very, it's a really cool thing here, this little briefcase. Let me see this. Um, so it, it's basically, you know how, how when we talk about the podcast, and, you know, you joke and you say that, look, what... what I never joke, there. Well, you say that, you know what, what I bring to the podcast is like film criticism and film knowledge and stuff. And what you bring Accurate. to the podcast is like podcast knowledge and like understanding Inaccurate. of the medium. Um, and I mean, like I've been sort of thinking about that. And I was thinking what we might do is I think if we use this right, we might be able to get access to your inner film critic. Think I, might. I don't see I don't see how but but I I mean you might you might tell me how it works all right we'll be back after this commercial message this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Saito Industries the mysterious Saibatsu that brings you energy solutions sedatives mineral exploration and now international airlines Darren yes you're a man who likes to fly first class, am I right? Well, I don't like it, Andrew. I need it. I can't fly business anymore. Well, what about economy? <laughs> so, I mean, tell me about it. I mean, I find now that when I'm flying, businesses today don't really understand me as a customer. There's no real consideration for the experience of flying. I had this one experience on a Cobalt flight where I was like, it was just horrible. I just, it felt Well, like- we can't speak for Cobalt engineering. On Saito Oceanic, we're possessed of some radical notions. You're greeted with your choice of French diuretic champagne or crystal glassed drugged mineral water. What? Sorry? Crystal glassed. And, and after that? Mineral water. Okay. All of our drinks, foods, and amenities are brought to you by discreet air hostesses who don't ask questions. Oh, that That's great, Andrew. That's fantastic. But I find I have a lot of trouble sleeping on these long-haul flights. I just can't get under. Sure. You've spent $5,000 redos on a flight. Of course you want to be asleep for the whole thing. And we'll make sure you do, Darren. What, what do you mean? Just go to SWAindia.com. And use the promo code SOYBOYS. That's SWAindia.com promo code SOYBOYS. Thanks very much, Saito.
Hello and welcome to the Scanlon Podcast, your weekly look at the world of film news, Irish and international. I'm your host, Darren, and joining me are... Jay. Andrew. Grace. And this week we're going to talk about what we normally talk about, which includes the top ten, the upcoming releases, and the week in film news. But we're going to start with what we normally do. So, Jay, what have you watched recently? Well, I rewatched Inception. Huh. Oh. Interesting. <laughs> so funny you should say that. Yeah. Wow, I, I, okay, what I'm a coincidence. Well, What's happening here? <laughs> Jay looks terribly weird. Yeah, Jay looks, really Jay looks a little strange. Uh, yeah, we're all looking hey, at you a bit like, odd. Like, I know I'm rewatching an older film, right? Yeah, which is a unusual bit, for little me. little out of character. Right, but, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, not be afraid. Right. You know, Should get you into sort of, it. But when, so is this the first time you rewatched it since it was released? No, okay. I watched it when it came out. I watched it a couple of years after. So what about you, Dickman? 2010. So I would have watched it a couple of years after, probably 2012, 2013, okay. and I haven't seen it since. Nice. Okay. So what do you make of it? Um, rather surprisingly, I really, really liked it. Oh, um, yeah. I quite liked it when it came out. It's one of Nolan's better films for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the for various reasons, and we'll get to it as we get into it, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's more of a pure blockbuster in a way that seems more enjoyable even to the director than his other films do. Yeah, it's a very pure streamlined, like, there's a sense of, like, Nolan designing the film because he wants to make a blockbuster to a point where, like, there's, um, is it Chris, is it Boardwell? Um, the film critic Boardwell. Dave Boardwell. Dave Boardwell has argued that, like, one of the reasons why Inception is structured the way that it is is because Nolan had in interviews talked about how he loved slow motion as a, just as a visual thing that he could enjoy on a film, on a screen. But he could never believe slow motion in the narrative of a film. He could never understand why uh. a film actually slowed down and sort of slow, showed things happening in slow motion without any explanation for why it was doing it. And not Bo- even The Matrix? Not, not even The Matrix. And Boardwell was Boardwell sort of looked at this and he looked at Inception he's like well when you frame it like that it kind of looks almost like he structured Inception specifically so he could get to a point where he could shoot stuff in slow motion and make, for it to make sense for it to make sense yeah, for okay. him within the world of the film I can see that I feel like that sums up Nolan in a nutshell it's like I'm going to go out my out of my way to make this seem as artsy and pretentious as possible rather than just being like I want to make slow motion shots so I'm going to do theory, one I agree with you and I think like <laughs> I think in some films that the films suffer because of that kind of intellectualization of what he's aiming at, but I think he marries it quite well to the blockbuster blockbuster format here. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the ideas with it, things within a thing within a thing, is quite a nice hook for a blockbuster. I think it's, mm-hmm. and I think I think it's a terrible idea. I think yeah. it's to great. have like a, a, a things a dream within, within a dream within a dream. Yeah. Within, it's like people are going to switch off. Yeah. You know what Somewhere. I remembered after watching this? The memes. The quality inception yeah, memes. But I, I think if, if you don't like it, I think people are probably doing a little bit of a disservice. I think I think what's going on, I think the early part of it is kind of a little rough going because the audience has to be kind of led a little yeah. bit. There's, there's quite a bit of expedition I dialogue, the, right? the later part of it, is, is, it drags. I it thought really this, I drags. Really, I thought it flew, to be honest. No, I, was, I, I, I think it, it opens really well. But then, like, despite what I said there a few minutes ago, I also feel like this is the closest you're going to get to Nolan not taking something very seriously. I agree. I think it's um, the most fun probably, he has, and fun is yeah, in inverted commas. That's probably why it's more enjoyable than some of his other kind of grimdark type stuff. Um but no, I do like I, I was also surprised by how much I like this. I remember liking it a lot, but um, parts of it have aged badly. I do think it's just very silly, incredibly silly. Um, and I also feel it's too long and it does run out of steam I when think, they get into yeah. like the third dream level where it's snowing. 
I kind of like that because that's a Bond Lazenby kind yeah, of Yeah, the Honor Magic Secret yeah. Service. But it's, it's a very video. obvious. Yeah, but like, I didn't did mind it. probably my favorite it's part of the movie. Yeah. No, I like the middle part in the hotel. The hotel, the, yeah. I'd probably agree with that. I think it's probably the best part. But I do like I the introductionary there. bit where they're in the kind of kind of Mumbai kind of Indian whatever yes. it is Mombasa sort of thing Mumbai, yeah, yeah. yeah where there's crowds coming and it's not it's, I like that the, the, the tension and the yeah, anxiety yeah. And it's, it's quite well done the way in which mm-hmm. it sort of like blurs and again you know this is not to, to over intellectualize it and I think that that happens a bit with Nolan films in general but yeah. with this in particular where you have the whole oh is he dreaming the whole time but it really accurately conveys a sense of paranoia and anxiety about like not knowing whether you're really where you think you are because there's a bit mm-hmm. where he runs down the little alleyway and it's impossibly he, narrow he oh, three stooges that. into but, it, yeah. though. But, but, yeah, but he's because trying like, to run this way when it's like just turn sideways to caps. Like, why? Exactly the kind yeah, of mistake I like make in dreams, though. Yeah. This is yeah. like the version where like you see people Prometheus in a movie running away instead yeah. of running to the side. I'm like, to caps, turn sideways. Just nudge yourself. Turn sideways. T- take take two seconds. Calm down. But it does kind of work because he gets he gets there quite yeah. quickly and. He's in it before, he, and he can't go back. Yeah. So it like it does kind of work once you once you accept the fact that there's a lot of pressure on. He people just going to cuts out some WD forty. Yeah, eases the shoulder like the down. Tin man just take out yeah. and oil the joints there. But but it does it. I really like those Mombasa sequences as well because they create like a palpable sense of tension, and they feel like they. They almost feel like obviously Nolan is is doing what he's doing in a dream, which is he's playing with genre because you have that whole sense of like anxiety where he's running down. He yeah. goes into the cafe and he pretends to be like playing yeah. checkers and drinking yeah, yeah. tea. And you have that wonderful sequence where DiCaprio is like to the waiter who's like, "Will you order something?" Yeah, him. DiCaprio's like, "Don't draw attention to me. Don't draw and attention to me." Then he's like, he's like "Look at our own." Yeah, just uh, trying to be a normal guy. I'm not Leo today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've kind of quite a few things that I could kind of add that made me warm to him a lot more this time. Um, Hardy is not as bad as he usually is. You can understand what he's saying. I mean, which first is a, of all, how dare you? Second of all, you know how I'm not dare a Hardy you? man. <laughs> I just thought you're not a Hardy buff. I, I had a, a wonderful nostalgic moment watching this, where I was like, "This is the film that introduced all of us to yeah. Tom Hardy." Yeah. Like, and for that alone, it deserves to be celebrated. He's, he's crazy. Immediately kind of, after Bronson, it was yeah, it was yeah. the one that really brought him and, to and attention. Right from yeah. like his first scene, you're just like, "Oh, I love Tom Hardy." He's good in this though. I he's, can't he, believe he there was a that, time I didn't know who he you was. You know, kind of British diplomat abroad kind of a thing. He's he's playing that green green type character, like that. He is kind of. A yeah. 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 but also also completely out of his element, but oh, yeah, yeah. comfortable with that. Right, like, I, do like the, I do like the needle between him and Joseph Gordon-Levitt all the way through yes, the film. The, the it's it's guys, really good. Two guys. Like, you mean the, the sexual tension? I do mean that. <laughs> Your condescension yeah. is ever is greatly appreciated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And, but the other thing I quite liked about it as well is that there's even like glimpses, and I only and I will say glimpses, but there's glimpses of Nolan's humor here and stuff like that. Yeah, no, yeah. and humor in the same. I know, sentence. but the, the I things just, like I, I like. Agree I with Grace a little bit. I, 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 I know Darren really loves uh, Nolan's humor. And he, he, he did a little shoulder dance. Yeah. yeah, but he did, did a little did sort of like Darren Leo, shoulder dance. Leo making his way through a Mombasa corridor <laughs> dance uh, is what I call it. But yeah, but with a smile on his face. Yeah, as if opposed anyone to panic is too and serious in this movie, it's to caps. Oh yeah, light lighten up a wee bit. Yeah, but the thing is, I like that he did. He have like a. The Edith Piaf song is the uh, song, Vivian Rose, which is after 
Cotillard playing yeah. her in the film and stuff like that. It's There's totally like that's also like on an ad right now that was playing on the television while I was watching this, oh, which no, was a little freaky, unsettling. Yeah. Killian Murphy with a bag over his head. There, <laughs> as, as in from, like, from, yeah, from Scarecrow. Begins or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. There's so many kind of like little in jokes and that, that he puts in, I which I tea. don't enjoy because they're yeah. kind of masturbatory. But it's like, remember the movie I watched? Sorry, remember that movie I made? Yeah, but it's not as bad. You saw it and enjoyed it? I think he's... But he, he, he's trying like, to be funny he's trying to show look kids I have a sense of humour too like, he, he's, but this it is, comes this across is, like that this yeah. is the thing about like Nolan's sense of humour is that Nolan's sense of humour he is, has one he, first, of all, first of all he has one which oh, is yeah. not, and it's not yeah. entirely fair like the criticism it's, it's like, also not evident they're all, all the time though. but oh, yeah no. to be fair no most of his movies are pretty humourless artisan I, look I, how amazing I am I would, kind of movies like they don't lend themselves to humour give me five, six examples I'm so torn I want to gang up on that I want six examples I'm not saying genuinely most of his films do not have a comedic edge okay. the, the most you'll get is maybe the actor will bring talk, comedic edge talk. but it's not evident in film itself like, Darren is oh. like, <laughs> let, let him let him let him have no, his no, moment no, hold on, I hold want on, to hear no, this no, no, hold on. but uh, what I would argue is that Nolan's approach to humour is radically different from what we accept from modern blockbusters particularly the Whedon inspired like MCU films where it's all ironic hip look we know we don't take this seriously we, sorry, we, talked, we talked a little bit about that when we had Luke on the podcast where it's like you talk about like the Mission Impossible things where it's like if you did that joke about mass and Mission Impossible in an MCU movie be like well we made the joke so you don't have to whereas Nolan's jokes tend to work in the context of the film so for example the Joker in The Dark Knight is freaking hilarious there's oh, a yeah. truck it's on yeah. fire it's a fire truck yeah. um, for example but even all the stuff with Michael Caine the stuff with Tars even the little bits here the, you mentioned the bit between like Eames and Arthur where it's yeah. you know your condescension is much appreciated as ever that sort of stuff or you know I'm I, like I, I feel like uh, Hardy brought a lot of the humour to that yeah role. I was about I, to say it never yeah, feels fairness, like though, the, the humour is something Nolan put there uh, it feels but, like something the actor brought I will to say it. though in that regard <laughs> Though it, you, it's very hard to kind of slag him off and have a sense of humor, but then when there's humor in this film, saying, "Well, it's not him." It's always you know, the it's actor. a little unfair. Mm, it's it such unfair. I'm not it saying just, he's yeah, no. I, like he's not. He's not making him. this something about Mary. I, like I mean, he's no, not, no, no, yeah, no. But, but no, my point is, Although it never feels like something that is textually evident in the film it feels like something an actor thought it would be fun I, to play the I, line I, in the I think that's a touch unfair I tell you where you're coming from exactly I and mean, generally there is an extent to which that. that's yeah. true and to which they enhance uh, some of the actors do but but there's definitely I I suppose so. I mean, even even like, the like, character of Alfred in the Batman movies is always hilarious, yeah. and that's not and all. Pan. Michael Caine, like Michael Caine, mm-hmm. I, I admit is a very charming man. Yeah, but he's also like. But a, he's a Brexit voter. Yeah. Okay. Also, also that. But I feel like he's not a. I, he wouldn't be a particularly great improviser in the role of Batman's butler. He's no. a Brexit mm-hmm. voter in this movie as well. He's, uh, <laughs> he's like a, a Brit living yeah. abroad who's like, yeah. oh, I, could, I couldn't go. Would back presumably to my a foreign full wife. Of immigrants. I'm guessing it's implied. Yeah. 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 I think where the film suffers a little bit. Um, for me, is for sections when Marion Cotillard is not on screen because she's possibly the best thing about it. And, she's not in most of it. No, I know, but when she's on screen, the movie pops. goes up a notch. It really pops. Yeah. She is fantastic in it. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the, the structure of the thing is such a thing that she's yeah. only in it. But my God, does she make the well, she, The look that she gives incredible. when the lift is going up. I yeah. mean, even, even, yeah, even wordless passages where she's yeah. just reacting to stuff. Yeah. And it's remarkable because she is playing, uh, and I think that Cobb describes her as a shade. Yeah. He's, she's playing like a personification of his issues with women. And we're probably going to talk a little bit about that later in the podcast. But she's playing like this manifestation of something, an embodiment of something. And Cotillard brings so much to it where there's almost like there's heartbreak there 
there in her final scene with Cobb when they're on top of the building yeah. in Limbo where she's crying and you have that wonderful shot of like the tear that wells up but because her face is at the angle it is it sort of gets in the corner of her eye as opposed to like dripping down like yeah. a tear normally does it looks almost like her eyes drowning but even stuff like her, her you're right the glance that she makes as the lift is going the way she responds to Ellen Page for example yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's all great yeah I think she's 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 fantastic and, and she's one of those actresses that doesn't get nearly enough to do in everything she's in yeah. and and isn't in nearly enough to appreciate yeah. but, but she's anytime I see her on screen I'm like alright yeah, I, I'll go with good. this yeah. like, you know, I'll, I'll go with it and she's one of the best actors for a generation I would, I would agree that. for a relatively small filmography at least in the English language yeah, I mean yeah. obviously she's done more over in France and stuff but but uh, yeah, the, the film does suffer a little bit without her because uh, DiCaprio wherever about, and I like DiCaprio as an actor I think he's a very very good actor but he's a little dour in this. I think Grace yeah. alluded to it earlier. I, I don't think he really suits this role. I agree. I think he needs well, somebody with a little more personality, a little I, more. Someone, yeah. It, well, it felt like a part for someone who was older, for yeah, starts. I think starters. that's probably fair. Um, sorry. Yeah, but and also just someone who, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to articulate, but it just always feels like he's just a little bit too serious. Like you need the impression of there being like a more of a person behind this really wearied veneer and I think part of that might be age because he just doesn't look old enough to be playing someone who's just, just kind of worn yeah, out by but everything. he's always had that little bit in his career yeah but may degree. maybe a, an actor with a little bit more nuance because I think Leo can be very he's very good like I liked Caps a lot but he can be very very intense and not have an off switch and I think at certain points of this movie he needed an off switch yeah, yeah. Agree I, I kind of forgive um the 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 casting or the performance of 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 DiCaprio in this because I I wa watching this now I've watched it a few times which is not like me at all um so but but the last watch that I had um I was thinking oh this is this is just a, a movie about a guy who's having a uh, mental a breakdown, breakdown. Yeah. um and he he's still coming into work and people are starting to 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 notice that that but his work like is becoming affected but they have to kind of like cover, cover for yeah. him mm -hmm. and 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 he has the, the 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 person that he's confiding in and the people who are ignoring it but but it's very apparent that that and he's that, coming apart at the edge he's sort of fraying that, he, that he's lost it because... I'd, go, I'd go a step further though I think DiCaprio is the villain of the film oh yeah undoubtedly oh, yeah. Very, and very well, very much well, drives everything that goes wrong all the way through it like, because yeah. it's a movie about misogyny and and people kind of like in some ways and people criticize it because there is like we don't we don't really have the victim's perspective we don't really even have a witness's perspective because like Ariadne is so kind of sympathetic but it, it's kind of it's almost like it's it's a, a very personal movie uh, by a man saying that um, misogyny isn't um, isn't strictly a it, woman's problem. It's, it's, it also affects men, and it also yeah, like, and it comes from men. That yeah. it's not it, it's 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 about men. Yeah, it's not about it's women. Not like, because about women. The it's because of, of them hating themselves that they that they they project push it out, they literally outward. project into this personification of Mal, yeah. who is literally called bad. Like that's that's the French pronunciation. Like who names their child Mal? No, her name is Mal. Mal. I've been saying this. M O L. Oh, okay. As a I got the impression it was like Molly. I thought it was a gangster small. Okay. That's where I thought it was from. Because she does I've play almost femme fatale. Weird feeling like we've had yeah. this conversation yeah. before. Yeah. Echoes, Andrew. Echoes. Yeah. If only we knew somebody else writing a book about this uh, <laughs> yeah. to, to fact check. But yeah. You don't have to know how things are pronounced if you're writing a book. <laughs> That's true. I'm not sure I'd go that far in terms of the film being about misogyny. But then I have very mixed feelings about this because this this 
like I said before, I just feel like somebody needed to take a scalpel to this movie because it feels like two different things and I can't quite figure out what it wants to be about. I think there's a really interesting story in there that's exclusively about um, Cobb, that's his name, and Maul and that, like, that whole what he's going through with that experience and, and, and the way he treated his wife and everything else, like, that is a story in itself. But then it just doesn't, me for me anyway, it doesn't really mesh well with the rest of it, which is more of like a sort of a camp blockbuster type spectacle, yeah. which feels like it should have been more light. I know what you mean. I think there's and a drama in there trying to get out. But there, it just tries to pack so much in yeah. and it goes on forever. And I don't think it's like, it's good. Like, I like it a lot, but I just feel like it would have been better if he had picked just one part of the story to focus on rather than trying to tell this very deep, personal, sensitive, um, like very affecting story about like domestic violence and abuse and everything and then the rest of it is like guns and explosions and so on like it does it doesn't all marry successfully married it too yeah I and like, like the, because then the film gets so preoccupied with two hours of expository dialogue and characters that exist just to explain things that i just feel like it really detracts from what could have been something a lot more concentrated and effective well that is what it it is it's, mm -hmm. it's like a hundred percent Exposition. exposition and then mm -hmm. the, the the it's all, almost like that's what they kind of wanted to do well that is I, what nolan I, explicitly said like he, it's yeah. a heist movie and nolan noticed that heist movies and we talked about like even like oceans 11 um but even like oceans 8 this year for example heist movies are by their nature exposition you have characters talking about what mm -hmm. they're going to yeah, do yeah. how they're going to do it showing you how they're going to do it as you watch them do it and then the climax of the heist is watching them actually do what they've been talking about mm -hmm. doing for the whole film to that point but that's my point it, it feels weird to have that in the background which is a much more kind of I don't know I didn't mind easy so going much, concept um, and then having this like ostensibly very dark subject matter also well, going on which I'd, doesn't really work for me because it feels very ancillary I like that Nolan movies are these kind of rude Goldberg machines of yeah. all these incongruous parts that he Maybe that's that, that, like that yeah, it I feels like he he, he does them, anyway. a, a like a whole like kind of wall whiteboard and then starts kind of like putting up things, things and connecting them with the that, that's red fine and, and and that's the he's the, the obsessive kind of I want this and he's very ambitious and whatever and that's great I mean that's but I think what I think Grace alludes to and I think it's it's absolutely correct it's a reason why a lot of people that wouldn't be his biggest fans have problems with his films because they don't mm -hmm. necessarily marry together or come together or like as a first and foremost, the film it's supposed to do its thing, and if it's if it's if you're going to be abstract and pack lots of stuff in, yeah, you better be able to do that successfully in a way to kind of. Well, you, you need to be it. able to tell a story line, in a cohesive though. way. Yeah, like no one can doubt Nolan's techno technical ability or his no. visual eye. Like he's amazing, like really spectacular for that. But I just he cannot tell a story very well I suspect at all like it, uh, with the exception of The Dark Knight which I think is told well although he wasn't the only person involved in writing that which may be why it turned out better than it did but I just feel like he gets so caught up in the visual aspects of it that there's a lot of there's no real heart to it and sometimes you can see where he wanted to put that yeah. in and it doesn't hit home because it gets overly convoluted and overly mm. preoccupied with other things I I, I kind of suspect because of how big Nolan is that we're kind of like judging him as like a, a mature film director. It almost mm -hmm. feels a little bit like he he's he, he's kind of like gone from early Nolan to mid Nolan and he's in early mid Nolan. Yeah, but I'm not that that, that 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 like I've 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 and 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 it 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 happens to people who are very like prodigious and talented. where 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 they come out with something and it's not really kind of 
like there there's something um incomplete about it incomplete but about it but but like marvelous at the same time like i think about early stafford well i mean tip, tip. and the the way they like people would criticize them about kind of like um oh they're very clever but um, they're clever clever yeah clever yeah. clever and 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 not really having heart like the way the people talk about nolan well, one of one of the things about nolan that i particularly respond to um as a, as a fan of his work um surprising absolutely nobody listening to this podcast but one of the things that i really like about him is the sense that he's constantly pushing himself into yeah. areas that are uncomfortable for him so for example with inception you have the character of mal who is this dead wife but she's the ultimate dead wife and in some way she feels like a commentary on the character from all the previous films the dead wife who appeared in memento for example um the dead rachel dawes from the dark knight to pick another example the dead wives who were in the prestige and mal is like this this personification embodiment of that and it's almost like an exorcism so that he can move on to writing better female characters in say the dark knight rises which has like selena kyle uh talia gulen and or even like interstellar they're better characters they might have more lines uh, murph for example dreadful character uh, and her first character is Awfully written. Yeah. Uh, I would suggest. And Jessica Chastain does great with a small amount. I'm just sorry, I just want to go back to what Andrew was saying in terms of uh, like Nolan has made how many films? Nine, ten films? Ten films. Like if you haven't figured out. It's not like, that he hasn't figured out. He's constantly, like, so for example. I don't think he is. Con- if you're going to say he's constantly pushing himself, yeah. pushing it. But I, I would I, argue I would he's argue kind of. He's made three he's... films of a of a series for starters, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, anybody's pushing themselves isn't making sequels, generally speaking, as a rule, right? Okay. In in the modern blockbuster landscape, he has only made two sequels of ten films. That's a pretty phenomenal track record for a director working with that budget. But maybe not. He's, he's, he's Kubrickian levels of control. Like, he can do what and, he pretty much wants. And like, I'm not being funny, but like, there's a very I, I, few I, I, directors I, I, have I know, but he, he has, didn't like. have that when he made The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight no, was the movie that gave him that, so he sure. made one sequel yeah, after yeah, that. Right, Grant. And that one sequel was very much a favour, a return favour to the right. studio. Okay. But what did Dark Knight Rise? That's what I'm saying. The Dark Knight Rises is the other sequel, and that was very much a favour to the studio. But, like, that's that's it. That's only that he's done his own projects. He did Inception. Because he can do anything. Because he can, yeah. But I don't think he, like, I I hear what you're saying, right? But my issue is that when you look at the progressive nature of his films, like from so, the last few years, right? So, for example, so say, say from Inception. So, so, like, you criticize him for not having enough heart. So, he makes Interstellar, which is a film that is very much about heart. Now, regardless which of whether not, it's Interstellar is emotionally yeah. vacuous. It's not, yeah, sorry. It, it is. is. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, again, it's, it's visually something that's gorgeous, but it's very, very poor storytelling. And there is no emotional core in that movie. The only Whoa. bit of emotion in it is Matthew McConaughey's now infamous crying scene when you might feel like oh this is rough well, the rest of it is not going to move you at all unless the a- emotion you're experiencing is anger it moved me a great deal but I mean regardless of whether or not you think it works Nine. regardless of whether or not you think it works it's a movie that posits the idea of love as a force that's as strong in the universe but here, as gravity this, but... this may be the issue though is that he's looking at it in a very technical clinical way yeah. which does not lend itself to actual pure bridled emotion but... it's like somebody studying it instead of capturing it okay but but again to, to get back to the idea of like pushing himself you have like the criticism of like we talked about this film being so exposition heavy mm-hmm. and then he does goes and goes and does dunkirk which is this really tight 100 minute film with a minimum amount years. 
Yeah, but with a minimum amount of exposition. I agree. And, like, and, like, and so there is a sense of a director who I, is yeah, edging and, himself. He's, not, ambi- he's not, not edging himself. Yeah. Okay, pushing himself. Pushing, like Sorry. going further than like finding areas in which he's deemed to be uncomfortable and trying to go Where a little bit further. Where is that movie he's going to be edging himself? He still shoots himself in the foot in Dunkirk by telling it in this weird arse over tit way. Like, I mean, it was so, so close to being perfect. And then he had to be like, no, we've got like some non-linear timeline going on let's, because let's be Wink, I'm because so. Apparently, people yeah, walked away that. from the movie and never really realized that they had and even enjoyed happened. it either they way. Were, yeah. They were like, "What? What do you mean?" Yeah. Kind of well, the fr- fact they were supposed to be on that beach for what a week. But the fact that I, I, I kind of agree, Grace. I think he is an ambitious filmmaker. I don't think anybody doubts that. But and I think his ambition is rooted skilled. in the technical. But but I do think that it doesn't necessarily make him a great filmmaker. Like. If you could give any filmmaker the control he has, right? It won't make them a great filmmaker unless they're a great filmmaker. Like control, skill, whatever. I don't yeah. think he's a very good writer. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I would like the to problem see him make lie. something or make more movies that he hasn't written. Yeah. And I've aimed that at, he's not the only filmmaker I've aimed that at, by the way. There, yeah. there are other filmmakers that I, I've accused of that that I wouldn't, I like uh, Guy Ritchie is a perfect example. Guy Ritchie's, a, I think, a very, very technically interesting filmmaker. And I wish he didn't write any films because he can't write to save his life, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think, and, and I'm not comparing Guy Ritchie with Christopher yeah. Nolan. But but really or am I? Torturing Darren here. Okay. I'm not, so like, give us I a number, Darren. Though, I admire any Nolan, <laughs> but I've, I've never... <laughs> Six digits. <laughs> First one's coming to I think he's head. made Memento as, as a great film. I think that's pretty much it as a great film. And I think Grace alluded to the idea that somebody else wrote it with him. Uh, in terms I was, of and well, this, well, Moment, Memento, he wrote yeah. himself yeah. from a short story based by based by his brother. Yeah, uh, Memento was genuinely excellent. It's the best film like, he's made. It's, it's a it's a masterpiece, is my opinion, okay. and it's the only great great film he's what, made. But what, I, I, I would like argue the Dark Knight is also. I like the Dark Knight, but not quite as much. No, as both I, I love it. I really what I would say though, in terms of like criticizing Nolan as a writer of his own films, he's a writer who consciously plays to his own strengths. We talked about like him writing this movie to enable him to shoot slow motion, to pick another example. But you have things is like that the... writing, or is that just like technical wankery? We we say wankery, and we're describing we're describing the scene where 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 you see the hand of the clock ticking and the car blowing up at the same time. To call that wankery? No, it's not. That's uh, not calling that. That's two different things. No, if you write a script purely. But how 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 do we dismiss this? Like, oh well, he's all technical, and but like the the artistry at what he's actually doing. Nobody can deny that he can. Nobody here at this table is denying that he can put a film together in terms of awe and spectacle. I don't think anybody. My point is that that nobody in his movies are gonna like you're not gonna sit there and actively like root or care about them after you've seen it. They're not gonna stick with you. I root and care for them. I don't. Uh, But I I do. I do admire them to varying degrees depending on which film I'm watching. Yeah. But, but I, I think this is like Nolan is like academia as a filmmaker. You know, he's someone who pushes himself, technically speaking, and makes really like visionary films. But there, it's he's studying things. He's not capturing them. That's that's my issue. Like it's. There's no heart in any of them. It it feels like he made it just to be like, oh, this is an amazing shot. And we're like, yeah, it is an amazing shot. Is there a story to go with it? No. But the incredible incredible thing is like we talk about about him as if like if only he could uh, just do this or do that, he he would be far more successful. No, no, as, as, as if he's no, no, not no. like well, success a, he's incred- is not a measure it's of all merit as evidenced yeah. by the success of many many terrible films, including but not limited to Transformers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, like this is why it, it's almost as if we're saying like this is why. People people don't like 
but a Christopher lot of people, Nolan movies. I think when, a lot of people I, I don't like I think there is a dividing line, definitely. Yeah, but the people, people that love the people that love Nolan films, level. everybody that doesn't love Nolan films know the people that love Nolan films because you never hear the end of your criticism. Will we ever hear the end of it, Darren? <laughs> that is a question. Darren, Darren's interesting because Darren at least looks at them in a very various different ways. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm talking about Nolan no, Easters. No, 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 I mean, no, you no, don't. Not for nothing, yeah. you get a name. It's as me, fan maybe the most <laughs> damning thing we could say about Nolan is that, like, he doesn't make us angry. He just disappoints us. I'm like, you could be so much better if you just. I don't really this. care. Like, I, I'll see a Nolan film every time because I think visually they're always interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. But I, I know going in, I, I set my kind of expectation level somewhere in the middle of. If it's decent and watchable, that's fine. Yeah, and but, it uh, rarely goes above that. There's always something clunky throughout the film. Stand up for yourself, Darren. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of like, oh, okay, okay. Well, okay. Well, I mean, we I mean, have a Darren that's just right, but, and yeah. but, I mean, come on, at various I, different points. Like, however, I would say, yeah, I, I, just I, like stand up for yourself. I like, I like how but, I sound like Mark Zuckerberg. When you're <laughs> but no, I, I would argue that yeah, okay. First of all, ignoring the fact that Nolan's films do emotionally move me, and I find yeah, something yeah, very moving enough. and very affecting mm-hmm. in, in this story of a man who's had this horrible thing happen to him and is internalized and turned into this like repressive monster that manifests itself in this murderous sort of shade that he's fashioned in the form of his ex-wife and who basically needs to exercise that in order to get home both spiritually physically you know and literally yeah. and, and I, I find something very moving and very I sweet find and the I film find... the, 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 the kind of uh, the technical box construction of the film very interesting and I do like it in that regard I do like the, the, the ultimate end journey and stuff I do yeah. think it actually works in the film for the most part yeah but I, I don't know I just I, I see him as a director who is like constantly pushing himself in the way that we talked about like who is who looks at his films like famously he boasted that he didn't want to make Dunkirk with a script he wanted to make Dunkirk without a script to see if he could physically do that hi oh well served Jay Uh, but yeah he like sorry he he looks at the like and he he claims he doesn't read online criticism but he clearly looks at his films and tries to adjust them and tinker with them I honestly think for example Inception is very clearly a response to criticism about the way that he fridged women in other in other movies in that it's literally the revenge of a fridged character through the manifestation why doesn't he just make films and stop worrying about things and stop yeah. over intellectualizing everything? I don't think he over intellectualizes. I, I think he does. Yeah, I think he does. Over intellectualization is Nolan down to a T. It is. For me. I'm it's sorry, a ski but it chase. Is. Like there's a ski chase. That does not. Darren, just because it's a ski chase doesn't mean you can dismiss one whole argument. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I like I and I appreciate the ski Dunkirk chase. And I appreciate it. is an argument for, for <laughs> Nolan as over intellectualization. Yeah. So the perfectly linear story takes far fact, too much intellectual. And he's like, no, I'm in, gonna tell in, it back to front because that is, will make though, it like exactly it. cool or, or like artistic or something. Why is that a problem? Because do it doesn't work. work. Understood this. It doesn't it's work like, for a film. Like it really doesn't No, it doesn't. This is the kind of like Nolan doesn't work. Um, no, we talking about Dunkirk doesn't work. He has this idea of a film, and I think it's an interesting idea of the, the land, the sea, and the, the, air. the air. Yeah, right? he did That's not have to with that. Yeah, he could have yeah. left it exactly like, as like, it was. You were saying Nolan pushed it. I was like, yes, and then I'm gonna make this film. It's like, no, hang on. Do you know what I could do to test myself and push it up? I could do X, X, and X to make it really different, and I'll yeah. do it that way, and then I'll make it shorter just to make because I can yeah. do that. Like that's all well and good, but. It, at the end of the day, you're supposed to serve your film as opposed to serve yourself. Yeah. And at the end, like, we end up as it. I, I don't, I don't, like, I think that a work Nolan. of art is, is incredibly personal. I think any work of art. And I think it's rare that you're making, like, this is a movie with, like, a $150 million budget. And it feels to me quite personal. It feels like Dunkirk something. Dunkirk or Inception? No, Inception, to pick an example. I, I'm less sure about Dunkirk. Dunkirk feels quite like he's pushing himself technically 
but didn't really connect with me in the same way emotionally as the other ones do. But like films like, for example, Interstellar feels like it's him dealing, and he's talked about this in interviews, him dealing with the fact that he's never home for his kids because he's always off doing these things that like making movies that take him years to make, but which only end up being oh, two hours. Um, and this is Inception. Did he actually say that? Please uh, tell me he didn't say that. Uh, I believe his wife, Emma Thomas, perfect. might have. Right. Right. I, I Didn't he just bring his kids with well, him in his multi-million why, dollar yacht or whatever? Why, why is that a problem? Though? This is a very, this seemed to me a very personal movie. Yeah, no, and exactly. the same way with it in Interstellar seemed a very personal movie. But it's, and, and Interstellar like, is not a good film. But it's, it's, a, pers- it's a personal but movie like on a massive scale, which is incredible to see. Like, I think this is maybe the divide that Grace was talking about, the gap that exists between like the, the two stories. It is this yeah. big blockbustery thing that exists, like formulaic. You've got your exposition, you've got your ski chases you got your fight in the hallway uh, but it's also this like weirdly personal thing about a guy who's processing what it is to manage like but, a thing that's know, bothering him creatively it feels almost like then you know if you want to tell a personal story and i guess you can tell it whatever way you want but the thing that i find off-putting is that he has to take something which apparently he professes to be a personal story and turn it into this massive ostentatious overreaching you just make a 10 million ridiculousness like, like I mean there was no he doesn't it, like that yeah you see that's <laughs> the point <laughs> though like, <laughs> and, like push you, yourself you, make you, a drama for either, 28 million no, he, he, okay well he, first of all he's talking about that he knows that he's not going to be able to keep making 100 million dollar movies of forever he so, he can so, make them forever and so nobody's he not will reach the money. stage where he's directing the post and then he'll do his <laughs> he will make 200 million dollar films forever and ever unless he doesn't want to okay because he, he, you, you he don't think that involved. he'll end up with like the Scorsese or Spielberg thing where he'll Scorsese eventually age out Scorsese he'll... was never successful this in comparison to Spielberg it really needs to end it's the Kubrick comparisons need to end it's oh not, the Kubrick no, 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 comparisons Kubrick are insane are, although in fairness he doesn't help himself at the end of Inception I though. feel in yeah. terms as well of the she so, yeah, essentially has the, the, the room he does the rotating room. yeah he does the rotating he does the room as well at the end he possibly room and the dream is essentially from the end of 2001 or the holodeck from Star Trek but yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but even the rotating corridors clearly modeled yeah, yeah. 2001 as well to give another example but I mean you know you also have like these the references to Bond you have the Spielbergian idea of the well, the son who's with fun. the father yeah no this, yeah, this is that's his idea of Bond fun, yeah. but this and you don't but think, I don't like fun. how did it, it's fun for him do people not enjoy fun. the rotating corridor did, on its I own merits I did yeah I yeah. loved it Mm-hmm. Like we're we're like we're talking about a movie that we're uh, like we hate this director. This movie we don't hate this director. I just don't think he's a very good director. Like all we do is talk about this is hipsterism because we're like we don't hate him. It's just that all we ever do is talk about how he's not uh, as as good as we. Um, That's some subconscious. As, as some people think. Listen, mm-hmm. I have spectacle. I have issues with lots of directors that can put something on screen. Like if I have a budget for two hundred million and a, a, a whole host of technical people who are skilled. I could put something on the screen worth watching. Do you know what I mean? Right. You I could. Anybody could. I, it might not be good, but it'll look well. Yeah, but so I think that's this not is a th- good. I think like that's I think different. It's, but a, yes, this, I, I think Inception's think good. I think we but could. But other films with Nolan. <laughs> really? <laughs> I got 200 people working. I would, F- I think I would take the 200 million. <laughs> make make oh. make a 10 million drama. So would I. <laughs> Keep 190 <laughs> for myself. Make, I might make about a 100,000 for <laughs> Andrew found dead in a mountain of cocaine <laughs> on a giant yacht with an elephant. Um, and, and a little silence just saying, I regret nothing. <laughs> I've had arguments with you before, though, that, that, about like kind of a spectacle and what, like the minimum we should expect for a film costing X is it to look well. And the fact that so many yeah. blockbusters don't is inexcusable. Yeah. But I, and I say Nolan films this do look well. this doesn't just look I, I, no, well. I have to say, like, like looks this movie well is, is a incredible. very low bar and this movie no, soars. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, not disagreeing with that. This can barely see that bar this from is, where it is. This is one of the ones for, for me, 
of Nolan's films that work very well in that regard. He buries the the usual nonsense for the for the for relatively most of the running time that I can accept it and I really like it in that regard. But I mean, I mean, the way you talk about it though, um, you say like, "Oh, that's the least he could do with all that money." I'm more talking about Nolan like technical wankery. I'm talking about Nolan in general. I'm not like I have many problems with x amount of his films and i've discussed them at length like i i really like i memento was a masterpiece i really like this and i really like the dark knight after that we're into drop-off territory in a major way yeah. right. so like when i talk to nolan i'm talking in general for the other seven films or whatever it is yeah do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. yeah like i i didn't i don't say he's not a fan i'm not a fan of his as a filmmaker i think he's he's too as we said, it's too intellectual. I don't think I think it, it's 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 rigorous and admirable, but it, I never really, I rarely revisit because I rarely yeah. care enough to revisit. It does. It feels. Do you know? It feels cold. Yeah. I think is the only way you can put it. There's nothing wrong with cold in, in the sense that it can be. Yeah, admirable and, and clearly and, it, it works yeah. for a lot of people. But I think it's for me like what makes a film because a film is supposed to be a story at the end of the day you're supposed to like engage with some concept of narrative and characters and emotion and everything else and I just think like my issue with Nolan is that like he professes to look at these stories like he claims to be looking at stories about say a father and children husband and wife and so on and so forth but he very much feels that he's on the outside he never feels like he gets under anyone's skin never digs deep into the character doesn't really capture them in any lingering or telling way and yes. as much as everything may look great and he often get, this is the other sounds part, great as well he gets, by the yeah. way. He no, gets agree incredible that. incredible cast yeah. and gives them empty watery crap I to work hold with I, and it's like no seriously I'm you cannot have Anne Hathaway and Jessica Chastain um, in Interstellar and squander them I suppose we're, we're talking about Inception so okay, can, can I, can I raise my and in this film can I just I, I would like to say I almost disagree with what you said about Marion Cotillard earlier I love Marion Cotillard but I do not think that she is used very well in this film at all she's not used can enough I, but I think she's used well can I raise my, my hand yeah. here and just give Nolan credit where credit's due no you can't you didn't just write a movie a yeah. book about in Nolan. terms of taking an actor like Tom Hardy who was a washed up star who had starred in a really bad Star Trek movie had done a couple of indie films and unleashing him on the world as a blockbuster he, made, now, he made Bronson before that he did make Bronson he before he that but it was, a, the right people. it was a low budget indie film that, that very, very few people had seen yeah. it um, still is like a kind of art housey you watch it and you're like is this a yeah. film? I you have, it's you have been rediscovered since uh, Refn became more well known. This yes. this is going to be slightly controversial, but he contributed to the Meconaissance as well with the Interstellar. I'll he also, that. in terms of, for example, Anne Hathaway, who people are like, "Wow, look, she's she's finally cool when she's doing Ocean's Eight. No, she's always been cool. She's been really cool forever. But I would argue that a large part of her becoming cool was Selena Kyle in Dark Knight Rises. And I think she's good in that. I agree. She's she's fantastic. Uh, Obama, Barack Obama, singled out as the best performance of 2012. Noted. Obama Obama. said it. Nobody nobody even knew who Barack Obama was before (laughs) Nolan put on the the film and then had him comment upon it. But no, I think like if you're talking about like Anne Hathaway's sort of like the rehabilitation after the Oscars incident, like I think that the Dark Knight Rises is an important part of that. Um, remember, there was the whole big there was the whole big thing around Anne Hathaway being a theater kid and stuff like that, which was completely unfair and unreasonable. A theater kid, the 
the whole the double standard that exists where people try too hard, but it tends to be aimed. Oh, Miss Alba, it's always like that. Yeah. she's great. No, she is great. She is great. But I think that yeah, I think the Dark Knight Rises is a was a but large she, part of people realizing she, how great she, she is. She pissed her away in Interstellar though. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sorry, he did. Like and it frustrated. It made me angry. Good role either. I think she was great in it. I, I have mean, to. in her opening scene, she backflips out a window in stilettos. I mean. Oh, no! And Heath Ledger. Let's like Heath Ledger. I mean, yes, we all love Heath Ledger, but his performance as the Joker was revelatory. And there's a point at which you do this... Oh, Black Mountain. Sorry. Okay, but there's a point at which you do this repeatedly, and at some point, if we are going to give Greta Gerwig, like, praise for, like, Saoirse Ronan and all the actors in Lady Bird who have done phenomenally well, and they are phenomenally well, and I think Gerwig does deserve some credit for it, we have to acknowledge that maybe, just maybe... The fact that all these actors, including like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, for example, transitioned into doing big budget blockbusters after doing um, the Dark, after doing sort of Inception, Dark Knight Rises, he became a lot more prominent as a leading question, actor. You, yeah. As a Nolan fan, has uh, Ledger side has any Nolan performances got actor nominations? Uh, no. That to me, that's kind of telling, though. I think it's more revealing of the kind of films they are, though. I think he Ledger wouldn't have gotten a nomination if not for the fact that he died, yeah, which is a tragedy. Not. I think he deserved to win, but I don't think he would have gotten a nomination if he hadn't died. And just into, can I just make, come back just to the, the kind of thing about Nolan being cold, right? Yeah. I don't mind that in and of itself, right? Filmmakers, filmmakers, filmmaker. That's the kind of the stuff we do, right? Kubrick was a cold filmmaker, and just to go back to the yeah. Kubrick comparisons, right? Which is a terrible comparison. It, I think it we isn't. All agree. There isn't. Okay. But, uh, but I will say, I, I think Nolan being compared to Kubrick is one of the more justified comparisons. Huh? A lot of people compare him to Spielberg, and they shouldn't. I agree, but I, but what it, the differences I see between Nolan and Kubrick is that Kubrick makes kind of similar cold kind of distancing films, right? Yeah. But Kubrick is a better filmmaker than Nolan because there is whatever about intellectualization or whatever. There's an intellectual rigor with, with Kubrick's films, and they're about bigger ideas, and he gets at bigger ideas, and su- almost always successfully. Not always, but almost always successfully. That makes something, it's more than the sum of its parts, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think Nolan ever quite reaches that. We may despite have to, in, he wants invite to you back it. for The Dark Knight Rises to talk about Nolan's big ideas. But I, I know, I, I, listen, I know what you think of Dark Knight Rises. We've had conversations about this before. I don't think much of it, but I will rewatch no. it, as I said, at some point. It looks a little bit like that storm's picking up out there. There's a bit of rain out there. Uh, we may it's have to. It's really wrap. strange weather. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you shouldn't have had that coffee, Andrew. Or all um, that champagne. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, we may need to head. We may need to wrap this up. Um, do you have the van right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants a lift, I have a white van outside. It's it's, it's perfectly Great that this sounds uh, legal and uh, above board. Uh, yeah. I, 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 just I'm, put I'm, these bags over your heads. <laughs> and uh, we're recording near Colney there Station. There are sweets. Um, I'm waiting for a Help train. I'm not sure sofa. If it'll, it'll ever arrive. Um, you don't know where it's taking you, right? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. How I don't it? like trains. Nobody said anything about trains, Darren. And you were supposed to do the research, Andrew. Let's just get in this white van. Hello and welcome to When Irish Eyes Are Watching. In today's episode, we're talking about Christopher Nolan's 2010 action thriller, Inception. And I'm joined by Sean. Hello there. And also special guests, Darren. Hey. And Andrew. Hello.
We normally kick these things off by asking, like, how did people hear about this? What was the first time they saw it? What was your first experience of it? That kind of thing. John, do you want to kick us off? I think you and I were living together in Ranola yeah. when this movie came out. We were both in university. And I remember I had watched it and I was waiting for you to come home from wherever you were from your all-night drug ray or something. <laughs> and, um, you came home and then I immediately kind of came into you and I was talking about it. And at that stage, I was like a snobby university person, you know? As opposed to now. As opposed to now. A snobby person, <laughs> a snobby person you know? A snobby university graduate. Yeah. Thank you very much. And, yeah. I, and I, was, I was pulling it asunder. I was like, it's ridiculous. It's yeah. trash. And everyone's going mad for saying it's the best movie of all time. Mm. And you were saying, well, Sean, you know... I can't believe I'm a, I was in a room with people and I was kind of criticizing it, but now I'm the one defending it because yeah. you're such a snob, you know, yeah. and I have to actually defend it. <laughs> because yeah. I think I, I had enjoyed it, but I think at the time, a lot of people were sort of like, this is incredible and it's so clever. And I think I kind of was like, it's clever, but it, it's very much holds your hand all the way yeah. through. It's very well made, but it's, it's not this sort of like Byzantine, can't work it out and everyone had these David different Lynch styles. Exactly. Of... It's very sort of clear at every point about exactly what you should be thinking and that was my sort of approach to it but a lot of people at the time were completely sort of saying oh no no sure it's it's absolutely brilliant but you a... really hated it and so i ended up defending yeah. it to you i wouldn't say i really hated it i think at the time i was such a snobby little no, no, no. yeah but i was kind of like probably jealous and i was like how is this getting so much attention you know I as should... opposed to my yeah. dream thriller yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly you know yeah. my yet to be unrealized you know, yeah. dream thriller. released in one theater that yeah. same weekend yeah. it yeah. was but this was this was this is a movie that kind of broke into like I know movies are popular culture, you know, but this was like popular, popular, popular culture. And you know? this was like getting like, like We're going to start with the popular culture within popular culture. Yeah, yeah. this is getting the articles. kind of thing that people love: science and engineering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, different Christopher Nolan film. Different but same Christopher principle. Nolan movie, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was. Like, it was huge. It was mm. absolutely everywhere. This was 2010, so this was mm-hmm. yeah. I remember there being huge billboards everywhere and just being random posters of Ken Watanabe as the tourist. Yeah. It's like, what is this? Marion Cotillard is the shade. I yeah. Seeing that. What? Yeah. yeah. What? What are you selling here? But it it mm-hmm. it was huge, and it probably still is. To be fair, I think it's yeah. Yeah. It's like I mean, we do the, the trailers got... didn't give away much either. I remember there was a lot of like sentences and and. Statements. Know, statements and big Your shots. mind is exactly. the scene of the crime. Um, but it was good because then he was coming off the dark night at the time, so everyone mm. was super excited mm-hmm. for his new film. And uh, yeah. Well, this was, this was, yeah, this was one of the things that only really got made because of the dark night because it's a relatively rare film. It's a completely original intellectual property uh, in that it's not based on a yeah. comic book, on a previous television series, a sequel to a previous film. This is just something that he sort of came up with and he managed to get this. Huge budget from Warner Brothers, uh, reportedly like 150 million, 200 million, plus another 100 million on publicity, which wow. is wow. a huge amount of money to invest in something that has no. That's incredible in itself. It's also incredible that the, uh, <laughs> there wasn't immediately like talks of a sequel. What um, I, I so it doesn't lend itself to a sequel, but <laughs> no. but the 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 um, like you think of. Um, I know very different movies, but The Hangover was kind of like a counterexample to like, oh, this, the, this is kind of like a, 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 a huge hit. There's nobody kind of like, um, it, it, it was it was kind of when when um, Hollywood were spending their money on certain things, um, and then they had like this hit, and it's like okay, let's make three of them. Yeah. Um, 
Whereas this is very much, it's and it's it's very clearly self-contained. I think we can rule out the possibility of an Inception sequel event. Oh, yeah. People said but, that about Blade Runner, though. And then, like, <laughs> 25 years later, we got, and everyone was terrified. I remember going into Blade Runner 2049 being like, how are they going to handle all the sort of ambiguity mm-hmm. and questions of the original and kind of keep them going but bring up other ones? I'd say, crucially, Blade Runner was a very slow-burning kind of classic. It didn't yeah, reach close classic true. until like, the It was such a hit right yeah. away. Yeah. Well, in, in the way that blockbusters often spawn other blockbusters, I suppose... The, this was uh, part of a trilogy in in, in or, 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 or at least kind of Interstellar mightn't have gotten made if it weren't for this mm. but this mightn't have got made if it weren't for Dark Knight yeah. I suppose yeah, sort of connectively yeah but I mean it is very much a, a Nolan film though it's very much like thematically it's very engaged with what he's talking about in that yeah. I, I think I've You've taken me to task for arguing before that, like, the real Christopher Nolan trilogy isn't the Dark Knight trilogy. It's the trilogy that goes from the prestige through the Dark Knight and into this, where it's Nolan basically meditating on what it is to make a blockbuster. I was wondering where that came from, because somebody at work was saying to me, oh, yeah, it's it's uh, Inception's part of that trilogy, isn't it? And I was like, where have I heard that before? <laughs> who who, who planted that idea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, here we are. Um, yeah, somebody that, like uh, um, at, at work who listens to the podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. I've yeah. actually managed to incept somebody. That this is, is remarkable. Yeah, this is kind of impressive. Is incept a verb? I, I'm not part of the discourse, but... I, I, think, yeah. I think you incept. There's I think. a great line in 30 Rock when Jack Donahue says he doesn't want to follow... Every fall asleep on an airplane because he's scared of being incepted <laughs> it is the most exciting movie I'm just going to throw it out there is this the most exciting movie about ever falling asleep on a tra- you know sort of yeah. a, a trans specific well, Killian, Killian Murphy has, has a history with planes isn't like Red Eye is another one that he was mm. yes I like the idea that that was his sort of his red line the agent was like I feel, yeah, I feel like maybe Christopher Nolan was being a bit playful, putting him in this. Because <laughs> mm. he's on another red eye. Yeah. Um, like, the same journey. Um, yeah. London to L.A. Kind of, but um, it's Sydney, Sydney to And another thing, oh, like, is it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's L.A., Sydney. In, in Red Eye, he plays a monster. And similarly, in this film, most of the cast, when, you know, they're all very slick and cool, but when you take a step back, they are doing pretty terrible things in waiting for someone's dad to die and then sneaking into his brain to screw up all his memories. Yeah. With yeah. the aim of just taking out a competitor in the yeah. corporate well, world. This is the thing, I think... I think well, I let's not be too 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 <laughs> hard on, on Saito um, <laughs> Industries. They are a sponsor. Of no. the podcast. Um, so, um, but, but yeah, I, I, I take your point. Well, this is the thing. This is why I, I think I sort of alluded to this a little while ago when we were talking about like how we rank Nolan. Because you, you love this, Andrew. Yes. You would sort of rank this as one of your favourite of his films, yeah. possibly. Having said that, it's not perfect. Okay. The the like there 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 there's bits that I don't like about it. Um, like it's it's a bit. It it almost seems kind of like um, smug at times, or like there kind of um, there are parts in the movie where they seem to like where the characters seem to be smirking at each other, thinking yeah. this is great, isn't it? <laughs> and 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 some and I think Christopher Nolan is 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 aware of that at times. Like there's even the 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 bit that I really enjoyed where Yusuf turns around and is like, "Did you see that?" <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Where yeah, where 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 it's it's like um, uh, it 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 can't um, it can't just be a really cool movie. It also needs to be very aware of how cool it is. Mm-hmm. But um, just on in relation to what Alex was saying there, that's always been my sort of issue with it. Is that it is 
a movie that is incredibly cynical about the process of making blockbusters in that it's very much it's a movie that is a metaphor for movie making this obviously isn't a new idea everyone suggested this but obviously if you look at the roles on the team they all correspond to various filmmaking roles so you have for example Sato is the man who provides the money he's the producer you have for example Ariadne who provides the layout she's the screenwriter you have Arthur who procures all the necessary resources he's the production designer you have Eames who is the man who can be whatever you need him to be in order to play a role in this he's the actor mm-hmm. you have Cobb who is cast in the role as sort of auteur who oversees all this despite not having any particular terrible. yeah well we're gonna get to that in a moment. <laughs> like, like any author yeah it's um. completely terrible but like without this throughout this there's the sense that they are constructing these elaborate sort of like films or sort of like stories for the benefit of fisher and for the benefit of the people they're incepting mm. um where they're constructing elaborate narratives onto which these people project their own psyches and project is a word the film uses repeatedly um but you have this idea that they're constructing this and then even eames himself when he's talking about this in mombasa he's talking about how you know well the plot that you're trying to instigate it's like well it's got all those various anti-monopolistic sentiments mm. anti-capitalist ideas all that crazy stuff but that's just at the whims of your subject's prejudice what you really need to do is boil it down to the basics which are the you know the relationship with the father i feel like i'll talk tongues about how much i like Eames, but <laughs> i i suppose you've answered the question um in in um like so had you seen this movie before oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, i had seen this movie before i feel like i might have only seen it once before and really really enjoyed it and i think the second time watching it was not today a very rare occasion where 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 I've watched the um, movie um, uh, like maybe about a week um, uh, before discussing prior. Um, I, I got here today. Thankfully, I wasn't too late. Um, <laughs> d- difficult getting up the stairs though. Mm. Um, they're they're like they seem to go on forever. Yeah, no, the stairs in this building are pretty confusing. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, once you get by that, it's very simple. It's the third door on the left, and then upside down, and then straight you go, on. Yeah, you have to go so run uh, through the rotating corridor. Yeah, to get back, you go right, right again, right upstairs, and it's on your left. But yeah, um, so no, so this was your that was your second time watching it. How uh, yes, it held up quite well. Um, I noticed stuff, I guess, that perhaps I had noticed it the first time, but um, uh, because it's easy to kind of like forget these things. Um, but there, there, there's because um, this suppose, is an eight-year-old movie at this point. So if you only saw it once, you saw it eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, so um, it's pr- probably like maybe uh, it might. It, it's possible that I was only watching on DVD, but it, it's it's it it definitely is a movie that would that that is better in the cinema. Yeah, I I guess I noticed things about it. I don't know how deep we're 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 going to go, uh, but um, like I'd like to talk about the whole at some point about the whole idea of like misogyny in the movie because I feel like that was really important. But I'm interested to see what uh, what you guys think. Yeah. I think, for me, one of the interesting things is going back to this. And Dark Knight obviously had a huge effect on, on you know, the way films are made. And I, even I went to go see the new Mission Impossible the other week. And, you know, Nolan's fingerprints are, like, all over that. Even in the, the score has that sort of, like, rising. The sort of boom, Exactly. Boom, boom. Dum, 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 dum. And, but I think this film, actually, you do forget how much a effect this had after it came out. There's all sorts of, like, jokey memes and stuff you see with, like, Leo doing the narrow eyes bit at the bar with Killian Murphy. But then wider <laughs> than that, the whole... The feel of the film, that sort of, like, 
cold, very almost metallic sense. The whole film's very, like, really well presented all the way through. That has a huge effect, I think, in, like, action movies specifically after that. It did get, uh, you started seeing a lot more guys in sort of suits doing a lot. With slick back hair. With slick back we, hair. We noticed yeah. as we were watching it, I think, the tendency of, of characters in this film to have variations on mm-hmm. sort of slick back hair yeah. and suits. Yeah. What about you, Sean? You weren't a fan initially. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm still not really a fan of the movie because I would watch it because we're going to discuss it. But if I was going to watch any Christopher Nolan movie to kind of relax and enjoy, it would probably be The Prestige. Mm-hmm. I, I'd always go back to that for kind of yeah. uh, the setting. So I think what, what you said was that he's making this movie in a very cynical way to kind of talk about what it means to make a blockbuster. And I think you can really tell that he's so conflicted about... Uh, filmmaking in this movie because you get the, all these action scenes which which are so pointless you know like towards the end especially those zero gravity things are like majestic and no one's ever done them and they're fantastic but when you're breaking into like an ice palace at the end and yeah. it's like a derivative bond uh, action sequence and it's very it's very well done it's excellently well done it's fantastic but for me as a climax of the movie it just makes me think that there's, there really is no I, I find there's no emotional heart in the movie and it's all just uh, boxes inside boxes inside yeah. boxes and then there's no heart to the movie and I don't really care that Cobb gets to the, to the end of, you know I would say I, I, I would agree to you to a certain extent I know I've said I've said to Darren that um, I agree with Darren that um, uh, Nolan cares about um, uh, um, the emotional kind of um, uh, impact of of his movies and that and that I don't think he's a cold director. I just don't think he's very um, effective at um, I guess pulling um, heartstrings because I think the emotional core of the movie is supposed to be um, a, a Cobb wanting to be reunited with his with with with, with his kids. What what kind of um, Stop that being effective for me is how much of a horrible <laughs> bastard Cobb <laughs> is, and 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 um, and how much kind of like uh, uh, hatred he has within himself. I'm not looking forward to him being reunited with his kids because <laughs> he's going to be like, "You remind me of your mother." And, and also, he's smash like, a glass. He doesn't um, ever see the kids. Like right from the film, that we were given no context for his children other than voices on the phone. and the fact they are children and the fact that they are kids. Yeah. And even, and we'll get into it later, you know, the Mal character, she's not really Mal, you know, she's sort of a version of Mal that he's invented. So the, the stakes aren't really there as an audience for no. looking at him wanting to reunite with these people or this, this assemblance of a family, because we don't ever see him with the family. And when, 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 when he was with Mal for, like, the, what, 35, 50 years, the kids were not there. Yeah. 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 He's, like, 70 years with them, yeah. And it was pretty great, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, they've done, they've done, yeah, you've done 50 years without them and seem to do fine. They've done a few years without you and are also probably better off. Um, <laughs> is this so important that you get back? Um, maybe the emotional core of the movie is like hoping that he gets arrested <laughs> when, he goes <laughs> when, he, when he lands. The, the, the emotional thing that worked for me, though, was the, um, even though it was... Um, it was like but intentionally contrived. Was was just there. to go back to the Cobb thing. It's worth noting that apparently 
that was largely driven by DiCaprio's involvement. Oh, yeah. um, In that Nolan apparently was not usually invested in Cobb's emotional arc uh, in the film. It was DiCaprio uh, who was very much pushing for Cobb to have his own sort of driving really? emotional yeah. force running through it. Well, there was, though. There, there, without the kids, I think his his relationship to to, to Mal was, was very important and that that was the kind of um, important um, arc. And in terms in term terms of like another emotional um like uh, point uh, for, for me the 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 thing that 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 actually made me cry which was ridiculous was was the because it, it's something that Eames as the uh, <laughs> filmmaker has 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 created which is the point where um, uh, Killian Murphy's character t- takes takes the opens uh, up the oh, safe yeah. opens exactly. up the safe yeah. and takes out the little pinwheel uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is this is where I'm getting back to the movie being incredibly cynical and about filmmaking. Because like, what they're doing, what mm-hmm. the team is is mm-hmm. pointedly doing, is they're engineering yeah. an emotional catharsis for Fisher yeah. in pursuit of a capitalistic endeavor. Like, their goal here is to help Sato Industries to make survive yeah. and to make money. And I love that. I think we pointed out as we were watching it. Like Sato, at one point, they're like, uh, "So how are we going to do this?" It's like, "Oh, we're going to do it on the plane." It's like, "Okay, but we need to do it on this plane because you know then." we have people going back and forth we're going to have to buy out the whole first class and say it was like I actually already bought the airline yeah. and it's like it seemed neater it seemed neater and you're like dude if, if, if you're rich enough to buy an airline you probably don't need to worry about going there's out there's a business. better way than dying in a nice <laughs> palace <laughs> yeah. <to> get... <laughs> there is probably a, a very elegant solution to um, to 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 defeating um, what if, the, if, if Fisher, um, Fisher what's the name Fisher Morrow Fisher Morrow um but he would prefer to defeat them <laughs> in, in some in more complex yeah, of yeah. James Bond. It's like I don't just want to uh, be number one. I want them to be destroyed, <laughs> broken up, spin out, yeah. spun out. Um, I want them to be psychologically like <laughs> destroyed. Because yeah. there's a point in this where like their plan hinges on the idea of Robert Fisher, who has never had a strong relationship with his father. He tells the story about how like when his mother died, his father's like, "Well, there's really not much more to be said." Mm-hmm. And also, like, he talks then about how the last word his father said to him was disappointed. Um, and what they plan to do in order to do that is to break up his relationship with Peter Browning, who, by all accounts, is the only person who's ever been decent to him as a father figure. And as, like, Ariadne points this out when they get into the van, it's like, so our plan is to poison the one healthy relationship that this deeply troubled mm-hmm. young man has. Mm. Ariadne is the voice of um kind of uh re- reason almost when when um because she's the kind of um psychoanalyst to Cobb throughout the the, the whole movie trying to make Cobb realize how like horrifically um, damaged and horrible is. yeah yeah um and yet like what what we what we don't get from Ariadne is is like proper kind of um, disgust and like revulsion at the whole um, thing. I mean, they explain that she goes along with it because it's just pure creativity. Well, I, I would say Ariadne is the viewer. You know that we're kind of strapped into this kind of like roller coaster. You know, and we have these objections to the movie. You know, like Cobb, you're f- oh, no! insane. You know. <laughs> Uh, and things like that, and then it's 
we, we, we have our little kind of exclamation, you know, and we just keep going, you know, and that's what Ariadne does, you know. So I would say she's kind of a surrogate for the viewer. I think she's more like the writer, in, in, particularly mm. in an auteur-driven production, mm. where the writer's job, the auteur's job is to say, I want to do this, and the writer's mm. job is to say, you're f- oh, no! insane, but yeah. this is how we do it. Okay, fine. Mm. Um, whereas Fisher is very much the viewer. Fisher is the one who's like the audience member who remembers going to see Star Wars with his dad. And it doesn't matter that the relationship with his dad was troubled, mm-hmm. but they went to see Star Wars together. And isn't that touching? So you have that, like, Campbellian atonement through there. He's the, uh, the viewer as well, because he's almost, like, making your point, Sean, yeah. at the end, where it's like, couldn't, couldn't this be on a... <laughs> What does he say? Um, Couldn't this be a beach? (laughs) Couldn't anybody have dreamed of a goddamn beach? That's part of my problem with it as well. When people were sort of talking about it as this wildly creative and inventive movie. And it is very, you know, creative and very brilliant. But right at the start, when they bring Ariana in, she starts folding Paris in on herself. And that's it's so thrilling or something to be like, oh, wow, the possibilities where this film can go. This is incredible. And they had all the taglines about your mind is the... Scene of the crime. Yeah, all these kind of things. And then, as Sean said, to sort of bend the rest of the the whole of the film in a fairly James bland, Bond homage. yeah, corporate lobby hotel building, followed by a James Bond homage that we've seen in a lot of other action films, followed by a very utilitarian, boring, you know, place Hong, Kong Hong Kong Island. Island. Yeah. It just it never really got as exciting that the, uh, the potential sort of had when she was talking about like folding the city over and creating yeah. whole new things it never really well, it's very I mean dreams are like dreams can be very surreal depends on who's dreaming of course you know yeah. but so dreams can be very surreal there's very little elements of surrealism in this that's what I find, and that's you know? why when people sort of say you know he's quite a cold clinical director I kind of think that's kind of true in yeah. this film because they, they are so people don't really dream like that I want more like dally melting clocks and dragons and yeah. things you know I do love that when he's been asked that though his response is I do dream like that thank you very <laughs> yeah. much which is a very revealing answer <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in many ways exactly but again, I feel like it's not really a film about dreams, though. Like, so mm. it's, it's not because they're not they're not transitioning between layers of a dream because there are there's nobody riding a flaming dragon unicorn yeah. or something like that well, at any point. But it's they're transitioning between films, basically. They're transitioning uh, between various thrillers I mean, and action movies. I I realize now that that is your um, kind of prism for looking at the movie, but you can't say it's not about dreams. It's about this. <laughs> this movie has a lot of different layers. They have a, a, a lot of kind of. Layers levels that it that 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 it goes through um so it 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 is about um kind of um robert's relationship um with with his father or any of our like uh, complicated relationships with like a family member or 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 like a friend we've known for 20 years thank thank you andrew (laughs) i wonder who you're possibly referring to Um, i just had this image of andrew on it on like his confessing there going the only word i could ever make out from from darren was disappointed (laughs) no it'd be more of a browning (laughs) the only positive relationship of yeah sorry um no the the there's really not much more to be said, Andrew. <laughs> I think it's interesting when you're mentioning, though, about, like, the children and, like, Leonardo DiCaprio bringing that in. Because to, like, a counterpoint to this is Interstellar. And I, and the way, you know, the film, he sort of... He made Dark Knight Rises after this, and then he made Interstellar, yeah. yeah. But in Interstellar, there's a, some similar themes about, like, wanting to return homes to one's children, but having, like, business to finish and all these yeah. other things. And it just seems so much more emotional and so much more invested in that story about the idea of 
leaving your kids and going away to do a job as this kind of plays yeah. with and I think Christopher Nolan also understands with as, understands a, father, as yeah. a father he's talked to go that, off yeah, and he, make films and, um, it just, and the distortion of time as well being yeah. film directors like you go off for a year and you end up with two hours of footage yeah. um, which is exactly but your what kids happens. have grown like yeah. you know that yeah. much and you've done this much yeah, yeah. Um, and I just think in the Interstellar it's, it's done a lot more sort of raw a lot more emotionally or something than this one that does feel kind of and I think partly it's because in Interstellar we actually have you know characters as the children yeah. so we know how they interact with the main yeah. character whereas in this they are just like these fleeting little glimpses every with now and again with the back of their heads yeah. and you well, see them at the climax well that's why I say it's not about the kids and and I'm not surprised that it was just Leo that that may have um uh, shoehorned it in this is about Maul and uh, for me and, and about like well it's it, it's about Maul and it's not about Maul it's not about Maul because it's, it's about, about Cobb's um, interpretation of Maul interpretation of Maul which is really kind of hateful which brings when, it all together though because you're saying it's not about dreams and you're saying it's about Maul so it kind of brings it together <laughs> yeah but it, it, and, and the, the but it's all about because like the um, I, I, I might have said it before but when 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 Ariadne says to Arthur um Maul, what was she like? Um, Arthur is like she she's was, really wonderful. She was yeah, like by all accounts, she was a fucking delight. <laughs> a <laughs> but, delightful but in, person. But in Cobb's mind, she's this like <laughs> hateful, uh, spiteful, possessive, yeah. jealous, destructive, vindictive force. Yeah, and the way he talks about her, like oh, she um, <laughs> screwed me over with those lawyers and psychiatrists, and um, I, and and made it seem like I had killed her. <laughs> Which, Which it turns totally out he do. totally did. Kind of, um, <laughs> indirectly. Yeah, indirectly yeah. But again, this gets back to the fact that virtually everybody in Inception is a horrible human being by absolutely any measure. And the one person who isn't, who is Fisher, who mainly just seems cold and standoffish, is the one who gets screwed over by the rest yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, that, that's sort of like, that's the barrier that exists between me and Inception. Like, I appreciate it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderfully constructed. I think it's a wonderful roller coaster ride. But it's, it's the movie where those criticisms of Nolan being cold is ring true because, like, there's something very cold, clinical, and completely amoral about what the characters are doing. Well, I think there's something very personal about that in that I feel like um, uh, Nolan has probably, as most men have, experienced what it's like to, um, to um, uh, realize that that you've behaved in in a like in a misogynistic way, that you've taken something very um, that 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 a woman has 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 done very like kind of personally um, as as if it was a a a um, like a as a, a slight. On, on on your own self and you've created like this idea about like their intentions and 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 the kind of uh, person they are yeah when it actually it's... says much more about yourself um so like like it, I think if you were a cold director he wouldn't have um it, it seems like a very vulnerable choice to put that whole kind of no it is and I think that's you know we sort of talked before about reveals in the film and I think the best reveal at the end is when when Cobb says to her you're not actually her you're mm-hmm. an aversion of her that I've created yeah. and yeah. You know, I can't actually, imagine I you can't, with all I, of I'm your too complexity weak to exactly. and that's all your perfection all your imperfection yeah. that actually that is a great idea I just also think it for me makes the film about a very 
it's more insular. It's more about one guy's mind rather yeah. than. Well, it, it. I would argue like Inception is this weird hybrid of like Nolan's earlier films, so like the stuff like Memento. It's it's arguably much closer to Memento than it is to any of the big blockbusters that followed it. Mm. In that it's a story about characters who constructed their own narratives to suit their own ends. But it's also like called the characters carried over from following his first film as well. Like his first, in many ways, his first actual named character. Following the guy from, yeah. Yeah, um, he's, so he's the guy from that. The name Cobb is carried over from there. But it has this sort of weird, like Nolan's big blockbuster films have much cleaner protagonists than Inception does. Inception is much tighter and much more personal and much more focused on Cobb than his other films are on their individual characters, I would argue. And very much to the exclusion of other perspectives, because the the, the problem that people would have, um, especially women, about this being a movie about misogyny is where is the woman's perspective? Because where, where is the, 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 the victim? Because there's not really a victim, there's just a kind of like a, a projection of... of um, like where, 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 where is the, like Ariadne is is not reacting the way a, um, like Maul isn't reacting the way a victim of misogyny. Of, of misogyny she's a creation uh, would, of it. Would, would would behave because she's a creation of it. Ariadne is not uh, perhaps reacting the way a witness to the, um, this kind of misogyny would react. Instead, she's very kind of like sympathetic, and all she wants to do is help him. There, 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 there's, there's, there's not the sense. There's, there, there, there is a sense to which at the um, earlier in the movie she's like, I don't think I should be involved in this. And you haven't told um, anybody else um, what you're doing. Yeah, and the only yeah. reason that I'm going is because you can't tell Arthur. And there's this recurring motif of like Arthur, like repeatedly over the course of the movie it's and I, I think I give it a bit more credit than, than you do in this respect because I think that it's like toxic masculinity affects both men and women and I think that yeah. men need to have conversations themselves about the it affects him far more if, because the, the, well, the person he's directing it at doesn't exist yeah. and, and the only person it's hurting is him yeah um, and obviously you know in the real world there are consequences and the victims are women but I think that men are in some ways victims of toxic masculinity as well oh, yeah. I think it's, it's worth exploring in that sense which is what the movie is about yeah. and, and I think it's okay that, that I'm, I'm not I'm not criticising that I'm saying it is a criticism yeah. but it's okay to kind of um, limit the, the, the scope the of what you want to the yeah. focus yeah. And I think it's also very telling that like Arthur, who is the one companion who stays with him throughout the film, because obviously he gets rid of Lucas Hedges' character quite early in the film where he's just dragged out of a helicopter, Mm -hmm. and he recruits the rest of the team as he's going. But Arthur, it's implied, is blissfully ignorant of everything that's going on with Cobb in that he's chosen to blind himself to it. There's a moment early on where they're on the the private jet flying with Sato, Sato, and Arthur's like, so uh, you've Inception, you know a lot about Inception. He's like, oh, I did it before. It's like, who'd you do it to? And there's an awkward silence, and it's like, you know, if he were in any way competent, he'd realize, oh, your wife committed suicide. Mm. You were in a dream together. Maybe these two factors line up. But I also think maybe he does work that out. And and we kind of talked about all the different sort of filmmaking roles um, and lining up with the characters and stuff. But if Arthur is that producer who just does things to serve the director's vision, that kind of lines up with someone who's so loyal to someone who's head in their field and just thinks I can learn by being in the same room as this person because there's another great bit where they have Arthur and Ariane when she returns after she quits and says this is monstrous I'm leaving all you crazy people and she leaves and she comes back and that kind of links up with the Michael Caine scene that 
even though they're doing horrible things, there's something so addictive to a certain kind of mind that they really want to get in on this and really want to build worlds because there's nothing that's pure creative control. So even though she leaves, she comes back. It's Arthur she talks to who fully like almost expects her to come back and is like, yeah, I know, absolutely. This is great. great. This is great life, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Living around the world, flying around, possibly getting thrown out of helicopters. He's the sycophantic (laughs) producer who's, you know, being shouted at by Orson Welles or whoever but wants to get the film made. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I think think there's an aspect of that to it. But yeah, Mal is a very interesting character in part because of like and it's interesting that you mentioned like Interstellar and stuff like that afterwards because Mal is kind of she represents a shift in how Nolan views women in particular it's like there's the cliche in his earlier film of the dead wife obviously stuff like Memento Mm. um, stuff like Rachel Dawes in The Dark Knight for example Mm. Um, even in Following you have The Blonde for example you have these idea of dead women who serve to motivate them what? And in this you have Mal. And this you have Mal. You have these dead women who serve to define. Oh, in the Prestige, Prestige as well. God, Prestige yeah. is obviously it's the big like example. A series of dead where women. you have a yeah, you have like interlocking, connected, mirroring dead at, wives. Yeah. At least um, the dead wife in this is important. Because in 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 the that's the like we when we spoke about the Prestige, that's a problem I had with it. Is 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 that like they're they're very much kind of like a device and like an unnecessary because it seems like the the actual thing that is motivating these characters is got nothing to do with their dead wives and there is something kind of cold about the way they just kind of like. And also, there's a dead wife. Mm. <laughs> um, I hate him, and I want to be the better magician. And also, he killed my wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Little asterisks yeah. right there. Um, but there is like an aspect of that where Inception, where it feels like Nolan's almost working through that dramatically, because this is the yeah. last point where I think he has a dead wife, and he starts moving more towards focusing on the gap between children. So, like in The Dark Knight Rises, the big emotional arc is Alfred feeling mm-hmm. like he failed Bruce as a surrogate son, for example. Mm-hmm. In Interstellar. Um, in Interstellar, there's the kids who are missing. Okay. Obviously, there's Murph who's separated uh, from Coop. Okay. Even in Dunkirk, um, the most important character who's played by um, Mark, Rylance. Mark Rylance is basically going over to rescue surrogate children for mm-hmm. the child that he lost. He's mm-hmm. bringing back these young boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have like this sort of wonderful shift as if no one sort of recognised one of his big recurring like blind spots as a writer and director, which is, oh my God, think, look at this poor man who has a dead wife and how it motivates him and drives him and makes him really sad and has sort of like yeah. worked through that. And Inception is the point at which he sort of exercises that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, when, 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 when Mal... Um, um, are we saying Mal or Mal? <laughs> I can't get a... I think I mean, Alex is saying it. Mal and you're saying Mal. It's Mal. Mal Cobb. Okay. Like so bad, bad bad meaning bad. <laughs> bad. Subtle. Bad. We're very nuanced here. Oh, jeez. Bad uh, Cobb. Don Cobb and Mal Cobb. But is there any sort of like psychoanalytic reading where what you're saying is that he's like taking himself the task regarding like confronting his own kind of uh, dramatic sort of urges, you know? And he actually... Well, I mean, if you, if you look at Cobb as like the director of the piece, yeah. like it's, it seems like a solid enough reading perhaps. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, just, not just what you said. I'm not in psychological theory, but it just seems like at the very, like, when he's confronting Mal, Mal, you know, he uh, he has to do it for Ariadne because cause if he, he's basically talking to himself when he's talking to Mal, isn't he? Mm, yeah. You know? So he's basically confronting her. But... But he's confronting himself, you know. But Ariadne has to kind of witness it as a kind of like collaborator with him, and he has, yeah. she has to, like, as the writer, she has to kind of, if we say she's the writer, she has to be kind of witnessed him confronting his own limitations as a dramatic artist, you know. There's a weird bit there when she goes in and, and realizes that every night when they all clock off their inceptioning jobs, 
She notices <laughs> he stays back and obviously plugs into the Matrix on his own. So yeah. one day she follows him. And again, as you said, Sean, it's kind of just him talking to himself in a dark yeah. room. Yeah. But crucially, like, if one of your employees came in and found you, you know, with your wife privately, he doesn't immediately say, let's get out of here. He kind of takes her through a series of other memories, including one at the beach, because he yeah. presses like 12 on the elevator. But it's like having a drink with a colleague and say, let me tell you about my wife. <laughs> yeah. you know? Let me tell you about my wife. This story, that story. <laughs> and then he goes downstairs. And then later I like at the it, end, this story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he says, there's something you need to know about me. And he kind of just says, instead of telling her, he's like, I'm he says tell that, my <laughs> wife. No, he says that. Why you he watch. says that four times in the movie. It's like, there's one thing you gotta know about me. And there's one thing you gotta know about me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I do love the recurring motif that Cobb is just not very good at what he does. Um, the suggestion, like, everybody talks yeah. about him as if he's this really great, like, fantastic, <laughs> mind breaker person. And, 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 and an uh, amazing creator as well. Because like, Ariadne says to him, like, this is, did you create this? This is magnificent. But it, again, it's not as, it's like, not it's not as wonderful yeah. as what, it's this crumbling kind of um, it looks like boring downtown LA or like corporate glass icebergs it, it really is not it's all imaginative. rotting as yeah. well there's like, a great line well, it's all rotten because it's neglected but yeah. even, even when it was shiny it looked like it didn't it, look yeah. great yeah. there's a great surfaces. line when he says oh we both love this kind of boring office building but we also want to live here so yeah. we kind of decided to just put our house on top of an office block and <laughs> which is you know which is fine I mean if that's what your dream is to live on top of an office block yeah. I mean the presidents you know of the USA like that's <laughs> true yeah. you know? but it does come back to the, the, the ideas are so cool they just I just feel like it could have been so much more imaginative or so much more sort of... Uh, I don't know. I think, I mean, everyone has to pursue their own vision. And if this is Chris Nolan's vision, then you have to kind of ev- evaluate his kind of... Uh, in, this is how he dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Very revealing of itself. Yeah, Yeah, I, and I feel like um, uh, the, 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 uh, the James Bond and Her Majesty's Secret Service... Um, sequence. Uh, with see- the hospital that has its own private militia, 24 guards for every patient. It was great, but... Like you see that all the time in Bond movies, where he goes yeah. to like a spa or a hospital and finds that like um, there's secretly um, an army there. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. Did um, and I feel like Eames created that because like if it had been up to Ariadne, it might have been like you know, and, and you would have got to see actually... that stuff that that you maybe were were crying out for. I would say to an extent we get that in the sequence where where you see all of the things that that Ariadne is capable of. But it is a bit of a tease. Mm. Um, Do you think it's similar to the way Leonardo DiCaprio wants to introduce a little bit more like acting emotion to show people he can act? Maybe Tom Hardy was asked about like what his action sequence should be, and he said, "Well, I might have a chance of becoming James <laughs> Bond. So if we could build like yeah. a James Bond audition reel for <laughs> yeah, me, to this just would be pretty great. Hang out in casinos, can I have punch like, guys? Well, the yeah. scene where I gave the thumbs up, you know, thumbs up. That needed a Bond pun though. Yeah. Instead. It, 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 would you mind holding <laughs> this for me? But yeah. that, like that's that is kind of my objection to the movie, uh, like as a piece of entertainment. You know, it's just towards the end you get kind of I get kind of fatigued. You know, it just kind of becomes this. Um, the action sequence at the end and what I, I think it's <laughs> ah, no. no I think the That's layering of the bland. action sequences it almost works bland. you need to be able to like Per, no, you know, no, perceive no, each of them. And, no, my, my, my problem is like after the innovation of uh, what did you call it back in the day? You said Joseph Gordon Levin's uh, no gravity hijinks or zero gravity hijinks. Yeah. You know? But that's so innovative, you know, and it's yeah. so fantastic to it's watch. Great. And then when it's followed by this kind of 
on Her Majesty's Secret yeah. Service. Secrets kind of, by the numbers, shooting yeah. guns, that, that's kind of video game stuff. But I like I, I, I like that whole thing because it, it was a, a a whole like metaphor of 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 breaking into to to this person's uh, mind and the the kind of vault like well, where where the vault the vault and even just the, the white and sheet of empty much. space around I think, there. I think that's Killian Murphy doesn't look like he had that much going on behind his I eyes. I think yeah. it, it would have distracted from the kind of um, simplicity of that metaphor if you had a whole lot of banana stuff going on with <laughs> like um, no and I think the, the part of the reason the film works is because Christopher Nolan probably knows exactly how much he can push it and it still be this big blockbuster that everyone can enjoy and the layering we I, we probably like don't give enough credit to that idea because it really wasn't done much before that and besides things like Memento and stuff of like <laughs> layering five or six different narratives and then having you be able to like hop between them and it's fine and cross cut and you just get it and you just go with it and it's probably a point to Nolan is a master of it like it's not it's not that easy for everyone yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. but I mean that's the thing is that like as you know as boring and mundane as the dreams might be Mm -hmm. and this sort of ties back into I think the discussion that you guys alluded to when you first saw it where Sean was like everyone's hailing this it's it's not that smart Um, the the stock criticism of Nolan films is that like you know the the stereotypical pretentious unbearable Nolan fan is like well you're just not smart enough to understand it he makes blockbusters for smart people and like I love Christopher Nolan films uh, but that's not what he does it isn't that he makes movies that are inaccessible he does the exact opposite Mm -hmm. he has this habit of taking ideas that are relatively complex in the terms of blockbuster filmmaking Um, so parallel narratives uh, stories that move backwards concepts like characters who cannot remember their own names the idea of like relativity um, in terms of like interstellar concepts that like regular moviegoers or, or people who haven't really studied physics or thought that much about like how concepts interrelate or narrative theory don't have like a, a firm grasp of to begin with and what he does is he explains them very well there was a point when we were watching the opening sequence of Inception which is fantastic but where Alex pointed out that he had already explained that they were within a dream by cutting outside mm-hmm. of the dream. Mm-hmm. And then the moment where Seto says, oh, we're in a dream, is still treated as a big reveal. It's music rises it's up. It's sort of music rises. You get the sting. But the idea is that Nolan is very good at conveying information to the audience. And actually, this ties into the thing you were talking about with the cross-cutting uh, stuff. Like, editing is primarily about conveying information to the audience. When you cut a scene, you tell the audience's brain to basically file this as a separate piece of information. And what Nolan, I would argue... You, you admire a great edit. <laughs> I, I love a great edit but I think that one of the things that Nolan does uh, as a director is that he's not very good at saying okay well he's 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 very good at framing composition stuff like that but he's not a master that he's never going to compete with like Paul Thomas Anderson what he does very well is he does layering structure and yeah. editing as well um, in particular say his work with Lee Smith where he will cut scenes and provide enough exposition and details and give you just enough with a shot in order for you to interpret and to see where things are in relation to one another. So everybody can follow along with, with Inception. Like, Inception's a movie about... It's got five layers, five layers of recursion. In- but it's Interstellar, a movie- though, it loses a lot of people. Like, a lot of people that I've spoken to... I know we're not talking about it in, yeah. in, in, in Interstellar, but, yeah, like, he does a good job in Inception of it. I don't think that's necessarily something that he took from Inception um, in, into, into his, his, his other movies. I can I imagine people, people might have had the same problem easily with Dunkirk, hmm. um, where, where, where people are like, um, where, where the same argument can still go on. 
where people are saying like I it's interesting you say that because when I saw Dunkirk with someone they actually didn't fully get the time thing they actually just enjoyed it as a film and afterwards I said wasn't that so clever the way they like timed it all and he was like what are you talking about but the important thing is that he enjoyed the film he didn't feel locked out of it he didn't feel like he was struggling to make sense of it whereas with Interstellar I think um, like it it, and and it it was a danger of that movie that if you weren't interested in any of these themes of like relativity that that you were going to you know the stuff that captures the public imagination captures the public imagination but um, the thing with with Interstellar though is even with that it's still 2001 Space Odyssey but in a way that you can almost and I like yeah. Every year that yeah. he releases it a film, it didn't put me to sleep. And, and uh, <laughs> 2001: A Space Odyssey, in spite of me knowing that it's good, will always consistently put me to sleep. As we I have yet not been able to. But yeah, like these are great Christmas movies. Whenever he releases a movie in the summer, the DVD is always out in time for Christmas, mm. and it's always the family Christmas movie. So no matter how much wine or food, I don't know or your house, yeah. ready to fall asleep, no, people I've are. This at Christmas and yeah. Interstellar at Christmas. Yeah. But the idea is that yeah, no matter how full you are and ready to fall asleep you are, you mm. are still able to follow along with it because. Like this movie's just pure exposition. Yeah. Yeah. And but and there's also enough stuff in there that's kind of clever enough that you mightn't get it uh, straight away or then mm. on a second watching. Like like uh, something that might seem like a non sequitur um and then later in the movie you're like, Oh mm. like like the point where he um he says um uh, where Cobb says, um, I don't like trains. Yeah. And it's like later in the movie where it's uh, the, 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 like why he doesn't like trains. Yeah, it's a train that will take you far. Um, you don't. Um, yeah. You don't know nope. where you're going. You know, you know where it'll hope you'll take you. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you don't know for sure. It doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of that. Like, there's a lot of repeated dialogue, like the leap of faith that Sadie yes. urges him to <laughs> yeah. take, take, and which obviously Mal urged him to take. There's stuff like yeah. There's and there's all there's all the stuff about uh, there's all the suggestions that, that um, uh, to Cobb's mind that he's um, he's in a dream in in in, in a dream like where where um, when when is it the uh, grandfather is it uh, yeah Mal, played, played Mal's by, mother by my Mal's, Mal's father by Michael Caine yeah uh, where 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 he says uh, um, you need to come, come back, back to reality yeah come back to reality <laughs> but I mean, yeah. even the opening line you were mentioned there that the reoccurring like different characters you say the same phrases to him in different perspectives that you need to take a leap of faith yeah. happens three or four times throughout. Yeah. then there's like they actually all go to essentially a uh, <laughs> like a like opium an old time opium den mm-hmm. yeah and they're all asking questions like why do why do all these guys like being asleep all the time and they, they sort of give this long explanation of, of these people have sort of chosen to be happy in their own way by using escaping these drugs reality. by escaping reality and then interestingly he never uses his little his little spin top again after that sequence mm-hmm. like it just sees him like well, sign me in I'm up to track this and then he never ever gets a full spin you know. top after that but yeah. you even have for example the, the juxtaposition of himself and obviously Fisher where, where like after that after that sequence where he first goes under he goes into the bathroom he splashes his face he has a little panic attack yeah. which directly mirrors what happens to Fisher later on when he's in the hotel he yeah. goes into the bathroom and has a massive panic attack as well yeah. and I like the idea like there's a reading of the film and I don't think it's a literal reading so much as a thematic reading that it's as much about incepting Cobb mm. as it is about incepting Fisher it's about Cobb learning he needs to let go of Mal in the same yeah. way that they're teaching Fisher that he needs to reconcile with his father and I like oh, the, definitely I like yeah. the idea because they they, they they do the the, the, the job with uh, with Fisher like it, it's it it also needs to happen with Cobb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean Cobb is the only person who doesn't actually need to be there. Yeah, uh, like he's completely useless. In fact, he's 
he jeopardizes the entire operation. But there's never a point on the journey where he needs to be there for something to happen. But that's, and I think one of the reasons I didn't like it initially is that a lot of people were talking about the film as if it was this sort of absolutely brilliant puzzle box. Whereas to me, I actually didn't think it was enough of a puzzle box. And I would have almost preferred more clues or ambiguity about some, like he's actually in a lesser wider. And I think it's a very efficient film for the reasons you were saying, that he knows exactly how to sort of structure it so that it's something that people can go to the cinema and enjoy. I just also think a little bit like he dialed it. I mentioned Blade Runner earlier, Mm -hmm. which is another film that I, I find... I kind of like, I like it a lot, but I also, whenever I go, there's always this sense of you don't really know what's happening when you're watching Blade Runner. He doesn't know what's happening to other people. And I think a little bit more of that with Cobb would have been interesting and would have made the ending, which I think, think is a little bit of, I, I don't love the sort of cut on the, the thing as it wobbles. And not for the reason because I, I yeah. want to find out what's going on. I just <laughs> think it's... It, um, it's for listeners, Alex made wavy hands. Yeah. A suggestion. I think it's just it part of that whole sort of like teasing with a, a cleverer idea and then no no wait you know we're going to be doing something we got a car chase to do and i think the film does a lot of that rather than i mean it can't uh, the that's the strength of the movie is that like it it is um an exciting um conventional action movie wrapped in like a complete snooze yeah. fest <laughs> and, like it satisfies I would say it's an interesting almost thought experiment about the nature of memory and recollection inside a very boring action movie <laughs> That's what I would say. How about you both are right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I thought it was interesting, the thing about, like, Cobb does, is the one who doesn't need to be there. Because he's also the only one who needs to be yes. there. Because he's the, the only one who has, like, stakes. There's, yeah. there's a great moment with Eames. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, where, where it's... it's Fisher, failed, Fisher's yeah. died, and they're just about to get there. They're so close to incepting Fisher, but Fisher gets shot by Mal. Yeah. He dies. And Eames is just like... <laughs> well, it's not me who doesn't get back to my family. And then he goes, it's a shame. I was actually looking forward to seeing what was yeah. on the other side of that door. Like, professional curiosity. <laughs> back to the casino for me. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I, I, I love that... Um, I, I mean, I'll probably talk again and again about... Um, How much Like, through like, so many layers. But the, the I love the way he's... he's He's great at everything. He's probably better at at things than most people. Oh yeah, and I, I, the final I, the final act like he, is pretty much like oh uh, Eames, we need you to take yeah, out this private yeah. army. Yeah. We need you to get up here and cover our exit. You can use a defibrillator, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. no need to even ask. Yeah. Just takes <laughs> off the walls. Like, yeah. Whoop, we, here we go. We need you to get Fisher into that vault room. Yeah. It's like so. Yeah. What are the rest of you doing yeah. to achieve the plan that you devised? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, he's the one who's like yeah the, the relationship. We only with the talked father. to bring you in like quite late in. The, <laughs> Um, in the creative in, process, in, 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 world's most competent man. Yeah. yeah, and and except like the perfect thing about him is that he's bad at spelling and he's bad at maths. Yeah. Um, so so but but like the, it it doesn't matter how... because all of these people who are good at spelling and good at maths are around him. Are yeah, but they're they're also not so important. No. It, yeah. I love the idea that if we're continuing the filmmaking metaphor, that's the actor there. That's yeah. a very generous interpretation. Yeah, that's true. I can ride a horse. <laughs> stage combat yeah, yeah. Um, the man's well, defence but he can't uh, but he's the man who comes in, in this case he's it's the actor who comes up with the idea of the emotional hook actually which is mm-hmm. a nice little sort of reflection or circle back mm-hmm. around yeah but just, just on that point about the emotional hook you know so like you said it's a very cynical movie where you have all this kind of artifice headed towards you know convincing um, Fisher that you know he should do this based on the pinwheel you know um, and the recollection with his father and then 
we, I mean, you said you cried at that moment. Yeah, really? I, find, I, I found it really fun. It, it was a mixture of the music and the, well, the idea of, yeah, the filmmaking and the idea of um, pa- um, uh, Patrick Fisher finally kind of getting. <coughs> Robert Fisher. Uh, Fisher. Sorry, Robert Fisher. Um, That's a very good look. So Irish podcast with Patrick Fisher. (laughs) Squeezing in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, Yeah, of 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 him finally having that catharsis or that connection to his father, and and like um, I, um, even though I have a good relationship with my father, I still found it very affecting. The the, his. because I, I really felt for him as a character, um, um, Robert, Robert. <laughs> Fisher, because because it, it, there was something so um, so sad about he had this um, he had this father who was obviously very kind of like single minded, which maybe like accounted for some of his <laughs> like cutthroat success. But uh, he never the, Robert um, never really felt um, loved. Uh, loved. Yeah. So they did to to re, to realize even even though it was completely contrived that 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 that's that's that he held a an important part like in in his father's heart. Or so, the, but I mean, I know I would suggest this is what makes it an Irish movie, you know, because of the post-colonial relationship between Ireland and uh, well Britain, you know. So if you look at Britain as the father that helped create Ireland, you know, right, and Ireland's like Peter Possaway, yes, Peter Possaway is the Brit. Peter Possaway is kind of a, he's kind of Anglo-Irish, you know. Yeah. I wasn't unaware that he was actually I thought he was he was Irish. He's you know? been well, a lot of Irish. Yeah, been a lot of Irish, Irish, films, Irish, films, Irish films, films, yeah. since the fathers, yeah. and then obviously his last film was Killing Bono. Mm. This was his third to last film. He did between the, 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 the town. Um, he, he didn't look well in this film. No, what? Yes, and it's hard to tell how that's much of that was yeah, makeup or how much that was. Sorry. That's what I mean. Like yeah. I remember seeing him in the town as well at the same. He time. did look very slight and very. He played Irish Irish American kind of gangster in that. You know, but like he looks terrible in Use of Suspects, right? Oh yeah, it's Kobayashi. Yeah, but sorry, what were you saying? No, just the post-colonial reading where this isn't. This is an Irish movie. That's why we're discussing in our podcast here. So, like, if Pete is the British kind of overbearing kind of father, he was the person who kind of established the industries and kind of controls the empire. You know, they'll keep calling it an empire. You know, they do. We are kind of a. Killian Murphy is like the the second city of the empire. You know, he would be like the person who's going to inherit the empire, and then we have to kind of break. He should break away from it. You know. Okay. So I think there is definitely post-colonial reading that's been made, uh, and there's a very and we keep talking about mazes. Ariadne is kind of a, a maze maker, you know. Well, who was the Irish writer who who created mazes? Well, it was Joyce, you know. And all the, th- yeah. all, the, all, the all the kind of like Stephen Dedalus. What did Dedalus yeah. do? Created the labyrinth. Yeah. You know? It was on the the Ulysses ferry, and they had a map of the ferry. And yeah. I was just remarking on how many levels it has. To yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, and then there's a there's a quote in Ulysses where Stephen has asked something like um, about history, you know, and Stephen says, "Oh, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awaken," you know, and then Stephen ah. says, "Oh, what if history gives you a kickback?" Ah, I think so, you may just have cracked this. I think yeah. I, I yeah, I think you can definitely see all the allusions. I wouldn't be surprised at all yeah. if 
something had maybe been tied in at some point to that. Exactly, because because I suppose Ulysses is a um, a, a puzzle box itself. Mm-hmm. Like you could write an introduction as long as <laughs> Ulysses in order to and, and that People like have. each chapter is a different kind of area of study that mm-hmm. it relates to. Each chapter is a different uh, classical illusion, or mm-hmm. I think like even biblical illusions mm-hmm. as well. Um, each chapter is uh, told in a different style mm-hmm. um so there's so so much kind of like going on in 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 the one in the one book you could say that there's a lot going on um i suppose in this movie however it's 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 a movie so how well did, how, <laughs> how, it, how well does this achieve those things has Nolan ever said that he was influenced by joyce in any sort of stylistic or thematic no, way no he was in, he was influenced by waterlands i believe the famous non-linear uh, novel oh, i don't know that one what's oh, what it called uh, waterlands i believe waterlands. it's called mm-hmm. okay um, but it was i have no idea okay that up <laughs> no, i thought you said water world there for a second I was like, no, it it was water. Water. <laughs> there's always a big surprise there's a movie that's, that's right for reassessment the action sequences do belie that it was very influenced Kevin Aren't we all? But I, I like the Fisher stuff does leave me a bit cold because it feels like, and again, this is tied back to like, as you pointed out, like Nolan's big I'm making blockbusters now thing with the prestige where it's like, this is what spectacle is. Yeah. Uh, and the Dark Knight, which is like, this is what myth making is. Mm. And, and with Inception, there's a sense of this weird idea that individual emotional catharsis is tied to huge capitalistic impulses mm-hmm. controlled by vast multimedia empires that are designed to basically make people feel good about themselves in a way that doesn't reflect reality which if you were reading this as a metaphor for filmmaking is a very deeply cynical one it's like people come out of movies because they Mm -hmm. like catharsis Mm -hmm. because positive emotion trumps negative emotion but it's all in service of money and it's all in service of like these companies like Cobalt Industries like Sato Industries that are sponsor you feel um, something (laughs) not because the movie is real but because the feelings it expresses are real and similarly Robert's reaction to it is not because um like no, not because this is an actual um, real um, uh, situation that's being represented, but it's something that's real for him. But then you have so like, the, he, he breaks the, up his he breaks up his business empire. He loses all of his money based on this idea that they've implanted that his father wanted him to be his own man, which is very comforting. It's very emotionally reassuring. It's what every son wants false. to believe. Oh. But it's there's nothing in the film to suggest there's any reality to it well, whatsoever. Fisher and Murrow were the only thing stopping Saito from total energy. <laughs> yeah. And like if we if, if if it hadn't been for 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 that kind of um epiphany then then, then we wouldn't be the have all of the uh, great Saito products that we have now. Like the solar power, you know, and yeah. nuclear fission, the sponsors you know? of this podcast. Yeah. 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 So I mean, a, I think, maybe somebody... you could be a bit more cynical, Darren. <laughs> Aaron Rand streak through this film, like with the trains and with the (laughs) (laughs) the architects and with like a lot of the yeah, as you said to say the the end goal. You can feel whatever emotions you want, but at the end of the day, we're all making a lot of money, (laughs) and damn anyone who gets in our way, kind of thing. Um, I don't think the film is quite endorsing that. No, no, no. Um, and he does do a lot of that. Those, uh, you know, he where he sort of takes a political idea 
and 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 you know express it or sort of like uh, in, imbue it into the film. But it's not necessarily an endorsement. But yeah, it, yeah. like I mean, like there's a strong I would argue there's a strong anti-capitalist sort of anti-materialist stuff that runs through. Like for example, the Prestige. There's this discussion about how one great trick, which is something that one person can do, has to be mass-produced and turned into like this global industry yeah. with perfect copies. How Bruce Wayne has to lose all of his money in two of the three Batman movies in order for us to treat him as a hero. Mm. You know how, for example, you know that that sort of stuff. And there, there's um... the Dark Knight Rises, obviously, where like um, the fact that people are rich and wealthy and refusing to pay taxes um, has, you know, sort of led to this massive uprising in which everybody gets brutally, brutally hurt. Mm. I mean, what's it... the the great quote from him where he asked, like, how would Bruce Wayne vote in the 2012 uh, election? And Nolan's response was, before or after he went broke. Um... <laughs> yeah, I think Inception is a. It's sort of like what you were sort of saying. It's a much more sort of... It feels much more clear in him being able to express exactly his ideas rather than, than other things. I mean, I think Interstellar, you've sort of mentioned 2001 and a lot of the other influences, whereas I think this film is actually... It takes elements of things like The Matrix and Dark City and even some of his other stuff, but it's very, very Christopher Nolan and it's very distinctive. And it, that rains down to things like the music and even the cast and the, the, the you know, the whole... And it's sort of mirrored in the film with the, the you know it all being sort of Dom's plan. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting because I just don't think it works as well as some of his other ones, despite it being a, a, the most Christopher Nolan film. Which is interesting because I mean you, you cite there that even the influences that it has, where obviously it has the Matrix, Dark City, the Truman Show, that sort of like nineteen ninety nine wave mm. of the world we're living in is fake. The dream is completely shattered. It's worth noting that like Nolan made Memento, which is arguably one of those yeah. films as well. So it's, I, I would argue it's not so much that he's influenced by those. This is an idea that in which he's interested. Yeah. I mean Jonah Nolan went on to do Westworld, which is that idea but ten times a year. You yeah. Know, once every two years. Diluted down a little bit. Yeah. So. Just a, just a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that you could make an argument this is, in some ways, the most Nolanian of films, with the possible exception of The Prestige. Yeah. I, I think The Prestige is still probably, even though it's based on a book, it's still perhaps the purest Nolan film, I think. What, but this is very much up there. What did we think of the accents? I might yes. just play our we'll, we'll... accent intro. What goes on in this town is none of your business. As long as I'm living here, it is. Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! Okay. Accents. Obviously, the one I was interested in was Kevin uh, Murphy's because it's not quite Australian, but he does have an Australian passport. It's not quite anything. He's sort of affected mm. this relatively bland, very not from anywhere, mid not American, mid-Atlantic, yeah. but not overly like... Yeah. I, I wonder if people who are from the States are, are watching it and kind of thinking, Kevin Murphy, where's he from? Is he from Ohio? Is he looks he like from... he could be from anywhere. You no. Know? Yeah. So I think, I mean, regarding Irish culture and Irish filmmaking, I think he's doing very well to kind of put himself on the international stage. Is that, kind the, of, is that the marker to win, to join a, a cast and be... He could be from anywhere. I, I, well, I think Liam Neeson... Uh, as Who a is counter, a Cillian? Who yeah, is this Cillian? Another man who's on a plane a lot, beating people up. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I heard he just signed up for a, a snowplow yes, movie. Howard Powder. Howard Powder. Uh, no, it's great. It's Liam Neeson. It's a yeah. snowplow driver, hell-bent on revenge in Hard Powder. Yeah. Liam Neeson is an ice cream truck driver, yeah. hell-bent on revenge <laughs> in cold justice. So, we've talked a little bit about Irish actors in this movie, Killian Murphy. We've also talked about Liam Neeson in Snowplow. But have you noticed that this isn't really, strictly speaking, 
An Irish movie? What? What are you talking about? What are you does, talking about? Does, does, does this seem Andrew. like... What? Darren, um, it's Guys. fine. I've done this before. Don't draw attention to it. Darren, Darren, Darren's worried because he thinks people are going to tune out of the podcast if I point out that this podcast is within another podcast. You see, right what? now, right, right, right now you're inside the 250 podcast. Remember the training, Alex. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you guys remember watching this movie? Yeah, of course. It- I mean, you you mentioned it, though. It's not an Irish film, and why are we doing it on this? Chris Merlin is Irish. No? It was shot in Ireland? No. Oh, no. 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 So, I I think... Podcasts feel real while you're in there. (laughs) It's only when you're listening to them that you realize something was strange. So, I think if, 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 if you will join us, I think we can go a little bit deeper. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. So guys, welcome to Speaking Geek. Um, It's a very special episode because I have two guests with me. And we're going to be talking about a film, uh, and who better to talk about films with than uh, Darren Mooney and Andrew Quinn from the 250. Hello. Well, I would suspect there are lots of people. That better <laughs> to Thank you very much for having us, Greg. Of course. I love having you guys, and I love talking films with you guys. If there's anyone who epitomizes the medium of film mm. and cinema mm. as a um, whole, yeah. it's you, Andrew. And I. <laughs> yeah, and I. Um, but yes, so, uh, Inception, you asked us on to talk about Yes, 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 because... Um, we recently, we recently watched it. Um, I love Tom Hardy. And, you know, I haven't actually watched it in a while. And obviously there's, uh, you know, Darren is an, uh, pretty much an expert in uh, Inception and Christopher Nolan in the, as a whole. So I just thought, you know, who better to speak geek about it than, yeah. than Darren and Andrew. He's an expert in Christopher Nolan. I think yeah, so. That's not, that's not... And in guerrilla warfare. <laughs> <laughs> like Rambo. Yeah. Um, they didn't come, the, the Christopher Nolan expertise didn't really come up in First Blood that often, no. but it was very much there. Mm. But yeah, so Inception is a remarkable film. I, I remember watching this. I remember this because this came out around the time I think I started writing about film. And would it have been the same time that you started writing about film, I think? Oh, or? God, no. Um, actually, it's really funny. I was an American when I first saw it. Oh, wow. I got to see it in a really old-style cinema. Like, like it had arches and in the cinema I remember seeing it it was beautiful and I had no idea what Inception was really I hadn't seen a trailer at all That's I had no idea what was, what was it like um, I was with an, the thing is if you're in America and you have a big enough American crowd you're gonna get you're gonna feel it you're gonna have the the ambience the the thrill you feel there's a there is a pulse in an American cinema that I don't think European cinemas get I've, I've now just that. because this is on Fox there's no need for loud hooting and hollering. I've, actually, I've heard this from people, like, and it's it's really weird. Cheers. What's interesting is Europeans even think Irish people are overly emotional when they watch films because mm. we occasionally clap when the end credits come on yeah. if we're really impressed. And I've been with people from Europe who are like, "Why are you clapping? The director can't hear you. There's nobody here who values. Why are you clapping? Yeah, there's nobody here who values your input. Um, you paid your money. Why would you clap? Yeah. But I've also talked to Americans who are like, "Oh, Irish audiences are very difficult to read when they're watching movies. Sometimes mm. it's very hard to tell whether or not we're enjoying something." Yeah, this so, is this. This is Darren's um, stand-up five minutes. He's yeah. like, 
German cinema watcher. He's like, <laughs> was ist das? Yeah. Uh, American cinema watcher. He's sehr, sehr good. Yeah. You ever notice how Americans watch films? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, it was, I imagine it was a pretty it was, it was, um, not seen it before. Like, no, have not heard of it? Or? No, and at the time, I'm fairly certain this is my first Christopher Nolan film. I had not seen, I had not seen The Prestige. Not seen The Dark Knight? Not seen... No, was it was Christopher Nolan? Was Christopher Nolan? Was the Dark Knight before? Was Batman Begins and the Dark Knight before? It was. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize, but at the time, I didn't realize it was the same director. No. So for me, it was it was it was a first was, conscious Christopher. Yeah, Nolan? first conscious Christopher Nolan film. That makes a certain amount of sense because this is like the first film he was did. Was it your first subconscious Christopher <laughs> Nolan? I mean, there's a lot of subconscious in this film, so yeah. But I mean, that kind of makes a great deal of sense because this is for many people. Obviously, he'd done a lot of movies beforehand. Mm. He'd done Following, he'd done Memento, mm. he'd done Insomnia. Yeah. He also did The Prestige and stuff. But this was the one after he did The Dark Knight, which was one of the biggest movies of all time. And this was a movie that was entirely his own creation. This is one the world took note. This was, yeah, this was one that came from nothing. You know, an original concept, original <laughs> intellectual property, so to speak. An idea that was planted in the collective. And we all know what ideas are like. Yeah, they take root. They're the most resilient form of parasite. Mm. And it's actually interesting because, again, it's hard to imagine. Like, we, we don't... I think we sort of accepted it uh, recently or in the past decade or so. That we live in a world where there are very few original blockbusters. Very few blockbusters that don't have some original IP that you can trace them back to. Whether it's an original series of films, a television show, or even a book, comic book, etc. It's very rare to have something that comes from next to nothing. And I mean, it, it's interesting because like in, in Inception itself, there's a bit of dialogue around that. There's like this whole big discussion from Cobb when he's dealing with Ariadne, when he's like, you always create uh, whole new places. You don't conjure yeah. stuff from memory. And It's I mean, a rule that you have to follow. And, and of course, <laughs> Cobb being Cobb. Yeah. Yeah, take Doesn't. take something from a Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the the it's um yeah, it's it's we don't we don't see very many solo movies anymore. Unless it's a hand solo movie. Uh, uh, no, I've seen any more of those. But yeah, I mean that that's the they thing. They mold it. <laughs> but I Well played, Andrew, well played. Smooth. Um, but I, I do wonder if that's kind of like something that the movie's sort of getting at, because I was thinking a little bit before this about how like, there's a certain sense of, like, um, you know, anti-monopolistic, anti-capitalist sentiments, but that's purely at the, you know, at the mercy of your subject's prejudices. Mm-hmm. That runs through Christopher Nolan's films. So, obviously, <laughs> think about, for example, the monopolies in this film, and obviously, uh, when you go on to The Dark Knight Rises, the idea mm. of, like, wealth and companies and corporate power. And part all, of one... all, all, all of those top hats in, in, uh, in, <laughs> in, in, um, in the, prestige. the Prestige. Yeah, it's a very much an embodiment. Well, the Prestige also has this subtext of like industrialization, where like what Hugh Jackman's character wants to do, because you know we're gonna. This is speaking geek. We can just go wild. Go nuts. Spo- yeah, 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 yeah. We all assume that you've seen it. You're yeah. speaking geek here. What What mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman wants to do is he just wants to mass produce yes. this one unique quirky trait that Chris, that's our Christian Bale's character has. And like, so there's this ambivalence that runs through his films. And I wonder if part of that's tied to the way that Christopher Nolan wants to make movies. Because like, you look at Inception, and Inception is this largely wholly original. And it, it, it's not entirely original, as Andrew points out. In yes. fact, um, you know, 
Cobb talks about this. Cobb says, like, um, you know, take details, take a little building from this, take a little arch from that, but put them together in a way that's original. Because that's largely what Inception does. Because Inception, Andrew's entirely right when he points out that, like, there are parts of this movie that you will recognize from other movies. He Mm -hmm. points to, obviously, like, the the bottom level of the game, so to speak, which is on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but starring Tom Hardy. And we like Tom Hardy. We love Tom Hardy here. Uh, And I will say... um, watching the film again because I haven't watched this in ages I also noticed something that has become kind of prevalent in my mind now it might be like the best Sandman film we've never seen oh with dreams and stuff yeah with dreams with the dreamscape and like how how people live in the dream world and you you know obviously it has another tangential uh, line to it and the fact that Joseph Gordon-Levitt who's in this film's Arthur he almost he was producing a Sandman film that sadly never came to be oh, yeah, he, he was, was going to be Dream himself yeah and I mean there's there's other little hints in mm. there as well the other roles that the characters mm. have played so for example uh, Marion Cotillard famously won the Oscar for the V and Row uh, where she sang the song that they oh, use yeah. as the as the little wake up call that plays for the <laughs> film Eat a Pia yeah which is uh, a wonderful little like people say that like Nolan doesn't necessarily have a sense of humour mm. in what he's doing I think that he does. I yeah. mean, uh, we joked, I think, I, I can't remember quite when it was. It seems so long ago, but we joked mm. about how... Could have been uh, 10 hours ago. It could have yeah. been two weeks. Yeah, 10 months. 10 years. <laughs> yeah, 10 yeah. years. But I remember joking about how you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling, was oh. the Christopher Nolan version of a dick joke. Um, yeah. Because like, there, there is, there's a sense of like playfulness in the way that he makes his movies that isn't what you would consider... Overly playful, mm. but always has like an arched eyebrow sort of quality to it. Yeah, like and 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 I guess um, he 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 enjoys these kind of um, sexual allusions, as 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 you've alluded to, um, um, with the um, with the Eames joke uh, about you. You must be afraid to dream a little bigger, uh, to dream darling. a little bigger, darling. Because there's there, there's kind of like psychosexual stuff at the very beginning. We have um, he's in in Saito's uh, uh, kind of palace, yeah, and um, it feels intentional when he's like getting the the, the rope, yeah. and like she's sitting in the chair, and he sort of he's like touching her, her feet, and yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I felt the I, I felt the exact same. It was like a little no, I didn't notice that before. Mm. Yeah, there's well, there's I mean, there's lots of little things. It's about definitely it. something to suggest like uh, you're 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 into some conscious, yeah. Yeah, you're playing with rope and you're also playing with the leg and it's like, are you Quentin Tarantino? Are you Alfred Hitchcock? Mm. Who's going to decide? Are you and, Neil Gaiman? Who yeah, knows? Yeah. <laughs> like, like when um, when Arthur is like, um, just remember you're here to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I like the idea that Arthur's been in a situation with rope before mm. with, uh, with Cobb and it's like, okay, uh, never again. We just don't talk about that. <laughs> is it worth talking about? That term is very avoidant. <laughs> every time that we... Uh, every Every time that we watch Inception, every time that I watch Inception, I keep coming back to the little level of details in there, like in the attention that's paid. Because one of the things about it is that the characters who populate the film all seem like they're none of them really get like big monologues or explanations or like character backstories, but all of them feel weirdly developed and make a certain amount of sense yeah. of yeah. themselves. Yeah, they're he's, he's definitely given them a yeah. he's given them a depth to their character that is, I think, a combination of good writing on his parts. Um, um, excellent direction, and then just he's he's picked an excellent cast. Yeah, like they they've played their part. They play their parts perfectly. Yeah. Everything feels real, yeah. doesn't it, Graham? It's 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 funny that you'd say that it feels real, but at the same time, 
what what is reality in this film like at what point does it stop and when does it you know begin again yeah. it's it's you ever notice yeah i i i mean like it's, getting tougher. It's, it's getting tougher yeah, it's getting tougher it's getting tougher like yeah. a good film you you just kind of become absorbed in, in yeah mentor. yeah well let's let's talk a little bit about that because like that's one of the interesting things is that the movie's sort of relationship with the audience and stuff. Because one of the things that always absolutely fascinated me about movies, and I mean, this is a movie about loving movies in some way, is the idea that when you're watching a movie, the part of your brain that's stimulated is the same part that works while you're having a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and we process um, films in the way that we process dreams. Studies that have been done on the way the human mind works suggest that, like, the human capacity to position ourselves or even to to position ourselves as an objective observer in a film because if if you think about it the idea of a film is crazy it's a flat two-dimensional image that's projected or you know screened Uh, um, the train is coming right at me (laughs) on a a square box and it's it's like it's we know rationally that there's nothing behind it we know that you know we know rationally that it's 24 of those images played back to back to create the illusion of movement the history of film is like back at the start of film people were very stupid (laughs) I thought these things were actually happening. Yeah, the famous. That's story Morgan Freeman, Morgan by the way. Freeman. Yeah, see. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Of course, Andy. he's back when Morgan Freeman was just starting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that Morgan Freeman was already I don't an think established veteran. Started veteran. out as Morgan Freeman, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he became. Uh, <laughs> but I like the idea that, like, back when they were, the Lumiere brothers were filming, because that's the one. That's the the famous first film. Yeah, the shot train was the train yeah, arriving, and people like tried to jump out of the yeah. way. But, like, the idea, the argument is that what allows people to watch a movie and mm. to empathize with the characters, even though they know they're actors, and even though they know they're a two-dimensional representation on a surface, is the same logic that allows the brain to work when it's dreaming. Because, mm. again, like, they discuss it in the film itself, but, I mean, everybody knows uh, if you've dreamed, you, you, or if you've dreamt, you have this weird situation that seems completely insane when you describe it afterwards. Like, mm. oh, I was... Just talking to a fish man, and I, I then I got the Flying escalator. To the sky. Yeah, I got the escalator in the Neverland, and it turns out I went underground, but then I was at the top of a mountain. Mm. And when you describe it, there were chairs, but there weren't chairs. Yeah, there were blankets. Yeah, that sort of stuff. And it seems like you can't even when you wake up. Sometimes you can't articulate yeah. the logic that binds the dream. But when you're in the dream, as they point out in the film, it feels real while you're in it. Yeah, that's because your brain processes that imagery in like a, a continuous state and goes with it. And studies suggest that like that's what works when you watch film. That's how the brain processes film imagery and film language. So stuff like rapid cuts, for example, because we know when we watch stuff through our eyes that we don't suddenly change position like a camera does. Mm-hmm. Like logically, that should be completely the insane yeah. to our brains our brains should not be able to process the idea of have being in one vantage point and then being in another while sitting perfectly still with the slice of a you know an edit mm. uh, but our brain pieces it together because we're willing to go with it and we're willing to just process the imagery on a dream level yeah. i mean i remember reading the earliest schools of film criticism were inspired not by literary criticism not by like the doctrines of like studying art theater uh, or or books it was more psychoanalytical analytical it was more like freud um and i mean we we talked about this i, I think we had you on a little while ago on our own podcast talking about mission impossible and we were talking who knows with, uh, <laughs> it could have been a while ago. yeah, yeah. I, I, <sighs> sorry i'm a little tired it's very hard to keep, it's, it's very hard to keep things straight but right. we were talking about i think mission impossible and i, I had that think, turkey leg was yeah. it was it little dick energy? Yeah, but it was Andrew was talking about like how when we discuss film, 
we talk about Adlerian psychology. And I like mm. the point that we've reached the point where Andrew's be- you're being cited as a theorist on another podcast. <laughs> like the body of work that is Andrew Quinn. This is the connections. This yeah. is the connections we make in real life and in dreams. But um, Andrew made the point, this very salient point, that like a lot of how we talk about films is influenced by stuff like Adlerian psychology, where we, we construct theses in our heads and we construct narratives that exist outside them. And everything that happens, we can construct or, or fit within our own theory and mm-hmm. interpretations. And that's the way that we do process film imagery. And it's interesting because, like, the film itself touches on this with the idea of, like, projections. Because it actually mentions projections. Yeah, it calls them projections. And the argument is that, psychologically speaking, what makes film special and unique and incredibly, like, powerful as, as a sort of a medium is that you have the image that you project onto the wall, but every single audience member watching that project something of themselves onto it and how they interpret it and how they make sense of it and what they take away from it. And I always, I find that interesting how we can watch movies and we can take away something completely different from them. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never found that myself. I I, I, (laughs) I always have perfectly objective. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always see things uh, like the right way. Very, very, uh, (laughs) very, very straightforwardly. So, so it turns out our experience is quite different than, oh, (laughs) Mind blown. Mind blown. And you're broke, Andrew. I don't think think it was going to happen sooner or later. But as I was like, that's kind of, I wonder if that's what Nolan sort of, because everybody's written, there's all this stuff that's written about how Inception is about filmmaking. It's about Mm. the experience of filmmaking and all that stuff about whether or not, you know, Cobb's the director, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff. You're but, not dreaming now, are you? Yeah. I <laughs> love all that stuff. The, the, the... Oh, the badass one-liner. I absolutely love... Like, You're this, not dreaming now, are you? The guy who picks up Cobb when he's that in... That was ridiculous. And immediately gets, like, a headbutt in, like, in, in, the, in the mouth. Yeah, like, for his badass one-liner. I feel like, really bad. That guy probably like, spent a whole day working on that. that like, so when you like, grab him... Um, ah, yeah. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch you know it? No, it but I got to dentist sense of reality. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, like Nolan has talked about how when he was doing this, he was offered money to make this movie 3D, and he turned it down. Uh, and the reason why he turned this da- turned it down, and the reason why he goes for IMAX over 3D. Mm. Now, part of me suspects it's just like awareness or, or belief that 3D is a, a gimmick that's not going to last because we've reached the point where... 3D is going for total energy dominance. <laughs> <laughs> IMAX is the IMAX. only thing that stands between it. Yeah, uh, exactly. So we must convince Warner Brothers not to invest money in 3D. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, so certain anti-monopolistic must segments... Must be broken are... down into the dimensions. <laughs> into the two dimensions. But one of the... the art, So I suspect part of that's down to Nolan knowing or treating 3D as, as a gimmick in the way that many people do. Like, you know the way we're, we're very cynical about 3D. Yeah. I mean, like, there are very few films being released these days. I know The Predator is being released in 3D. Oh, is this? It is. I know. Oh, that. that's another nail in the coffin. I know that uh, the Avatar sequels are being released in 3D, for example, but that's because Cameron... Cameron is... is Cameron is... If, if Nolan is the adversary... Then Cameron is the um, is the, uh, the proponent. proponent. Thank you, the protagonist, the protagonist who sees himself as the as the herald of a new age of three D. Oh, yeah, he's the, 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 he's the Fisher. 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 Fisher he's Morrow. the Fisher King. Fisher Morrow. Yeah, <laughs> um, to Nolan's sort Saito. of Saito. Um, but there is this sort of thing that like 
Nolan's argument, though, academically, when he was asked about it, his, his observation was that he doesn't trust 3D not because he, he thinks it's a fad or not because he doesn't think it'll work or not because it was tried in the 50s and it didn't work then. Mm. His argument against it is that it means that everybody sitting in the cinema, depending on their position, will see a different objective image, which is absolutely fascinating. So if I'm sitting beside Andrew... And we're both in 3D because of the way the glasses are yeah. and where we are. We see a slightly different image projected yeah. on the screen. I can, I can totally agree with that. But it, it's interesting because at the same time, Nolan is a director whose films hinge on the idea of subjectivity. So like if you think of, for example, um, The Prestige, the way that's two dueling stories, two people who are trying to figure out a narrative with their own piece of information. If you think about Batman films, they're they're all about like Chris, about. Bruce Wayne constructing the mythology like of Batman. the idea of dueling stories. Like, you have to tell a story <laughs> to the devil. <laughs> and it has to be a better one, or at least yeah, a more complicated Because he's in a bind. <laughs> um, he was way behind. He's way behind. Um, God, I, I love the devil went down to Georgia. Um, but yeah, so, like, part of me wonders if, like, Inception with its dream world is Nolan playing with that idea. Because mm. obviously... All of his films, and particularly, we'll, t- we're probably going to talk about the ending to this one, I suspect. Yeah. But, like, all of his films are, like, he pays a great deal of attention to how they're constructed, to how they're screened. He has, like, obviously, he's a big proponent of real film, you know, the whole 30 mil, 35 mil, yeah. 70 mil screen. Sure, we saw, we saw Dunkirk in yeah. 35 mil, it was fantastic. Yeah. And how he, he does, like, this unrestored print of. of 2001 Space Odyssey, which mm-hmm. he toured around uh, the world earlier this year. Um, I mean, it was screening at the IFI Dublin, I think. It was? Yeah, but uh, so he, he has this sort of, he has this obsession with film as a physical thing that you hold and that physically exists and that you, you project the image onto and it's something you can hold. Mm. Um, and he's never shot on digital. He has no interest in shooting on digital. Unlike Tarantino, who tried digital and it didn't work for him and he's just Which film was that? Tarantino did it on Sin City. Ah. He directed the whole sequence in the car with Benicio Del Toro. Oh. And he did it uh, out of respect for Robert Rodriguez, because Rodriguez was shooting on digital, and he's like, look, Quentin, you have to try this. And Quentin was like, I don't think I'll like it. And he did it. He's like... I didn't like it. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't like it, so I'm not doing it. Uh, Whereas Nolan has never done Mm. anything like that. Nolan's always said, look, I've always shot in film. I'm always going to shoot on film, because film is something that exists, is tangible. You can hold it. And it's interesting that while he devotes so much attention to the idea of like the image on screen being exactly what he wants it to be and shown in exactly the way that he wants it to be The seen, story itself. The story itself is always full of these little shadows yeah. and little spaces onto which you can project or you can read what you want. And like the ending of this film is a case in point where people are still... Like, it's been nearly 10 years at this point and people are still asking Michael Caine about it in interviews <laughs> when he's touring for King of Thieves. Um, and I kind of not a great, no, no, not a great film to bring that up with. Just, yeah, I mean, there's no real connection. There's no connection. But it, like the um, interviewers who ask those sorts of questions shouldn't be let <laughs> in a room with <laughs> Michael Caine. It's like so. So I was done in Inception, <laughs> and it's like what. <laughs> what do you mean to say? <laughs> I was just told to inception. I was just supposed to talk to Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, I'm only supposed to ask the bloody question. <laughs> um, but yeah, it. Uh, he's still getting answered, and he's still giving answers about it, and we're still talking about it, and it's still generating. To answers. be fair, he, his most recent answer has now been taken as the de facto answer. What? Well, let's like you know, Michael. Caine, I take that answer because I'm so annoyed of the previous answers. <laughs> Michael Caine. What? 
To be fair, Michael Caine's answer to it sounds like okay. Just for listeners, it's become a thing where it's like the we're like you the is somebody doing a blog with the different answers of from Michael Caine? <laughs> Has it become a thing now? Yeah, where well, like each, well, each you get a different genie each time you rub that. <laughs> yeah, uh, one hundred different explanations yeah. of Inception from Michael Caine. You shake Michael Caine and he gives you a random answer. Yeah, yeah it's like, like the an ball. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but uh, the current answer is that magic uh, cane ball. The, yes, the, the current answer though, like. It seems fairly like it's being worshipped as like fact when it just seems like the kind of thing that a director would say. Or a dad says to his granddad. Sorry, so a dad says to his dad. So like for (laughs) listeners who haven't read it, uh, Michael Caine says, look, it's very simple. I said to Chris, I said, I can't follow what's going on here. When is it a dream and when is it real? And Christopher says to me, he says, when you're on screen, that means it's real. Um, And and that (laughs) feels very much like... Then he told me... Some people just want to watch the world back. Yeah, but, uh, sorry, that was a terrible, Michael, from me, that was my terrible Michael Caine impression. <laughs> oh no! But, but uh, Graham's is much better. But oh. the, the argument is that that always seems to me like, like somebody, like a director just going, read the line, Michael. <laughs> like, just, just do just it. Just read the goddamn line. Yeah, just, just, just you, you have the script there, just go with it. It feels like it's the kind of scenario that, that Christopher Nolan didn't want to be left in the same scenario with um, Michael Caine as Peter Jackson was with Sean Connery. It's like, I don't understand any of this uh, dialogue. <laughs> what what does it mean? I don't want this role. Bye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you got Ian McKellen. Oh, Lord of the Rings. Sean oh, Connery really? didn't understand any of the dialogue for Gandalf. Because he was originally going to be Gandalf. Um, that's who Peter Jackson offered the role to. And so he didn't understand it. Said it was like gobbledygook. Didn't understand it at all. And so we got Ian McKellen as Gandalf. And then, and then uh, Sean Connery got the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I think the world's a better place for it. Because yeah. we've got Ian McKillen as Gandalf. So you, so you replace the guy who's not very nice with someone who is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So well, it is a better place. It yeah, is. It's a much better one. But yeah, do you want to talk about the ending of it? Um, like, I was actually... I want to talk about the world of it. Let's talk about the world of it. The world... What do we all think these people do, like, did before they became the architect? Inception. The dreamer. That's yeah, like, the that's, thing is, are they military? Because... I so. watching this film when I was when I watched it the first time I was like grand and I've watched this a couple times over the years, but I realize now, in these dreams they're like taking on military individuals who are dreams, which means they might have superpowers in a sense because so. they're like they're they have to worry about breath energy and they're taking them all on like um, Arthur Arthur beats the crap out of like five people while he's being flipped around the place. Oh, he's, and he's, he grabs. And let's talk about Eames' audition tape for James Bond he's as well. A, yes. Arthur has a great choke on, on, <laughs> on the guy who, on me? who was hiding behind the tray. Uh, the, yeah, the, the old floating the room tray. Service, yeah, the room service <laughs> Which is great, by the way. Exactly. If you're ever in a floating hallway, the room service the tray. Snack is a snack cart. Yeah. <laughs> behind the snack cart. Creep up on uh, Arthur. Yeah. Attack him. <laughs> Have him choke you. I'm choke being, you out. Being honest, I'm a bit surprised that, like, after Arthur did that, mm. he didn't say, go to sleep, like he did with Paradox, when he just throws the guy down the stairs, mm. or like Eames does when he gives the thumbs up. Paradox. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just like, all of them had, like, even Yusef is like a crack driver? Yeah. Like, on the same level as maybe Baby? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like, where did we ever get this from? Well, to be fair, right? And, and he this, says he never goes in. But this is this is fair. Well, he, you know. Uh, so, all by takes... the way, there are a lot of holes in this movie. <laughs> and then, but, 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 like, well, hold on. Like, I was gonna just to answer that one, right? Mm-hmm. 
All it takes to learn a skill, allegedly, is the 10,000 hours, right? Oh. So if you can go under and you can dream... And keep in mind that, like, while they're planning it, I, mm. really, I really like that while they're planning it, they have, like, the characters wandering around yeah. the sets. So they wonder, They do it in the hotel lobby. They do a bit of planning. You see Saito bit, under dream several times. Yeah, they do a bit of planning in the, like, the Sydney Business District, for mm. example. Um, and the idea is that, like, so maybe that's where they hone their skills a bit. Because everybody spent 10,000 hours of sleep, which would be the equivalent of, like, a night's sleep under heavy sedation. Okay. The big question for me, time-wise, right? Mm. Right. Is the character of Eames, who is the forger, how the hell does he manage to spend enough time undercover at Fisher Morrow to, to get, get into the room? Into the room that's right next to where they're... Well, he said no, he said no, he was great with references. He yeah. did point out that he was great with references. How, so, And he's a forger, so I guarantee you he forged it from, like, another company. <laughs> but what I don't get is, Saito is supposed to be the, the next competitor to Fisher. Yeah. How do they not know? How does he not know him to see? How does he not know yeah. him to see? Yeah, I was oh, in, in the, the taxi. Yeah, yeah, not in the yeah. taxi. Oh, not in the, the taxi. Not just in the taxi. In they're the... in the same plane. Yeah, and and they're 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 also um, maybe that's uh, why Fisher's dad didn't want him running. The company. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, he just runs a little photo book, and it's like, no, nope, he, he goes with Saito. Yeah, it's like you could have you you could have you could have sent somebody else. Um, with 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 Fisher, but you send Saito in, and yeah. it's like, whoa, this is trippy. You're 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 that guy Saito who owns that company, who are our main competitors, along with Cobell Engineering. But, <laughs> I mean, they're a joke. They're a joke. Uh, we don't even yeah. know who owns them. Yeah, we don't even see that guy. Yeah, well, yeah. I love that Cobell Engineering. Like, I love that it's basic. The world of and it's kind of interesting you, because you like start the movie feeling kind of like um, like. Um, Afraid of Cobalt and, and engineering, yeah. and then you realize, oh, they're just kind of—they're yeah. the third guy. Yeah, you but, know, no one talks about. But like that—that's the thing is that there's a sense the world of like Inception has been sort of divided up into like corporatocracy, mm. and it's like okay, so you know, Fisher Morrow for some reason get like you know Australia and America apparently. Saito yeah. Industries are all over Tokyo, and it's like oh, they're Mobasa's where Cobalt Engineering yeah. are, and the that hub of of like. Engineering. But they they don't have an office in Buenos Aires. Which yeah, is, no, <laughs> no. Which, which is which is where um, Cobb is going to go to get away from them. Yeah. yeah, Buenos Aires is where we go dark. Yeah, but I, mean, <laughs> I kind of like that. There's enough suggestion in the world building to like that. It makes enough sense that it doesn't have to spend too long on it. So, for example, the idea that the dreaming space was invented by the military, and this kind of ties into your question mm. of whether or not they're ex-military. Yeah. It's, it feels like Arthur, because Arthur seems to hold himself, talk, the way he talks and everything, hold himself, oh, yeah. how he, and the talk, way that he moves. And pack, pack smaller briefcases yeah. inside bigger briefcases. Yeah. That's such an army thing. It really is. Um, like, you feel like he was one of those, like, drone operators or something, <laughs> or or he's just a military int- strategist. You feel like or Arthur like, was a military strategist. Like Edward Snowden. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps in a different world. But I also like, yeah, he also doesn't ask any questions yeah. as well. Um, I love that when you're watching it, whenever um, Arthur... Yeah, it's is, like, you're either... You're, you're, you're either I don't know if you don't know or if you don't want to know. Yeah, that's a yeah, great that's line. That's a great line from Ariadne. He's just like, sorry, I just zoned out there. <laughs> There's also the bit where he's on the plane and where he's like... Uh, Cobb's like oh Inception can be done he's like why have you tried it before he's like yeah on who and then there's just an awkward silence and Arthur's like Not well helping. I guess I'll just leave that there this is really nice by the way yeah. um, this, um, you know I do wonder why I stick around with you and I clearly know there are issues in your head yeah. <laughs> but um 
Like just he couldn't of... imagine what they might be because <laughs> he has no imagination. Yeah. Mm. Um, He's, yeah, he's the guy you trust to imagine a hotel lobby. Eames is like, can you imagine this vast, empty, open space with a hospital and with armed guards and with, like, an avalanche and with trees and stuff? But and it's like, and Arthur's like, so what do I do? He's like, can you do some corridors? <laughs> no, 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 no. Arthur is the stairs guy. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. That's Arthur. He can just create endless stairs. Can, 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 you, can you imagine a world like the inside of the hotel lobby you were in at the start of the movie? Yeah. Um, oh, to I, Andrew. I have, I have perhaps the best student <laughs> that I've, I've ever had at my university. She's better than you, Cobb. All you have to do now is it's, teach her how. And <laughs> corrupt her. Yeah, yeah. It's it like, teach her how to do literally everything. It's like, <laughs> so what does she know how to do? Um, she, she's pretty good at puzzles if you give her like three attempts. Um, <laughs> yeah, if it was uh, a one attempt game, she would have lost. Yeah. It's like, well, this isn't uh, this isn't very good. Uh, but I did spend a lot of hours flying to Paris, so I yeah. guess we got to do over. And the, like, the, I guess I got to feel like this pl- this film is like a big Trivago ad because like the the hotels are gorgeous. They yeah. are. They are yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. And, and the place where Saito is as well. The that's palace. My the favorite. palace. Yeah. That's, 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 that look, it's ripped out of feudal Japan. Yeah, oh. boy. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. But I mean, to go back to that sort of stuff, and in particular to the like the army stuff, that's interesting because video video games developed uh, from the army the mm-hmm. army developed video games which is a nice sort of touch mm. it gives that sort of nice little level sort of sense to it but just probably going to come around to them now so they created video games and it, uh, eventually all uh, video- armed forces will be a video game well, that's <laughs> like with somebody yeah yeah, yeah. I mean wasn't that that good kill by um, the guy who directed Gattaca that, Andrew Nicole and that movie Andy Toys <laughs> with, the, with, the, with, the, with the same premise the, which is the, it's Andrew. Isn't that Robin Williams' film? Yeah, yes. Which Andrew Andrew oh, is wow. like willing to die on the hill of toys to make yeah. an example. Like, Good film. But just in terms of the world building, like no one has argued that like the reason one of the reasons why uh, world building why he made yeah literal world because it, it is it is literal world building. It's world building. But one of the reasons that he made Inception was because he was always intrigued by the idea of the heist movie because the heist movie is just pure exposition. Mm. If you think about it. Think about Ocean's 8, think about Ocean's 11, think about Ocean's American 4. Animals is a nice kind of subversion of that. No, but even then it's the same sort of thing. Mm. They spend so long talking about how they're going to do it. Every heist movie is as interested in the planning as it is the execution of the heist. Mm. In most heist movies, the execution of the heist is the third act, whereas the, the first two acts are just, how are we going to do this heist? Mm. And they talk yeah. about it in great depth. the same thing in GTA 5. Yeah. Is, is there, is there, like, you probably, yeah, do spend as much time yeah. kind of setting up all of the... Is there a conversation to be had about how, like, this could... Michael Caine's character could be the character from The Italian Job? I mean, his name. Is there any... So was how, a specialist how, how, on entering people's minds? And also, how did he end up at a university in Paris? And, and like, by the way, I think he is... I, sorry, I, I feel like we're being rough on Graham. Graham's think, the How are we to know? I also think Michael Caine is play, playing a Frenchman. Because he is yeah, Marion Cotillard's father. Yeah, her, her mom is French. You hear her, you hear her speak... Um, calling, call, no, no, not just the phone. Jack, when she Jack, calls, when she calls, yeah, yeah, she's French, so it's okay. Michael Caine doesn't have to worry about people going. That's oh, no. French accent. I, lo- I love the idea that Michael Caine was just as, to be with his wife. I love the idea that Michael Caine was as bad a father to his daughter as Cobb was to his children. I it's move. Like, I had no impact on her development in any way, shape, or form. I move to France to get away from England. My wife left France to go to America to get away from me. Oh my gosh! And it, it's it, it, like, what, what's going on there? By the way, like, why is his 
Um, why is the mother of... of, of Andrew, maybe, I think the whole point is it's like a dream. Don't maybe, keep asking questions may, or, sh- or you know, things are going to start crumbling. My theory is mm. that... Right, right there. Are you tired? Yeah. Right. Don't worry, keep going. Um, my, my, we're boring I'm, you? I'm boring. <laughs> no, no, no. My theory is that Michael Caine and, and Maul's uh, mother fell out because Michael Caine... Um, taught uh, his daughter this? Taught, taught his daughter this and, and, and is still so close with Cobb and that the, the mother and the grandmother has nothing There's to do. There's a conversation to have with, there. That's actually uh, quite good. Yeah, yeah. So it's like... Oh, and um, that's why, like, the mother isn't delighted about Cobb coming back. Yeah. By the way, like, wh- wh- why is it so important to go back to u- the United States? Presumably the kids could just come yeah, to Yeah, why can't the kids country? just travel? Yeah. I mean, I know we're ruining all any urgency in the film, but yeah, why can't yeah, the kids just travel? I, I, I know. And they can just stay in... Why can they stay again? The, com- the, the country that... Just that's Mombasa. No, no, not Mombasa, because that's, that's cool. Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires. Let's say Buenos Aires. But um, I, I suspect it's more to Mombasa the point... Mombasa is Kenya, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. But it's more to the point that, like, Cobb has to confront this thing. Yeah. He has mm. to sort of work through it. He has to make a literal hero's journey mm. uh, in terms of that flight from Sydney to LA. And I, 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 I don't think any of the problems with the movie um, uh, harm the movie. But no, I just no. think it's a little bit fun, kind of. like. It is like, fun like, to talk about, like, you know, to dissect it. Well, it can be. Like, like you know the way... Um, uh, they're they're not meant to they're not meant to kill each other because if you kill yourself you'll go into uh, limbo. limbo yeah and the only way to get out of limbo is to kill yourself again so just kill yeah. yourself twice in quick succession yes that, that's, that's, that's the question I ha- that's the question I do have to ask when Saito ended up in limbo what happens to him does and he immediately age well, no no he's been the idea is he's already been there for what but feels when he like lands in limbo time, why yeah. doesn't he just kill himself. Because he knows he's in a dream when he, he lands in limbo. Know he's in a dream. When he yes. lands he in limbo, he has to be convinced he's yes. in a dream. Yeah. Oh, is that by, it? By yeah. Cobb. Okay. The funny thing is that Cobb did this once before mm. to Maul, where he convinced her. Oh, so you worried about Saito now? Living in a dream. Are you but saying you're worried about Saito now? Yeah. The next day, the newspaper has got to say mm. Saito kills himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Head of second largest energy firm mm. commits suicide. I, actually, I have a, I have a topic there for Darren about this that much detail on the (laughs) Darren of course as I said earlier is a uh, huge expert on everything Christopher Nolan we talk a lot about how a lot of his films are um, somewhat emotionless somewhat like he doesn't understand maybe feelings and that in the sense of like trying to talk at the heartstrings I would say this is his most emotional film because every time that final scene comes the building of um, watching Cobb walk through the airport and seeing the world and just the music I always find, I find it's very thing. emotional I, I actually I, 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 I feel like I, I, like weeks ago mm. I, I, I spoke about how I find Fisher's um, catharsis the oh too much and, and he finds the, oh, the uh, uh, paper the, the little paper yeah. spinner um, what I really appreciated though mm. was he Eames, <laughs> such a that, voyeur. That, that that whole thing is like, oh really? Uh, uh, As an audience, he's now. not. Really, he's not like a cane. I really wanted to. See, uh, oh, <laughs> when he's standing uh, in the doorway, like, I really wanted enemy. to see how that would go. And and then when he does come back, he like opens it. Yeah, he just goes. 
the little and door with the detonator remember, in hand. But before that, even uh, Fisher wakes up and um, oh, and Eames is like, "Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on." We know you died. Get up. And then he's 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 looking he's looking at at Fisher and he's like holding the detonator and then he's doing it again. He's just kind of saying to himself, "He's like, all right, all right, come on." And then, I want to know what's in that safe. They have that beautiful moment, and he's like, "All right, that's it, got it." <laughs> One take, yeah. yeah, yeah, and like presses the the, the button. It's, mm. it's it's that collapse. Yeah, but I was just wondering, like, how you how you saw that because I, like I said, like that's an emotional moment too. But I connected more with the fact that Cobb makes it back to his family, and the and this and this is where Hans Zimmer really comes through because the I believe the. The, the music on it is called Time. That's the yeah. score. That's the particular that is, musical. It was a bonus track on the soundtrack yeah. album. It yeah. is it is a perfectly timed song to seeing him finally reach home. One of the interesting if things he actually reaches home. He reached home. One of the interesting <laughs> things about Inception, and it's kind of fascinating, is that what Nolan does in it is that he basically has a Spielbergian protagonist and a Nolanian protagonist pass one another like on the stairs on the way down so if you think about it Fisher is the archetypal sort of Spielberg Lucas protagonist that's been like a staple of Hollywood cinema since the Mm. 70s Star Wars Indiana Jones for Mm. example Close Encounters of the Third Kind he's this idea of a a young boy who's isolated from his father who's lost and disconnected Mm. and who feels alone and withdrawn and misunderstood and needs to have a moment of emotional connection and catharsis with a father that he feels doesn't understand him and again that's rooted in all the anxieties of the 60s and 70s the counterculture movement Vietnam Watergate all that sort of stuff so like that's the Spielbergian protagonist it's the idea of the the young man who needs to make peace with his father and on the other hand you have Cobb who is arguably the archetypal Nolanian protagonist in a number of ways first of all he has a dead wife which I think we may have talked about Mm. also has killed his wife he's also killed his wife the most yeah you gotta imagine over the years he's killed her a couple times but he's also trying to get home to his children in the same way that many of Nolan's protagonists particularly after this point are trying to get home Mm. to their children as well and what you have is you have these two archetypes that come together and have their sort of parallel journeys. And as much as people are, like, incepting Fisher, as much as Cobb is, like, getting into Fisher's head and helping him work through his issues and giving him, like, his own personal version of Star Wars, mm. um, at the same time, Fisher is allowing Cobb to work through his own issues and get home. Yeah. Like, you have this recurring motif where characters are... Subconsciously, you might say. Yeah, that's what Recurring motifs, Nolanian, Spielbergian kind of characters passing each other on tour. Passing each other on I think you're getting a bit delirious. I am. It's been a long day. It's okay, you're tired. I mean, like, there's there's only so many hours in the day, and, like... Oh, do remember you have to order pizza. Yeah. What? Later. Pizza. No, it's fine, it's fine. Anyway, we'll, 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 um... But it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, does does do do do? I feel like we we really enjoyed Eames. Oh God, we loved Eames. Like, yeah, but I think I, like it's I, Eames doing like it's it's Eames showing off his best bond. Oh, I think yeah. that's no, no, it's good. But yeah, no, it's it's Hardy doing his like audition reel basically. It's Hardy doing like his uh, you know when Daniel Craig retires, I could possibly do. And it, to be he fair, still could. 
I think it's also Nolan doing his own little like audition reel before because Spectre came along and Spectre, with, though it was directed by Mendes, Spectre was like, well, imagine if Christopher Nolan directed a Bond movie. There'd probably be an old mansion and there'd be an old man in there and there'd be all these trips to like the Far East with beautiful lighting and wonderful cinematography and it'd be very hyper stylized. And then and look at me do it amateurishly. And it would sort of delve deeply into his, uh, into his, did I say Spectre? I mean Skyfall. But, ah. uh, Sorry, but it let, watch me delve deep into this character's underlying psychology that explains his profound daddy issues that explain why he's doing this thing that he does and has been doing since the dawn of time. So, like, Skyfall feels very much like a Nolanian Bond movie, but that came four I years really after this. I, I adore Skyfall. I like Skyfall. Um, but the issue is that with this, with, with sort of Eames in particular, Eames's level of the dream, is that it feels like Nolan's, like... Because Nolan's talking about how he would love, he would absolutely love at some point in the future to make a Bond movie. Mm. And if this feels like audition reel, um, look at Tom Hardy take out a literal army. I love as well how Tom Hardy keeps on. Oh, sorry. You alright? Just, just go on, go on now. He's falling asleep. I think he is. Yeah. But yeah, the the the, um, I love as well how Eames always is outdoing Arthur because we've spoken before but but even there is there there is like a repetition of of the same thing where 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 at one point a um uh, one of the one of the goons one of the uh, 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 pro- projections, projections. Uh, high, don't be rape uh, rape it rape <laughs> Uh, would, don't be the, dreamist. Don't be dreamist. <laughs> the the um, there 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 is a um, there is like one of his security kind of like falls down on him and he he like manages to just about uh, grab the the gun in time and it's kind of bang and and you don't know who shot who. Yeah. Um. What the uh, there's like a similar thing happens with Eames where he's thrown over this rail. Yeah. And the guy jumps off the rail after him. Eames just picks up the gun. Bang. bang. Like really, really clear. And sure, like it's, it, goes, it goes from the very beginning of like every interaction they have. It's like literally like Eames is teasing Arthur all the time. And it feels like big brother, little brother type scenario of each of them trying to one up each other. Um, and it seems like there's a, a again, it shows the writing specificity. and. Oh, uh, for example, your condescension, Arthur, as ever. Yeah. Is much appreciated. Um, yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of that in there. I mean, there's the, um, what am I thinking of now? There's, yeah, there's like a lot of little details there, like the, the dynamic between Eames and Arthur, where Arthur is very detail-oriented, and he's very mm. focused, and he's very precise, and he's very careful. Almost OCD-like. Very meticulous, he's very well-organized, and on the other hand, Eames... And yet he didn't complete the research. Yeah, and yet on the other yeah. hand, Eames is like this sort of spontaneous force of nature who just shows up, completely unprepared, like, and just takes... It's fantastic, just owns the show. I wish there was a dynamic... That I could think of, where there were two people <laughs> who were like that in any way, shape, or form. Shh, you're just you're just thinking out of your just <laughs> yeah. like yeah. But again, all all the details there are fantastic. Least, like yeah. Yusuf, I remember this this time. I remember Yusuf watching Yusuf and finding Yusuf amazing, even though he's only in the background, even yeah. though he doesn't have like a big origin story. I, I, Do I, any of them really have big origin crazy. stories? I, mean, I love I, 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 I love when when um, they're like kind of like confronting Yusuf over his complicity in in like drugging Slowly them killing all these into people. A slow death. It's slow death. Um, and and it's like, why'd you do this, Yusuf? Did he offer you half his share? Half no. It. No it, 
His full share. His full share. One of his full share. Like, he sounds like he's kind of like offended. Yeah. And no. He's like, no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't betray you, betray all, you all for half his share. It was his full share yeah, that to, I betrayed. To be fair, it feels like he, they don't need to worry about money. You watch the film and they are wearing super tailored suits. Oh, yeah. And are flying on private jets. I uh, like well, can get helicopters apparently from the snap of a finger. You see the hotel room. Uh, <laughs> Again, we come back to the main theme of the uh, film: yeah. hotel rooms at the beginning, and the hotel room that that um, 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 Amal kills herself with. It seems to be a like a giant C shaped. It's apartment hotel suite. It's two hotels. It seems to go around yeah. um, the way. Yeah, it's, because it's, she cl- she climbs around. He, like... he climbs out that window. He could have just went around. And <laughs> I feel around. like she. What she should have done is she should have like. And and this is like I'm not I'm not I'm not assisting suicide here, but um she you know how she's trying to get him to jump out with her, uh stay with me Darren, um and come on just stay stay with me, stay with me Darren stay with okay, me I'm, okay I'm with you, I'm with thank you. you um she's sitting on the ledge she just sit on the just the one ledge and he comes out looks over and she grabs him, and then boom. Like instead of shooting him, instead of making a whole theatrical mess about it, she I, could have actually taken him. Then. I think she can't kill him because she needs him to make the decision himself. Like she like made she the decision needs, herself. She needs him to believe or accept that the world is fake mm. in order for it to work for her. Mm. That's why she doesn't just like stab him in the face, um, <laughs> which would be must, much. Yeah, better. she did point out that she He's, loved him too much. What's the riddle anyway? Like why don't well, you just go, uh, <laughs> Ma, row, row, row your boat. Mall <laughs> gently to the end. Merrily, 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 merrily. Mer- Life is just a dream, Mal. Um Did I say merrily to the end? I you must did. Be confusing yeah. it with that, um, like uh, a school gra- school ground thing. Um, what is it? Oh, what? yeah. I don't think we're going to get anything from Darren. I don't think. Row, row, row your boat. Gently, gently down, the down, the down the stream. Gently down the stream. Merrily, merrily. Life is but a dream. Life is but a dream. Yeah. So I suppose we're circling around the the end here and the end of this story. How did you guys? I mean, we might get something out of Darren. Um, the the end of this film. How did you? How did you take it? Do you remember the first time you saw it, and what did you think? Well, this time watching it, I did mostly think. Um, oh, do you mean do 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 the spinning? Do you mean the spinning. The spinning. Yeah. No, I've been convinced. I think every time I watch it. Mm. That uh, the world is real. Um, yeah, I'm the same because I want to. Fall I want to believe that. No, like I, I feel like the the it gives you like a cue. It starts to kind of and it starts to rattle. wobble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The wobble. Do you ever <laughs> wobble? Is he usually talking to sleep? I think I think it was the turkey. Oh. <laughs> what do you call that thing in Turkey that makes you sleep? I don't. Istanbul. Istanbul. No, that's the country. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I'm going to go after. I have to. Have to. Have to. Have to rescue him. I think I'm going to have to wake Darren up. Oh no! Because he did order me a pizza. He did. I mean, he's. Hold on, wait. He hasn't ordered me a pizza yet. No. I'm going to have to see if I can wake him up. Mm, at least it's not me who's not getting pizza. Uh, well, I would have liked to have seen how the podcast turned out.
So, Andrew, what is Inception about for you? I don't think I'd be able to answer that, and I don't want to. <laughs> um, and, and I don't think it's necessary. As in, as in, like I, I, um, one of the things about this podcast is that, like, why would you? The this is something that I don't know if I've thought of it before, but something that occurs to me now. Why would you ever ask me <laughs> what a movie was about for me? Because the I I don't have. I'm not the 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 film critic. I, I find it very difficult to talk to to talk about movies. I'm pr- pr- probably the best thing I can do is interrupt you every now and then to say, "Oh, is that is that?" A, and it's like, "Oh, I don't know about that," and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I being honest, I also have a bit of difficulty talking about movies, and this is kind of interesting because I watch like Inception. It's a it's a movie about movies, but it's it's not just we talk. We always talk about how. It's about making movies, but it's also about watching movies. And it's, I think that maybe is something that, that makes me uncomfortable and is the idea that it's, it's about this, this question of like what we get from movies and whether what we get from movies is real. And if, if, even if it's not real, whether it really matters, which is, is very strange because this is one of the things where I watch a bunch of of like, and this is this is probably very personal tangent that doesn't really matter to anybody. But I watch a bunch of. Oh no, we 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 don't have to be. We don't have to um, construct things to kind of. We can go all over the place here. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, yeah. Sorry, this is just unreconstructed critic space. But I mean, the the thing is that I watch a lot of movies from the seventies and the eighties, and a lot of great American cinema, and all they're all tied up in these these daddy issues that like Inception has very profoundly baked into it with the Robert Fisher character. Right. So, you know, you think about, like, the the argument about, like, Darth Vader is obviously the big example in American yeah. cinema. But even this, like, generational conflict... Lucas keeps, Spielberg. Yeah, the, the, the recurring notion that plays through this sort of generation of filmmakers in, in the new Hollywood era in the 70s. And obviously through to today where you have this idea of, like, the latchkey kids, the kids who grew up in the generation with no-fault divorce, and this idea of, like, people growing up with strife and with, with conflict with their parents and unresolved issues with their parents... And the fixation on that in cinema. And I watched that and I think, like, I, I love those movies and I adore those movies. And often I respond to them emotionally, uh, but I don't respond to them in the same sort of... And you've talked about this a bit when you talked about this Star Wars, how you don't respond emotionally to Star Wars in the same way that many people do. No. Because you don't have I don't have think that, I ever did. Yeah, because you didn't have that formative experience with it. And I look at America... Like, I watched it as a child. I wasn't an adult okay. when I when I when I watched it. I, I imagine I was probably like somewhere between like uh, nine and twelve. I, I'd, I'd imagine. Okay, but I mean, like I watched these films on the, and like like Inception as well. And I wonder, like, did I have like is my child was my childhood uncharacteristically happy? Like in terms of like I no have, Darren. Okay, but like I, <laughs> I like I mean I, I look at these films. I look at how they Not resonate. The parts that I witnessed. <laughs> <laughs> but like the idea of like this this like I th- i've never I think, had like i've never I th- had Darren, a familial like, strife i've never oh had, no like, no yeah yeah I've i ne- think that's something that we have in common we're yeah. we're 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 fortunate enough um to have n- nice kind of um home lives yeah i mean um, i never had like a big i don't think i ever had a blowout <laughs> argument but with i parents. think in school it was quite different <laughs> We, it, 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 I mean, I mean, the, uh, uh, I, our friends, um, uh, uh, quite kind of like delicately de- described you as a, a, a parent's wet dream. 
<laughs> with all the tack that you would expect. Such a strange. Um, <laughs> well, it's a really great description to of a child. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's like that. Your parents be so appreciative of you that they would have a um, yeah, non consummated, yeah, non consummated sex, despite the fact that you were yourself a product of consummated sex. Um, but yeah, it's and and thank you for making me think of my parents in that way, Andrew, and uh, a friend who will remain anonymous. It was Kieran Gillen. Um, but yeah, it, it's, um, but I, I kind of like, I watch these seventies films and I wonder like, do, do people generally have these issues? Like, do people have like, is that spirit of catharsis that runs yeah. through the primal spirit of like wanting to be your own yes. man or wanting no, to vanquish but... the old man, wanting to deconstruct the father's empire. That's so core to inception and so core to so much 70s cinema. Is that like an, a lived experience? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Like, like, um, because my, my, um, my experience in school, and I think your experience in school, that you for, that you pretend never happened. I repress, <laughs> I repress <laughs> very, very is, far. Is not a normal uh, school experience in the sense that, like, it can be a challenge. But um, from 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 <laughs> um, from numerous therapy sessions, I've been told actually it's not that normal. Um, <laughs> but um, on the other side of things, I think um, I appreciate as well how. Um, how happy my my home life is, and how that's not that normal. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I I think I think there's there's definitely something on on there's something about these directors that have their film on the pulse, or maybe it's that like the reason why you don't uh, make movies is because you don't have to resolve <laughs> these, these your, familial issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's it. Like, part of me wonders, like, that's... Because I've been pushing you to make a <laughs> movie with me. We have a Netflix movie. We're going to take it. We're going to sell it at Telerood for a good $8 million. But, I mean, the thing is that... Sorry, Andrew. Soft we're, pass. We're, um, we're, we're, we're like 20% the way through this uh this uh podcast right we're going to stop at episode 250 correct <laughs> yeah yeah we are um <laughs> but um now who's dreaming andrew now who's dreaming but i mean i think that yeah that that's the thing that sort of gets me about inception because i talked a little bit about how it i feel uncomfortable watching it because it feels so much like nolan's revealing how the trick is done and it feels very cold and very cynical and very calculated how like the stuff with Fisher's parents and the idea of giving him catharsis, even if it's not real catharsis, all that matters is that like he feels or he believes that it is and he got it from the story no, that was told. real catharsis in the sense that like catharsis is an experience. That, that he genuinely has. It's just that the, the um, it's just that you created it for a person. But it's not like, it's not like if it was him that it would be based on something that's the, um, that's, that's real. Like, like as, um, necessarily. Like you, you can, you can have, you can have a decisive epiphany and, um, and, and, and that be like a cathartic kind of realization that affects your entire life. But the whole, um, um, like, uh, mo- the whole basis behind it could be completely false. That happens to people all the time. There aren't, there aren't ways to validate or falsify, yeah. like, whether, whether, <laughs> whether, whether this idea that has defined your life is true or not. But you I mean, just have to live your life and, and then realize kind of, um, <laughs> later or never. <laughs> later or never. But yeah, no, I, I think that, that, that's the thing that sort of gets me about it is that, like, and it feels like it's a commentary on, movies because like inception 
Inception is like we we talked about how Cobb is the auteur and we talked about how like you know Ariadne is the writer and such and such and how you know obviously Eames who we love is the the actor. Remember, um, it feels like something I discussed in a half remembered dream with somebody who was possessed of radical notions. But I mean, it, it there's this sort of aspect of Inception that kind of gets me where it's the idea that movies incept their audiences and it on one hand it's a very romantic idea it's the idea that if you see the right movie at the right time it can have this tremendous emotional transformative power and i i remember like um like uh jo- joseph gordon levitt in 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 this movie is in this movie in another movie so so the 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 graduates oh 500 days of summer yeah. yes and um, and it had a it had an enormous uh kind of um influence on on him but he, he took he away the wrong message from it well, i mean that's, like 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 um like robert fisher well, i mean that, did that, i say robert fisher you did say robert fisher but i mean well this is this is the thing like you want to talk about like bobby the... fisher is the, is the guy in the movie called robert fisher by yes that? and i Have don't think he's just... that no <laughs> no but but like is that intentional like why would they call him robert fisher that's a, that's an observation. Yeah, I suppose actually it does have this sort of like yeah. I imagine that I would like to see Nolan make a chess movie. I imagine he'd be very very good at it. Yeah, but I mean, getting back to what you were saying there about this this sort of question, I think he would actually go into the game and <laughs> and and yet make it still like compelling enough for somebody who's like because that's the difficulty with with chess movies it's not a very cinematic you, yeah you generally have to kind of like kind of surface yeah and, um, and create it, like this tension that exists outside the game but it's an incredible thing because uh, chess used to be something that was on like primetime television yeah. and massive crowds and stuff like that as well I mean but to get back to, to what you were saying there about like and I, you were you were half joking There's plenty of time to get back don't worry <laughs> um, I mean at this level it's gotta be what six hours yeah but I mean the thing is that to get back to what you're saying about like Joseph Gordon- whole lifetime, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt um, right. in um, in Five Hundred Days of Summer taking the wrong idea from the Graduate. Like this is what movies can and- do. That's kind of scary. Is that they can give us ideas and notions that aren't healthy, but we don't even realize that they're doing it. So things like the romantic comedy romanticizing the idea of stalking as love or treating love as something. Like because we ha- we don't talk much about romantic comedies on the two fifty because there aren't many of them on there. No, but they do. They have this sort of subtext. But that there's been to- there's there's been a whole plethora of, of 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 recent hit romantic comedies, both like in the yeah. cinema and, and on Netflix. On Netflix. As-, as well, but I mean they like you have this genre and i mean i don't want to single out romantic comedies because you can apply it to like toxic masculinity in action movies and stuff like that as well but romantic comedies are the best or most illustrative example because they demonstrate a dynamic between people that we sort of we grow up with and we accept and we internalize because it's reinforced through popular culture and because it's reinforced through um you know make you believe certain things so like you you watch the romantic comedies these days and you kind of like if you're if you've grown up say in our generation or more likely in our in our in our parents generation but and if you're in a certain kind of like um uh, if you have a certain perspective you might look at those movies and think like oh they're 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 almost like kind of like uh, uh preachy or something but the 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 um in 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 the sense that they they contain these kind of um uh, social messages but when when they, there's there were social messages in the in the in the romantic comedies that 
that that we watched growing up yeah. they just weren't like as uh, maybe Overt. and we wouldn't yeah. have noticed them because again like they're, like, they're... like I grew up thinking sorry <laughs> you have to finish the story now <laughs> no, you no. can't you can't leave the audience on I, tender I was I was I was I was going to make an inappropriate joke about like if 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 I if 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 I just if I just paid Julia Roberts to have sex oh, with okay. me, <laughs> she would eventually fall in love uh, if I like bought her no, no, clothes. You, you, and, you, you, yeah. are, you are joking, but so that's the, the idea that like romantic comedies do enforce this idea that like if somebody doesn't like you at first, you, you don't back away from them, you don't give them space, you instead spend all of your time around them and wear them down. Yeah. And that's what romance and is. And that's what kind of informed my <laughs> um, early attempts at romance. Sheer <laughs> persistence. And I mean, I, 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 w- I would be similar. I've, so, I've, I've since become very inpersistent. <laughs> it's like, is this going to be Lackadaisical work? Lackadaisical at best. Yeah. So, um, must do better on the on the report card. Um, unmotivated. <laughs> Sorry, this is very. This is, this is like it's, it's pick on Andrew. No, no, no. We're like we're talking about it. Whatever we want here. Like but, the, 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 the thing that uh, just occurred to me is that um, is it seems like Nolan's sense of humor to. To have uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt um, in in a in a um, in a situation where there, where there's no gravity because he's levitating. Oh, I like it! I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. But again, that that yeah, that's and of, you know that Nolan was like, like T. He's levitating. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. He did the whole thing. <laughs> just cost to get, millions yeah, just to get to that one moment. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea of the Warner Brother executives sort of watching the dailies and Nolan chuckling to himself, and the the, the sort of the executives wondering what the hell's happening <laughs> and, here. And I, yeah, I love it. And it's like, why are you laughing about? It? And then he explains it, and it's like. Do you know what, uh, Christopher? I don't care because actually the scene is quite good. <laughs> if it had just been to amuse you, it would have been a real waste of the money and our time. But and- this right here <laughs> yeah. is gold. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. But watch yourself, counselor. <laughs> you're, you're on warning. Um, we're going to need that third Batman movie from you for this. Um, but yeah, it, it does sort of. And, I, and like. Inception feels like he's grappling, grappling not with just the Joseph Gordon levitating, but also with this uh, this idea of what movies are and what movies mean and how we we they have these they incept us basically they give us little ideas that simmer away in our conscious and like because this is we talked at the start of the hour about Steve Bannon Steve Bannon going to Hollywood and coming from Hollywood and then using that to like revamp the American political landscape. But you that's, remember? I think I heard it. From somebody in a half-remembered dream, somebody possessed of radical notions. But I do, I do feel like there's this idea of like the dreamscape and this idea of like influencing culture and people in a way that they don't necessarily understand. And it's not like because obviously you have all those, all those like facts that people trot out about like subliminal advertising. That's all fake. Doesn't actually work. Um, all those surveys were somewhat weighted and you know not necessarily peer-reviewed and subject to like criticism uh, after the fact. But like this idea of how we internalize ideas, because films, films are projections of ourselves. Speaking of the 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 kind of like they didn't they didn't they 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 didn't hold up to uh, peer review. There 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 is an idea these days that it is there's like a very rare 
It's a very small percentage of scientific studies that can be uh, replicated. Yeah, this is a post fact. Well, that's it. There's there is a crisis of replication in modern uh, modern science, which yeah. is terrifying uh, when you think about it. It's like we don't actually know anything about the world that we're in, and no. all the assumptions on which we base most of our finding are completely nonsense. And like I was, I was at a bus stop and was um, was on my um, uh, robot flute, my my ele- electronic cigarette, and. The, there was a man got really angry. I don't know if I, I've, I've told you the story. I I did. I I I figured like maybe maybe he's kind of talking to himself or is angry about something that happened. And then he and, and I was like, I beg your pardon. And and then it turned out that he was angry at two things. He was angry that I'd skipped the the queue. We don't to, queue for buses in Ireland. We don't for queue for buses. Just, just so listeners are aware, it is something yeah. that happens in Europe, but I've never seen it happen in Ireland. Never. But this this is a man, like a Dublin man, who's lived in Dublin all his notions. life. Yeah, presumably goes to Rat Farnham every day, say, <laughs> or, or or wherever the bus was going, yeah. and gets annoyed each time. Somebody, cuts, somebody ahead of him in cuts, commas. cuts ahead of the non-existent queue. But the other thing he got annoyed about was my electronic cigarette, because there's uh, poison being, like, uh, uh, spewed out of it, and it's going to kill him. And and I was like, I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if that's the case, it's just kind of like vegetable glycerin, nicotine, and he was like, "No, no, no! It's uh, it's really dangerous." And I was like, "Why? Why do you say that?" And it's like, "Oh, there's um, scientific studies." And I was like, "Did was this like on the internet?" And he was like, "No, no, no! In 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 journals." I felt like asking, like, oh, which journal? Which uh-huh. journal? Do you have a citation? Like, yeah, <laughs> like, but but the, the thing about it is that he could be completely correct. Yeah. Like he the 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 studies that I've um, heard cited um, that 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 say that it's like ninety five percent healthier yeah, than, than, than 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 cigarettes. Those are easily um, likely. Paid for by cigarette companies who, <laughs> na- who, cigarette who companies. no, but the uh, the old cigarette companies own the oh the um, new um, yeah a lot of them now. Oh, okay, um, so it's it's like um, and you have this wow. experience of kind of like um, experiments. I imagine when 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 the person who is kind of paying for <laughs> <laughs> yeah the survey wants their yeah, study wants a result. Like, so what do you want here? <laughs> yeah, what's what's on the menu? Yeah. Jesus, it sounds like there's very little standing between them and total energy dominance. But I mean, the thing that, like, this is the thing, like, because movies are our projections of self onto onto a screen. And they're as much about what the audience takes away as what they, and this is like, we talked about this at the start with Nolan, where he was like, where he, he, he welcomes people to make subjective interpretations of his right. work. And he encourages them to process it in their own way. And he's, like, he's responsible for, um, <laughs> for all, 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 all this, um, uh, fake news. Yeah. He's, uh, he's shifted the paradigm. Well, that's it exactly. Well, he said that he wants, like, when he's pressed on the ending of Inception, his response is that the lesson he wants people to take away is to chase your own reality. Um, which seems slightly more ominous in the post-2006 <laughs> landscape, where it seems like large portions of people have taken that from him. But I like the idea, there's something, like, while it's terrifying... Post-2006? Post-2016. Ah. But, like, in the context of... 
this is the thing with Inception, where it's like there is a sense of cynicism, but there's also romance there as well. In that there's a sense that like and it was 2006. 2006 was the big uh, Tea Party thing in America, where like 64 um, uh, uh, Tea Party people got into the. It was it oh, was, it was the midterms. Yes, it yeah, was the, yeah. Obama's. No, sorry, it was George W. Bush's last midterms, wasn't it? I think so. Um, I might would be wrong be, about that. It would be before. We talk a lot about American politics. And know very little. Um, almost nothing. But do you know what What? Uh, what encourages me is that we also know, um, or like, like you you obviously know things, um, right. the, um, or at least have strongly um, <laughs> formed um, o- opinions. But I, I, I suppose what, 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 what all of these things tend to have in common is that we know nothing about them. Yeah. So why would we speak about one thing and not the other? That's the question. Why would we box ourselves in? But I think that, yeah, with, with films, there's this idea of like, because this is the thing where as much as Fisher's catharsis is based on a lie, it's still genuine and it's still moving yeah. and it's still earnest. And it's still, there's something genuinely affecting in that. And the idea that like you go into a darkened room and you watch a movie like together, I, you're sitting with a crowd of people. I said it before, I was so affected. Yeah. That, that was the, that was a bit I found touching. Not, not Cobb's journey at all. Yeah. But well, it's the bit at the end where, yeah, you, so like, think about how cinemas work and how movies work. You go into a crowded room, you sit in the dark, you all stare at this screen that is projecting this image and the image is absolutely fixed. And again, we talked a little bit about how Nolan is fixated on film because film is tangible and real. And it means that the image that you see is always the image that's being projected. Right. But while he's doing that, you're sitting in a darkened room surrounded by dozens, if not hundreds of people. With your clothes on. With, yeah. It's <laughs> strange. I like that Andrew makes it sound weird. Um, yeah. What are we doing in this dark room with our clothes on? <laughs> There's so much opportunity here. Yeah. This is why Andrew and I can only go to specific cinemas in Dublin now uh, when we watch movies together but there's um, you go in these hey guys (laughs) welcome back (laughs) did you miss him (laughs) here um, yeah, you're my you're my best customers. <laughs> you never want to hear that. No. Um, <laughs> the worst thing about the fantastic summer that we've had in Ireland is that Andrew didn't get to wear his long trench coat as much as he wanted. <laughs> but I mean, if you think about cinema, like cinema going is is strange in that sense in that you're going into a darkened room, you're sitting with a crowd of people, and like. When you're with a crowd of people, it's amazing because you sort of get absorbed into them. I imagine sport is the same way, Darren says, like <laughs> academically, having no real experience of sport. But I imagine like sport and music work the same way, where you're part of a crowd, where you sort of, you have that like strong communal emotional response, but you also have your own emotional response within that. And you have the two playing off one another. So you have like in cinema, you have the image that's being projected on screen that every other person in the cinema is seeing. And you have then your own personal interpretation of that, your own personal subjective experience of having watched that, that is inseparable from the image itself. And it's, it's I, magical. I, I, the thing you said about sports is interesting because I wonder if it's a, if it's actually possible to recreate sports on screen because it's generally, generally in a movie, a director will, um, will make a, say a sports movie where you identify with the mighty ducks yeah 
right? <laughs> there's no there's no half of the audience rooting, who are, for, the <laughs> rooting for the other team. The snooty prep school. Yeah, yeah. And and when it when it's kind of like going one way or the other, there isn't a sense where one of one half of the audience is like, yeah, I love go the, on snooty prep school. I love the idea that when you come into cinemas, they seat you appropriately as well. Because um, because like the, 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 that's the thing about sports is that if you're if you're a spectator versus if you're watching a, a sports movie the 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 thing is that sometimes it makes you happy and sometimes it 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 makes you sad but you can't have that um that 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 experience if there isn't some sort of like antagonism somebody has to win and somebody has to lose so if you go to see a a a a, a sports movie um generally um the 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 team that you're rooting for is going to win in the end um I mean, yeah, un- unless it's Rocky, for example, or something like that, where it's like it's the rare example of the subversion of that concept. But yeah, yeah, I suppose. But yeah, yeah you're, you're maybe, right. You never maybe watch that Rocky makes and it a great yeah. um, sports movie, Rocky. Yeah, I mean, no, I, man, I, I, I think, I think people do go see see Rocky and and root for Apollo. Really? Oh, I, I, I mean, I think, like, very I think it depends as... what community you okay, come from. I... It's the way the way um, uh, Eddie Murphy had had that bit that, of course, we can't. With like, well, I, I wouldn't repeat it anyway. But um, <laughs> we'll include it in the show notes where yeah, Eddie will explain it. <laughs> yeah, where where he he's talking about um, Italian Americans leaving Rocky and like feeling really pumped up, and they're gonna kind of like. Um, start some fights with some African Americans <laughs> based on what they've just seen. Um, yeah. I, love, I love that we sort of dovetail back to the idea of movies shaping the way that we behave and act. Yeah. Um, well, and it's very, as, as a 20th century male, it's very difficult to, to watch a boxing movie or even a boxing fight and then and not walk away from it thinking, I could do that. <laughs> if I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, long-term I, I, listeners I, I, will I, have listened to our Dangel episode, <laughs> which consists of a movie about wrestling in which Andrew spends the first 20 minutes trying to convince the other three panelists to move the furniture out of the way and wrestle. Yeah, I mean, they, they, or wrestle. I know it's a, I know it's an audio medium, but uh, but uh, I like, feel like listeners would have got the full experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we could have had a, like a short video on our Twitter. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about with Inception? There's so much that we should talk about, but um, I don't know. I I I feel like I feel like we've spoken a lot about it. I I I think I think um I I I I think that might be it. I wonder if our listeners. Want us to go on for a few more <laughs> hours, Just a few more hours or minutes, weeks. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Darren? I mean, we could go on forever, but we don't want to end up as old men filled with regret, waiting to die alone. What? 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 What's that you have there, Derek? You came down here to convince me to honor our arrangement. So yeah, no, you, 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 you did, you did promise pizza. That's what, what I, what, what, what we've come here to remind you of. Um, come, come back and have the pizza. See how that gun feels. <laughs> what, what have you got there, Andrew? I also have a gun. It's like I was really sad. I was like, no. 
No, he needs a happy ending. Because <laughs> he's had a, he's had a he's had an awful run of it. It's bad. I, is it just that you hate ambivalent endings? Um, no, I hate ambiguous endings. Ah, ambiguous endings. Yes, um, I do. I do. It's rare that I find one. I can't think of actually any ambiguous endings that I do like. It's no. just I don't like. It's not that they're a bad idea. I like the idea of them. It's just I don't like when it happens because then it makes me go, ah, oh, because maybe my maybe my viewing of it, my opinion of it, is the wrong one. Even though it's ambiguous and it's left open to interpretation, I still feel like ah, oh, it's probably not what I'm thinking. You want to be like, but what's the answer? Sometimes, sometimes, yeah, yeah. It's it's never. I I always find it sad that way. Like when you see something happen and it goes off screen and you don't see what happens. Like a, a rogue, you hear a gunshot or something. I found that really sad. And you don't know who's died or something like that. I just found those kind of ambiguous settings. I love... Troubling. Um, how, how, do, how, how do you feel in, 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 in this... Um, hmm. Sorry, what are we doing? All right, all right, all right, yeah, okay, um, well that's grand. I mean, I, I probably have... I have a thoughts for that, but... I will say it's an enjoyable rewatch. Still think it's completely daft but enjoyable and too long this is the other thing that stood out to me this, <laughs> this is like the inverse Barda this yeah. is like two and a half Bardas on the scale <laughs> yeah. and it's not it's a quality so scale apparently but, but it's so ridiculously complex like you should, they just needed to take a scalpel to that story <laughs> root, like... it, root it down to like it's base levels so that you don't have two hours of people saying this is this, this is this, this is this this is this, this is this, this is where we're going blah blah blah, snow, guns, blah 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 etc So I think that about wraps it up this week. And now we go to random number generator. Actually, Andrew, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. The random what? number generator, it's um, not... Sorry? Not working. Ah. And we've decided what we're going to do is we're going to move away from the random number generator for reasons that are very complicated and not really necessarily worth going into right here. What we're going to do is we're going to move towards announcing what we're going to be covering next week sort of as, as we're going along, you know, mm. sort of like keeping a bit more up to date, having sort of bring people a bit up to speed. So there's a lot less sort of like coming and going because what we found is when we were listening to the podcast, you know, what would happen is we'd announce we're doing an episode and it would take us four weeks to do it because we have to do this just ins or we have to do like, you know, Halloween episodes and episodes between. And I thought we, we said we weren't getting it. Okay, we're not going to get into it. All right, fine. We're not. We're, we are not in it. Uh, but we, yeah, I know. And, and I just woke you up for that. Um, but yeah, so we're going to for this. We're going to move away from the random number generator. And yeah, let us know on Twitter if you care. About if you have very strong feelings about the move away from the random number yeah. generator. Also, also, how fast also, Darren says random number generator. Um, also, let us know if you want to know the inner workings of the podcast. And the mechanics behind it. But yes, yeah, so what we're going to be doing is next week we're going to be handily dovetailing into the de- demolition of the random number generator we're going to be covering some of our lost episodes lost episodes um so we had not, a ro- not episodes of lost no that's a different podcast um but we had uh, we had a bit of incident with some russian hackers i like to think it was possibly down to the crimea coverage uh but we lost uh two episodes that we were very proud of which were touch of evil uh, with um, it's, it, it's Charlene a, Lydon and Grace Duffy. Crazy thing now, like they've they've just the the uh, Russian interference. It's just now like on the agenda. 
um everywhere and 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 like it it costs them so little to kind of like um the the to 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 get all this free coverage yeah, it's just fantastic hype what they've done. But yeah, so um, next over the next couple of weeks, we'll be covering our lost episodes. So among them will be um, Touch of Evil with Grace Duffy and with Charlene Lydon, um, two great guests. I'm really looking forward to that. We'll also Absolutely. be covering um, the Intouchables uh, with Kieran Gillen, who you may remember from our episode covering Back to the Future. Yes. Um, so we're very happy about that. So this will this will be episode eighty nine, episode eighty four and eighty nine. Uh- 84 and 89, as originally conceived. As originally conceived. So we'll be filling in those gaps. And then after that, we'll be coming back. If it's easier for you guys to think of it as episode 101. And 102, that's fine as well. Um, and then we'll, after that, then the we'll sick be, twists. We'll be jumping into like the, the exciting new frontier that is the new bottom 100 uh, by discussing Fifty Shades of Grey. Awesome. Uh, with the wonderful Marion Cassidy and also Grace Duffy as well on that one. So I'm really looking forward to those. Yeah. Those are coming up. But in the meantime, actually, if our listeners, like, if their listeners want a bit of joy in their lives, so if they they just listen to what Why I suspect, would they want any more joy in their life? A very long bumper edition. I of feel the like 50s. right now what they need is just to kind of decompress, peace yeah. and quiet. But if you were to recommend something for our listeners to help them decompress, Andrew, what would you recommend? Um, I think um I've recommended it before on the podcast, but um I was laughing today listening to uh atletico mints um and what what they what they what they just released was um uh the uh, reheated bits so uh, like a the best leftovers uh, basically a, no a a a, a best of because oh. I, I think bob is um off doing his fishing show um so 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 he's off tackling that is he oh hey yeah, he, he was ang- ang- angling for a. Um, I'm glad that they bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Uh, this, this is this is great, Darren. This is all gold. Yeah, but yeah. So you would recommend that people listen to Atletico Mint. Uh, mints. Mints. Apologies. Um, if I M M I N C E. If I were to pick recommendation, I'll go with two quick recommendations. The first one is. Uh, if you've listened to this episode, I'm going to assume that you liked Inception or you really like myself and Andrew. Are you going to recommend Maniac? I'm going to recommend Maniac because Maniac is basically Inception meets Cloud Atlas. So if you wanted a, <laughs> like a television series that was grown in a lab. You like good things, but also... <laughs> <laughs> it's like... No, I, I, can't, I can't go after Cloud Atlas because I've never seen it. I suspect I, 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 maybe, I, I might even have the same opinion as, as you have. I would worry a bit about myself if I did. But Thank this you. is entirely... Entirely possible. Um, yeah. I've heard that uh, that this places you quite on the fringe. Uh, this is like Darren's radical notion: is that yeah. like Cloud Atlas is a masterpiece of cinema yeah. that really it's, should be appreciated. It's like here we go again. Yeah, he's off talking about Cloud Atlas. Mamma Mia! Oh, here we go again, Mamma Mia! It's actually it's it's the Godfather Part Two of uh, Abba Jukebox Musicals. But yeah, so it's um. B- more seriously though, Maniac is great. It's it's an acquired taste. It'll take uh, so you'll love it, you'll hate it, but you'll know quite quickly how you feel about it. Uh, but it's it's very much it's Inception meets Cloud Atlas, so that's the elevator pitch set with a bunch of eighties retro futurism to lure Andrew in as well. Yes, yeah. and it, it, it's the um, it's the it's the Leo and Kate of 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 of, the of our time, yeah, yeah. Of, of our of, you know millennials version of Leo and Kate. Um, so I'd recommend that that came out last week and is available to stream at the moment. Out yesterday uh, on Netflix is the first, probably the beginning of their big false light. We talked about this when we did the open house, where Netflix have actually like they they 
they've 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 got game in this award season they've got movies that have a chance of actually winning awards and actually earning critical praise and the first one that sort of kicking off the season uh was released yesterday which is hold the dark by jeremy solner ah. who directed um he directed blue ruin and he also directed green room green room being my second favorite movie of 2016 hold the dark is starring jeffrey wright as a story about survival on the alaskan frontier and it's great it's this wonderful sort of like contemplative philosophical sort of like western sort of thing modern deconstructed reconstructed western it's a story about the animal impulses inside of us and this hobbesian view of man versus nature versus man i really really liked it i i really really liked it and wholeheartedly recommend it you 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 do like the deconstructed and reconstructed um things. Hobbesian it, view of humanity. yeah it's 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 um it's like um um you go, going to like a Michelin star restaurant, yeah, um, and, I mean, and having the reconstructed halibut. It's yeah, it's how how you make something sound posh and sophisticated. Yeah, it's like we can't do a western anymore. But have you tried a deconstructed and reconstructed western? Um, well, it's really great. It's got a great cast and it. it's got a really, really bleak outlook, which I kind of appreciate. And it's great because... Does it invert tropes? Um, and subverts them even, one might say. But it's got this sort of like really almost nihilistic world. Like Green Room, I don't... Have you seen Green Room? I have not. Green Room is great. That's the P- Patrick Stewart Nazi movie. Yes, Patrick Stewart playing a skinhead, the part he was born to play. But it's it's got this sort of like... It's a really mean-spirited, vindictive film. But the thing about that is that it has a propulsive sense of energy. What's ki- what I kind of admire about Hold the Dark and what makes it not quite as good as Green Room is that it's like Green Room, except it takes out all of the levity in that neo-Nazi, um, like, torture, horror, monster movie. And it's like, no, just put in more grimness. And I'm like, part of me just admires the sheer conviction of that. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, so you can watch that now on Netflix. Sounds like fun, there. <laughs> it really does. I don't know if I... Uh... <laughs> quite there yeah well we did say after all of the joy that (laughs) That that we've brought you if you want a downer yeah all the dark will work for you but anyway andrew where can we find you online a q u i n n i u q a and a lot of people will be disappointed not to have had any mukbang (laughs) updates ever (laughs) Um, uh, but but, rest assured they're behind the paywall yeah yeah they're 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 they're... i love that the paywall has become your version of build the paywall (laughs) (laughs) like we're gonna build a paywall and we're gonna make make mukbanging pay for it yeah Um, (laughs) yeah um it's gonna be so good um (laughs) But yeah, so Andrew's mukbanging may or may not be available by the time we release this. It will not. <laughs> um, but but that doesn't stop me from telling you about it. Like um, go 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 look up mukbang.com forward slash um, whatever the name of the uh, Andrew's mukbang don't is. Don't actually go to that. I don't know what that website is. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Who yeah. knows what kind of sick stuff you're going to find? Uh, you can follow me online at Darren underscore. Don't Mooney. do it at work. <laughs> Thank you. You can follow me online at Darren underscore. Mooney. I actually have a non fictitious product that I would like to plug, which is you I have do. a book coming out on the work of Chris Nolan. So if you've listened to the past three hours, you thought that Darren has some reasonably good ideas about Chris Nolan, and I'd like more of them. Slow it down and say that again you have a book on the works of christopher nolan coming out which i'm very very proud of throw it away like i I have a book on the works of christopher nolan no, uh, not... uh, they, they, it's amazing. Dad. No, I, I am tremendously proud and also slightly terrified, but tremendously proud about this because this is something this is I've your... been working on for a year. Well, I wrote it last year. I've been doing editing on it since. I've been talking to people. It's got a really great. It's got a whole host of 
fun stuff in there. It's very well. I mean, I, th- I think it's very well researched. I paid a lot, you know, I put a lot of effort into it and stuff like that. But I was talking to, um, it has an interview with Jeremy Theobald, who is the leading actor in Following, um, which was Nolan's first film. Excellent. Um, he reviewed the text actually, and he was very, very happy. Described as accessible and incredibly well researched, which is a huge compliment. I'm very, very Ooh. proud of that. Um, and I may try and sneak that. Oh, no! the cover. I was going to say I yeah. might try and sneak that onto the dust jacket, but <laughs> did uh, I just say a bad word. You did say a bad word. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm very, very proud of that. And it basically the book is being published by McFarland. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobel, Eason's even will stock it. Uh, you can order it online. You can get it delivered straight to a brick and mortar store as well it's available as an ebook there's there's no real excuse if you're interested in it not to read it it'll be on google oh. books as well um I, uh, is is it uh it's books upstairs on delir street you may have to order them to get it in you might ask them to, to order it in but they can yeah, get it in go into uh, books upstairs on delir street if you're a dublin um person and yeah and 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 ask them to 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 just, order darren's book and also um get a get a nice coffee there that's my plug. Uh, but I mean, um, well, that's that's like one of the things, this is very self-indulgent and very geeky, but one of the things I'm most proud of is people sending me pictures of the X-Files <laughs> book. Sorry. I know, I know, I'm very sorry. It is a little indulgent. But people sending me pictures of the X-Files book in like the BFI and in foils in London. Um, and it's like, I feel that's something I'm very, very that's proud excellent. of. That's excellent, yeah. That like the BFI stocks my X-Files book. Foiled again. <laughs> Curses. Uh, but yeah, it goes chapter by chapter through each of his films. Uh, it's It covers basically their production. It covers their themes. It covers, it tries to look at a little bit of why Nolan's films work as well as they do, how they reflect the present moment and how they've shaped culture in their wake. Uh, it sort of goes, it's... I'm I'm very proud of it. I'm very satisfied with it. I I read back over the proofs and I wasn't entirely embarrassed of it, which is a rare thing. When you yeah, re- I mean, and and that's the that's it's like having a child. It's rare you're not embarrassed by them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one you can really kind of stand behind. I'm I'm really really happy with it. Um, anyway, you can order that online. Um. Meanwhile, you can follow the 250 at, at the 250. You can find us uh, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, wherever good podcasts are available. Uh, we'll be back next week where we talk about Touch of Evil with Grace Duffy and Charlene Lydon. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Bye. So, pizza?